Right, we're here for another episode of Summoning Insight. That's right, it's me, the irrelevant guy who never gets any interviews with anyone. Definitely, by the way, if you're a, if you're from CSGO and you're thinking, that's about CSGO, mate, why bring it up when you're legal? Well, you know what then, you hate as a writing league. I definitely won't be dropping any interviews this week with people you tell me I'll never be getting interviews with. That would never happen. Ooh. Anyway, if there were indeed to be those interviews, <laughs> though, they wouldn't be on this channel. They'd be on my channel. On this channel, we are sponsored by Esports Bet, which is, of course, the industry's leading crypto odds matrix. They still have the, if you've never done it before, it's the first time deposit bonus, which is a 50% bonus up to 200 US dollars. Also, we have a new one, actually, on this particular one, which is alternative, though. This is the key thing. If you haven't done the first time deposit, you can take this one instead, which is basically like I'll have to double check. But I think it's just something like the first hundred dollars. Even if you lose it, you get it back or something. I think it's something. Oh, so what it is, right? is uh, if you guys place a, a, a prediction, you can get up to 100 USDT back if you lose. So, this is if you're a first-time user. So if yep. you've never tried it so far, there's an easy chance to give it a go, yep. isn't it? You can't so lose. All you, all you got to do is message the mods. You can either message them on the website, esports.io itself, or you can go into their Discord and message the mods there, and they will just give it back to you. So you get a penalty-free prediction up to 100 USDT. Now, we could have used that this week uh, uh, you know, with Excel. <laughs> And EG, but you know what? We still came out huge because I put ten thousand USDT onto Gen G, and that ended up being great. So we're still we're, we still did very well this week, even though we could have done better. We could have done better. Oh, we'll definitely get into some of those. Like, here's the thing: I thought we'd start out with just to make it lighthearted, right? I will say there's a lot of things around league and esports that I, I actually cannot just get invested in. I can't, I can't emit that much energy to care. So I'll give you an example, Monty. When I think of all the problems worlds has, like terrible fucking bracket format, rid ridiculous seeding system, absurd slot allocation, like a super archaic format, and yet it lasts like a month and a half, like all these problems that it has. Major region statuses are off. There's so many major fundamental structural things i would change i can't really put to the top of the list like what the trophy looks like like the trophy could be a generic trophy it could be a, a, a rice crispy for all i care but with that said they did obviously just show what the new trophy is and since everyone else is the opposite to me and they're all about the song and the theme and what country everyone else cares it's so all i'll say is this this actually looks like Riot is intentionally trying to play into that meme of like, but we have X at home. Because it's like it's like their old trophy was actually, by the way, one of the better esports trophies. It was a pretty I hate big the old trophy, but whatever. Uh, anyway, no, continue. because here's the thing. What made that good is it was totally unique. You could tell that the second you saw yep, it, it also true. had another unique quality, which is they intentionally made it really heavy so the whole team has to lift it. That's quite interesting. By the way, if you don't know in Counter-Strike, we have some really bad trophies, mate. You should go back and look at some of the old like ECS and EPL trophies. Some of them are terrible, mate. Some of them are just like it looks like you've just won an award for like podcaster of the year it'll just be like a little square like thing like that like what the hell is this like a see-through thing like you win for like and manager of the year like so anyway like it does look the old one at least had like an iconic look this one looks like someone genuinely was just like i wouldn't like that but save like 90 uh, percent of the money like it just it just looks bad in general so okay. whatever it's whatever right. on that like I, I i care about trophies in general um I mean, if you guys missed it, the Flashpoint trophy that Thorne and I actually worked on was like a chrome-plated AK-47. It was super cool. You could like pick it up and hold it like a real gun. So I actually really care about trophies. I do think that I agree, Thorne, that the old trophy was iconic. Uh, but I'll give you guys some details that you may not know, insider information about that trophy. So it was ugly. 
It was very gamery with these like tacky giant blue crystals. It also hilariously, I mean, everything about the old trophy is fucking hilarious, right? It's called the Summoner's Cup. They retconned summoners out of the game. So now it just has no meaning. Because if you guys are new to League of Legends. I always forget that that was one of my original rants, wasn't it? It was actually Monty. My original rant, yeah, basically, was if you don't know, in League of Legends, they don't just have the lore of, you know, like all the different cities and the different characters and their It's worse than that. The original law was that you aren't you, a human at home. You actually summon into the realm and then you could choose your champion in some sort of fucked up, like, it was almost like trying to, like, anticipate VR or was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. So what it was, if you guys don't know, is the original lore was absolutely terrible and actually just ruined League of Legends storylines forever because they, they couldn't really ever escape from this. So... The concept is that you, the player, are a wizard, hence summoner spells. Those are your spells that you're using, so you can apply them to any character. And you are, like, being John Malkovich, like, inside yes. the character, using them as a meat puppet to decide. And Summoner's Rift you're was, like... You basically possess Nidalee or whatever, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way... If I, possess weird, some people, if I possess some people, I definitely wouldn't be like choosing to fight with them first. I'm just going to say that. Put that out there. Anyway, uh, so when you go into Summoner's Rift, it's supposed to be like a proxy war to settle conflicts so there weren't real wars. But then they realized that if you create characters um, you that were just being possessed by anonymous people, that these characters couldn't actually have their own character or agency to them so that they couldn't actually function as fictional characters because of obvious reasons. So they had to retcon summoners out of the game. But those hooded guys in the original like cinematics, there are all these like wizards and hoods that you can't see the faces of because they're supposed to be you, the player. And so they put that on the cup. So obviously, like, that's bad at this point in time because it was such a huge part of it so anyway it looks like really wizardy and tacky and like I, I wasn't a huge fan of it it did have kind of an iconic shape and look to it which they now changed i must say got rid of because it definitely has a look now i just they, don't know they tried I... to keep some of that you could tell but like they didn't even do that good a job with it so part of the old problem with this summoner's cup by the way is the original one which was made by some silversmith i think in england there's a really actually very cool video that riot made many years ago um showing how they did that and i love the craftsmanship that they put into it so i always really this was actually one of my all-time favorite riot videos but anyway um one of the problems was is that it weighed a fuck ton it weighed like 50 pounds like i gotta say and if you watch when they pick up like either tpl or skt you should see that they have to pick it with the whole team it's, it's really heavy yeah. in it so 50 pounds is not that heavy if you're not a pro gamer, but if you, if you're a pro These gamer, people have weak risks, Monty, exactly. <laughs> They're not drinking a lot of milk and all that shit. So, uh, if you're a pro gamer, um, with wrist issues, then 50 pounds is really heavy. Um, so they, they were afraid actually that it would like crush pro gamers. I bet it could have. Yeah. It, it, it could have actually done some, some real damage. Over or something. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, Actually, what you guys probably may not know is that they created a second Summoner's Cup, which was lighter, like a hollow version of it. Right. And I think it was smaller as well. So the the original Summoner's Cup was not actually the one that you saw most ah, of the right. time, or it wasn't the one they lifted. Like, they would have several, and they it was at least two. They may have had more. Um, and they would use one for, like, the shoots, because at Worlds, they always, like, put the Summoner's Cup in the middle of a street and, like, do the, you know, uh, long exposure, so you see all the cars zooming by really fast, and you get all that stuff. So they would use one for that. I think the original one they would cart around and use for that, and then the the, the second one would be in the, in the stadium. 
Um, so there was a problem that they addressed and they tried to, they obviously tried to do it by like making it more hollow and making the cup shape out of the handles on this one. And I do like the concept, the concept of it having five sides and having one handle for each uh, position to lift, I think is actually pretty cool. Uh, it's just the execution that they really missed on. Like it looks kind of like flying buttresses on a Gothic cathedral, but just like minimalistic and it doesn't have a lot of character to it. It's just, it's like what they did to the LCK logo. They took a, a good logo and then they 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 just made it super minimal and like sort of like a bird. So it just looks boring to me. And not only that, but if you're going to, what, what's confusing to me is if you're going to have the five sides and etch people's name into the trophy, which is great, obviously, why would you do it by team instead of having one side dedicated to each position? Like you have the jungle side. And you and you and so it's like you have the mid side and it's like, you know, 2013 faker, you know, and then you have all of these, you know, 2014 pawn, et cetera, et cetera. So you have every winner and then you could put the MVP next to the MVP on that player's side. So if you're going to have the five sides for the five positions and have the logo of each position on one of the handles, why is the team together instead of just having it by position? So just very strange decisions uh, that were made here. But ultimately, like I didn't like the last cup very much. Don't like this one either. Just seems like a, a missed opportunity and a good concept that was really kind of poorly executed. And I say this as somebody who thinks there are cool trophies and law. I think the, the the new LCK Cup is fucking sick. It's way better than any of the trophies we had when I was working there with the OGN. I think that one looks awesome. So I even think that Tiffany, who did the LPL Cup, is more gamery. And it's again, Riot. You know it's really wild though, dude. Here's what people don't know. Because obviously, remember, G2 won it, so you all know in your mind what it looks like. Dude, that MSI trophy G2 looked look baller. It was like the NBA championship, you know, the one with like a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one's all fucking right. fire. The joke is that looked better than the world's one because it was like all I mean, golden and everything. The LEC trophy <laughs> is like the cool crown logo. Like that yeah, one's pretty fine. Good. That's yeah, pretty that's good. A good one. So, like, I don't really understand it. And what, again, it's like League of Legends is a game that is all about being over the top. It's about having pool party skins and having taking every single IP in the universe and ripping it off and putting it into your game. Like any generic fantasy or uh, sci-fi IP is, is ripped off and put into League of Legends. It's a game of visual access, right? It's not a game of minimalism. There's nothing minimal about this. If you want minimalism, fuck off into Valorant where all the maps are super stripped down and everything is kind of blocky and minimalistic. League of Legends shouldn't have a minimalistic cup. That's not the entire purpose of it. As much as I dislike the old Summoner's Cup, it was on brand with the gaudiness, at the very least. Like, the LPL trophy is quite gaudy, but I think it works for LOL. So it just doesn't seem to fit into anything else that they're doing, and it doesn't really seem to be a good representation of the game. Right, being as you did touch on the fact that we had some unfortunate results coming this week, should we touch on a few of those? Because obviously we're going to have our guest on later. Now, guest the West is, is doomed, Gold. by the way. If you didn't see, he was the person who was on the last Best Damn League show, which is on the ch same channel here. And obviously he's been on so many insight in the past. But I would say, actually, like I have you know, won the Best Damn League show. I think he's sort of hit a new trend of like his, his lens that he's looking at. It's going to be very interesting. But that'll be later. That'll be mainly about like LPL, etc. So let's get into some of these discussions, shall we? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah. Listen, it wasn't a great series, but the XL Fanatic one was certainly an exciting series. Let's put that way. Because <laughs> here's the problem, Monty. Genuinely, if people go watch the Best Damn Lee show, this is basically what my prediction was and why my prediction was like this. My prediction was this, Monty. My head tells me, of course, XL should win. And in fact, they should probably even 3 0. But I bet that triggers the fuck out of anyone watching the game, by the way. They should probably <laughs> even just 3 0 and win easily because they have an identity. They ought to play the game. But you know what, Monty? In the end, I had to do. Funny, I felt like I was in CSGO six years ago. I used to, I used to have to do the same thing with the classic Fnatic team there it was like I don't know how they actually shouldn't win but somehow Fnatic probably just uses star power to win or has more experienced players and I even told my discord dude when game 4 finished I just people can tell confirm this I just wrote in my discord like right now XL's just going to lose game 5 like if they choke that away there's no way they're winning a game 5 after that because the problem with this one dude is dude this reminded me of last year's spring finals that one with Rogue where Rogue could have won 3-0 but the second they didn't win 3-0 you just knew they were fucked because the problem XL had you could clearly see was when they did just play a normal game of League of Legends they were the superior team they were fucking out positioning them all the time. They looked great. They seemed like they knew what they were doing in the draft. But that's this is the problem. This is why playoff League of Legends is just real League of Legends, guys. Like, until you have that factor of a bit of pressure behind you, you are just playing normal game, aren't you? You're not playing the real game because this is the reason why no one gave up completely on Fnatic. It's the reason why I said, by the way, when they just snuck in the playoffs, so many teams in the playoffs probably went... Oh, bloody hell. Like, why have they just gotten through? Like, we could have had them out. That could have been, like, Vitality and everyone would beat them. Like, in this scenario, like, this is why you can't fuck around with a lineup like Fnatic Smith. You can't give them... I always say this, Monty. If you're the underdog, you cannot sort of almost, like, showboat, give them breathing. You have to just crush them when you get your chance. And they had it here. Dude, this is the worst one I've ever seen. Because the one you're talking about in the past that you always reference with Rogue. Yeah, that was bad. Like, they could have won that. But that was like, you know, they still lost. This was like, you genuinely just made... By the way, a very non-XL decision. The normal XL decision would be you take the Elder and you just use your advantage and win. They it looked here like they they rushed it and they they were they were so greedy to finish that third game. They actually genuinely blew the whole series. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I think it it's it was definitely tilt inducing. Uh, this should have been a three zero four XL. Um, it's also like they had every single tool to be able to win this For game. Sure. Like there were there were so many. I don't know where to start. Like, okay, so let's do this. Um, you know, they win their tiebreaker game versus Vitality by playing like a very all-in risky, like TF Draven composition. So you know they're willing to take these risks and play more aggressively in the early game, and they have versatility. So I would have thought that Excel getting Yumi in four of four of these five games and playing into Lucian Nami, they should be able to very patiently sit back and play front to back team fighting compositions. When you're in your last game and you have Orn, Sejuani, Ari, Sivir, Yumi, just play it out slow, play Absolutely. front to back. These are the easiest team compositions to play in League of Legends. You have... <laughs> Or Sejuani, you have two forms of conditional engage where you can throw out the Orn ult or you can throw out the Sejuani ult. You even have kind of a form of conditional engage in Ari as well because she can ult in and charm. And then if you miss the charm, you ult back out, right? So there's a lot of opportunities here in order to find the right engage that you want to set up properly to have these advantages. And... I, they just like threw repeatedly. And a lot of these, of this honestly was like individual mistakes. And while I think that we know that Excel's individual players, like they are more than the sum of their parts, it, it's rare to see 
all of these players playing really badly in terms of missing abilities, missing skill shots. It seemed like nerves kind of took over the later that this series went on. Um, because I, I think that these were really comfortable comps for them. They weren't particularly demanding when it came to early game execution, even though, again, when their backs were against the wall versus Vitality even make it into playoffs, they, they took the risk. They rolled the dice on the early game comp, and they played it really well. So I, I, this is just really disappointing from Excel. If anything, this was pretty easy to execute, in my mind, in most of these compositions. Fnatic was just doubling down, tripling down on the Lucian Nami, which... I, I wouldn't. That's not a strategy I would have used. I have Excel. to say, I've been hinting at it the last few episodes, right? Without knowing behind the scenes, I haven't asked anyone who's expert. Maybe Jensen knows later, dude. I genuinely think that bot lane for Westerners. I've seen the LPL be amazing, Monty. That bot lane, if you are a Westerner or not the Gen G bot lane, don't draft it. It just loses. The Lucian Nami is not as easy as you fucking think to execute. Almost every team in the West that picks it loses the game, mate. They all think it. it I, here's the thing. When I look at it, it must just be tearing up scrims. It, it looks like it just must win out all the time in scrims. Because you notice, the joke is, people now, Monty, even prioritize that sometimes over the Yumi and other stuff. Yeah, I think, it depends, on the, I think it depends on the team, right? Um, I think that the burden of execution is always going to be on the Lucian Nami team. And it, so it telegraphs a lot. And yes. I think that also it depends very much on the quality of your Lucian player in order to get some chip damage down, either with the culling or by like quickly dashing in with your ability. Once you have, uh, once you have rapid fire cannon up to do some chip damage on the front line, like it can be very oppressive, but the issue is, is that the burden of execution is always with the Lucian Nami team. And also, you have to play very carefully as a team around Lucian's cooldowns, uh, whether it's like Flash or Gale Force, in order to protect him because he can do a lot of damage, but that range is relatively short, right? You don't have the luxury of playing a, a Zeri where you can sit back and just, um, you know, poke with crits. Uh, excessively or with a sivir where you can pop your ult and just reposition your entire team extremely quickly and once you get a few ricochets going in the enemy team you can fight very efficiently in front to back team fights uh because you can you can hit the back line from range basically right you're you can just attack the front line harder to do that with lucian efficiently and still be able to get value out of the back line so this is all to say that i i don't think most Western teams have shown that they are proficient when it comes to executing this reliably. It's not a risk I would take, especially when options like oh. Zarian Sivir just You exist. can handshake, yeah, you can just handshake and take both good bot lanes, can't you? You can do it exactly. Plenty of people did in the other regions, yeah. So, I mean, like, Lucian is very good. There are extremely good Lucian players in the world, but, uh, you know, it, it really shapes the way that you play as a team um, and you have to execute on it. So I, I just wouldn't put that pressure on most Western rosters at this point in time, because frankly, like outside of G2, the West looks terrible. But I, well, I, here's I don't one know. reason why. I want to get into this because actually this Excel series, I think another fundamental thing they did wrong. Look, the best illustration is refusing to take the Elder and try to take the base. But in general, dude, if you watch that series, they were just giving up dragons that were free to take, right? Am yeah. I missing something? Why not take the free stats? Remember, it's not gold, guys. It gives you permanent fucking stats. I mean, why not just take the stat? Like, why would you not? If you, can already, if you think I can already end the game, then the Elder's going to make it even easier, isn't it? What are you doing? Like, that's the part don't get because I see these teams giving up when they're not getting anything for it you know so like, if it's free take it mate you always take a free one of course 
This series drove me wild, mate. I mean, it's true, partly because even though I told people on shows that Fnatic would win, obviously those fucking 2.2 odds were too juicy, weren't they? So <laughs> when it got to game five, I was like, ah, oh, bloody hell, we've lost all the money again, haven't we? I mean, it, it, it's, it really is just shocking, honestly, Thorne, because the entire West, both LEC and LCS, is just terrible. Like, they, you you sit there and you watch teams like Gen G play the game or you watch teams like JDG or to a, I would say to a slightly lesser degree, top esports. Um, but these are teams that the level of, of play is just so much higher than the West right now, both on an individual level, as well as objective setups, the way that they're properly playing out their team compositions. You know, the top esports JDG absolute banger series from this last week is something we'll talk about with Jensen. It was an extremely good series. Um, where teams were, both teams were like, okay, you know, this is our timing. This player doesn't have flash. This is how we need to execute this team fight. And the other team was like, they were both exploiting each other's weaknesses really beautifully. And we just don't see that. Like, LCS has turned into a region where I guess you just pick Seraphine or Zillion and win for no fucking reason, which is just... The way they kept drawing that as well. I thought that was like, here's the thing, Monty, because I made the mistake of watching mainly other regions this year. When I was watching that series, I was like, this is a weird pick. Why are they doing that? And then I looked, this is their whole strategy. They're going to be going back to this. Like, and it wins. It what? wins every time, it, dude. It wins every game. So that's the craziest <laughs> part, dude. Like, getting what? getting banned in LCS. Like, Seraphine's getting it. banned. I like, <laughs> I can't. I wish Worlds could start tomorrow, dude. It'd be so good, wouldn't it? I know. I mean, you try this shit against. Like you, you, you try and play that Seraphine against an LPL team in bot lane, and, and you see what happens to you as they tell you to bite the pillow and just bang you under the turret twenty four seven. You know, I, it's, it's baffling. It's baffling. Like you just get a free pass through laning phase in the early game into mega scaling, and then once you're there, instead of flanking from multiple angles like many good teams will do, like good team fighting teams in the current meta in Asia will come at you from like three directions at once. And what the fuck is Seraphine going to do in that case? She's going to get bopped in the back line, and you're going to hit one person with your ult, and that's going to be it. Like it, it, it's not going to work. Uh, and the fact that it just wins every game in NA is baffling. And then you look at EU and like, thank God G2 at least had a pop-off series and Caps like was extremely dominant because they look like they actually might be able to do something at Worlds. But Rogue and Mad Lions was just, dear Lord, that was another series that was infuriating it's to watch. Weird. Even if you won that as Rogue, I, oh, I, you hope feel you, terrible. I hope you did not celebrate that fucking win. Like you did, no, they gave you that win, mate. Like they gave you a million chances of that one. Yeah. I, I mean, here's, here's a great, here's a great example for you. Sorry. Yeah. So game one with Rogue, they had the exact same composition that Genji had in game three versus T1, except they had a different jungler. They had Jin Zhao because there were four jungle bands against Peanut in that game. And Malrong obviously likes Jarvan and whatever. It's fine. It's a good early game jungler. But this is like the Exodia comp. If you have Renekton, Silas, Zeri, Yumi, you are doing fantastically because you basically relieve all the pressure bot side by having this Renekton and Silas, right? And the Renekton is constantly going to be dominating the top side, playing aggressively, taking these plays, zoning out the Orn. The enemy jungler has to go up there and deal with this shit. And uh, your Zeri and Yumi just basically get to scale for free. And then you hit the late game. They get, they play this comp horribly, horribly in this game. Odoamne's way down. They can't get any advantages. This composition from Rogue is exactly what you want in this meta. And they just completely 
completely fumble the ball. So as soon as I see this, I'm like, wow, Mad Lions just let them have this. Holy shit. Uh, but I, I guess you just, I guess you just lose with it. Like it's in general the, in this series, Monty, Mad Lions coaching staff had a very different perspective of what the draft was than I think a lot of other people. I think they came in thinking they had their own internal meta or something, right? Look, I mean, I guess, like, <laughs> I, I can only suppose, right? But I felt like over the course of this series, Rogue's drafting was more or less on point, except for, like, God knows why they decided to play Jarvin or uh, uh, Jin Yumi. They, Jin Yumi Trundle, it's like they were trying to run back uh, Dom One's Game 5 loss in the World Finals last year, uh, where this comp just doesn't work, guys. Like, it's actually fucking shit. And playing Jin in this meta, I looked it up. It's the only Jin game on this patch or the last patch in the entire world in major regions. Why you pick this is completely and totally baffling to me. Um, I guess they thought they could run some sort of long range pick composition and like maybe the trundle ganks early would happen and you can set up a Jin W, but there really is no target, useful target for Yumi in the late game uh, to attach to. But the rest of the series, I thought in general, like Rogue's compositions kind of made sense. I even liked didn't the you, Caitlyn you, Luck. The yeah, last didn't game. You, I was going to say, I actually thought Game 5. Here's the difference. I think both coaching staff, by the way, are really good. I think Rogue and Mad Lions have earned their fucking pay these last few years and all the different lineups. Look at the work they've done. But here's the difference. Mad Lions, look, Monty, like this is a draft you do just like... You're just solving a problem. You're just testing something out. Mm, this should be a good answer. The problem is that's not the draft I do in game five with like a rookie ADC. Put him on the fucking <laughs> Lucian Army and go win the series in your first ever time. Meanwhile, what's great, this is what I love about the other side, Monty. It's not that rogue are rookies, but they are people who get very nervous clearly in big game scenarios like game five. So what they've done on the rogue side is they aren't even power picks, dude. Those aren't the strongest champions in the role, but they are all comfort. Every single one of those, that player likes that champion, has played it a whole bunch. With it. Even if you don't know the locks, that is a Trimby champion. Like, dude, they had, that was a great job because I, I, as you saw, they knew how to execute that. They actually knew what yeah. to do with it. And, and I think like, yes, you know what Rogue's going to do, right? Like, it's a very clear cut composition where the win conditions are, are clear and that can be a both an advantage and a disadvantage. It's an advantage to the team that is operating the composition because they know very, very clearly what they have to do, right? Unfortunately, your enemy knows that too. And the reason why we don't see a lot of Caitlyn Lux played is because it pushes 24-7, and so it requires a lot of jungle attention um, in order to stay safe. And if you fall behind, it can be weak. Also, Caitlyn has like a power trough at two items, and it, she only gets a little bit stronger later in the game. But if you're playing into Illusion, it's not the biggest deal. Also, re remember this. This was the order. This is why I did feel a little bit bad for Mad Lions, because like you're saying, think about what you're talking about with the Caitlyn. Good news, Monty. The whole reason why everyone had to play 2v3 in Forgiven's teams is because he was always pushing the lane on Caitlyn. Well, good news, right? We've got Wukong. That's an amazing champion to go in behind and gank. Unless we fail the top dive at the very beginning of the game <laughs> and put not only the Wukong behind, but their fucking jungler ahead. Like, mate, right. if I was that bot lane, I'd be so molded already. Yeah, like, it's just, oh, it the was, game's just begun. Yeah, it was it was disastrous, too, because you want the Renekton to be, like, kind of yes. self-sufficient on the top side, creating pressure so that you can gank bot lane that's pushing and their jungler has to make a hard decision about where they go on the map, right? Well, don't have yes. to make that decision anymore. Also, Trimby played a, a fucking great game. Oh, he did a great job, yeah. Yeah, great game, gotta Admit, be said. Some of the pork he was doing on that look, so you just couldn't even come near the objectives he yeah, wanted yeah. to. He'd just, just take three quarters of your health. I mean, the issue with Rogue's comp is like, 
yeah, it looks close in terms of kills, you know, like 20 kills to 16 kills. The problem is, is Mad Lions has three melee champs, and Lucian, who's relatively short range, right, outside of the first shot he gets on rapid fire cannon, and Anami. And you're playing into Oriana Lux Caitlyn, and like that Oriana ball is going to be a choke. Caitlyn traps are going to be in a choke. You're going to be hitting from, you know, they're going to be hitting you from a million miles away. And also you have... AP Lux and Oriana shields on your composition with a limited damage composition when it comes to poking up front. So they can actually just walk up to you, poke you, take a little bit of trade damage, except they don't actually take damage. So Rogue's composition was really good into what Mad Lions brought. And I agree, like, is this a composition that I think is the most versatile or it's the it's the best or it doesn't have serious flaws? No, but if you can operate it properly and you can kind of survive the late game push, well, you're going to be in a really big advantage when it comes to range and choke control in the late game and Rogue executed it well. So I think they deserve to win this series. That was probably their best game, but I, I do get concerned when I see us, when I see a region or a team going back to these styles of compositions where they are unable to win on like the God comp in the meta. Yes. Like that, that, that fucks my head a lot that you, if you can't win with Renekton, Silas, Zeriyumi, that's real bad. <laughs> Cause the thing about this composition is it's just so forgiving as well. You almost never lose your opportunity to win a game, no matter how far behind you are with this comp. Like it's still possible if you that's play. So why it's a great game five draft as well. <laughs> so yeah i just and also i mean by the way in this so particular much, match right obviously people don't know monty and uh rich were doing the watch party yeah, and yeah, actually yeah. even though i'd done a csgo watch party early and i was wrecked because it because it went to game five i said like i have to jump in on this it's like the razor <laughs> cake match isn't it so i came in and obviously we're all going but what's hilarious is when i came in i did like a little rant about our oh, but they all tried to counter me like no it's yeah. been all right now and what's great is it's almost like the summoners were back monty and i summoned armor because i made him play like exactly the sort of person that game is why i hate this guy look i don't hate him as a person he's actually got a great personality but as a player he tilts the shit out of me mate. and that's why like that game the joke is it's like ls paid him he just made renekton look like the shittest champion ever it was just him walking dude he was like playing world of Warcraft. he's roaming around the map all the time on his own like, what's he doing like what are you doing bro and also yeah like you said you can't ever you can't ever get close to their team that's the worst part isn't it like if you're behind like unfortunately they were like i said because of the beginning open dive like you can never get onto them can you they're a million miles away it's poking you off like it's a nightmare i mean you can't clear traps either caitlin traps like it's just it's it's absolutely disastrous right um so i credit the rogue like i i do think their coaches did extremely well, well. Know, mega credit they beat the coaching <laughs> staff of the split they beat four right. of the best players MVP. in the region and you know what the mid laner for Rogue isn't even an all LEC player, boys. It's just some <laughs> lad that you got off the street or something. Like, fuck, this is like the miracle on ice or something, isn't it? Fuck off. I hate, I fucking hate those awards. You're ruining everything, you fucking. But anyway, here's the thing. Do you want to flip over and talk a little bit about LCS? Because here's the thing. Oh, do you want to we'll do talk it? about G2 first. Like, oh, we'll do the G2 mystery. Yeah, I, I think we, like, it, it is really, it's important to talk about G2 because they are actually looking like the only legitimate Western team right now. They're also uh, the only one, if you notice, that has some skills, like enough skills, but also some balls. They actually look at they make decisive players money. All these other series we're describing, by the way, were like scared little kids just waiting for the other team to lose the game, looking lost. Like G2 actually looks like they know how they want to win the game. They're also on meta, which I think is very important. Like they're showing... Oh, some things. of their bot lane drafting was very interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're showing interesting 
interesting adaptations like we did actually see in game one the the yasuo senna come out and like them, they, they forced the senna bun because of that man it worked <laughs> like and and that's something that we've seen from like damon kia was running that yep. in the playoffs like they're a little bit of everything right now which i find they actually very said themselves in the interview afterwards that no one else runs that apparently no one else runs the yasuo senna so that's already like a card in your back pocket you saw it yeah. worked here T1, T1 ran it in the regular split early on, and then Damwon Kia ran it in, in playoffs. And also, the thing about that that you have to understand is that it was running Yasuo Senna is a, is a key setup. And this is what Damwon Kia did versus T1 in the semifinals of LCK, was that they they actually hid that pick. And what it does is it sets up ya solo ya uh, solo lane Yasuos as well, which is what we saw from Damwon Kia in that wacky game where they went to zero top and, and played Heimerdinger in the bot lane because it's a flex pick. So if you show it early on, and especially if you can win with it, it becomes even more annoying over the course of a best of five because you know they can play it again. And you also know that it doesn't necessarily have to be down there in the bot lane. And that was like a key part of Damwon Kia's best of five draft strategy was that they were successfully able to hide it when they were on red side and then surprise people with the Heimerdinger. Now they didn't win, but that was, that was the player's fault, not the coach's fault. The draft was pretty good. Anyway, um, so that I thought it was interesting because it was exactly the same thing that Damwon did, which is that they pulled out the Senayasuo in game one and then like kind of ran it back secretly and, and it hid strats in game five. So I was excited to see that. It showed they're kind of paying attention to different tricks that are being pulled around the world right now. I mean, they tried after they were up 1-0 for basically going for an early game pick composition. They fell behind early. Like, it's kind of whatever. So I don't read too much into that, like, you, you know, you're trying to play Lucia Nami with TF and Vi. Like, if, you, if you're not ahead early, that's just going to go badly. Um, so shout out for banning Yumi all five games. <laughs> Job yes. done. What do you know? Well, all of a sudden, Mercer has to play that, the game now. That's what I said. That's what <laughs> exactly. I said. Because yeah. like when Fnatic and and Misfits played in the in the yep. tiebreaker, I was like, why the fuck did Fnatic let Misfits? Like the Misfits win condition is just Yumi. Like it's Yumi. It's been Yumi all year. Just don't let him have it. Like fuck off Yumi out of this game. Don't first pick it yourself. Don't just don't play it. Just get get rid of it. It's fine. Um, and then G two also. You know we've seen. Uh, some mid Renekton as a flex, uh, which is which is very interesting. We've seen it from Dawn B. Uh, we've seen it. We saw it from Faker in, in the finals. Now, we can argue how successful it's been. Uh, it was very successful here, and the theory behind it is good. It's a it's an interesting Silas counter a lot of the times, um, especially if you're on red side. You can choose where the Renekton goes very late in the draft. Ended up being super helpful for them in this game. So there are, there are things that I like about G2. It's clear that they're paying attention to what's strong in other regions. It's clear that even with different players, it feels like they're returning to the old version of G2, the, the famous version, the good version. Oh, they're all about the mid game. This one. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Well, it's, it's like the mid game. It's, it's uh, having flexibility in picks. Like they look kind of, they're, they're kind of like Dom one right now, honestly, if I, if you had to compare you know, them, despite to what you said team. about the other teams, by the way, they can play aside from, they didn't do that well themselves on the Lucian army. Aside from that, they can play all the power picks. Like, yeah. look at all the others. Like, they they can play the Gwen. They can play the Zeri now. Like, they've actually got everything now. The MSI, if people don't know, Brookhamill couldn't play Gwen then. Like, actually, they were more of the team. The joke is they would have been the Siva team now. Now they can play the Zeri. Yeah. Um, I think Flackett has been doing his job and looked especially good on the Callista, which is is important because that's a very important pick in this meta. There's a lot. There's a lot to like here about G2 right now. The games they won, they won very comfortably. The game they lost, uh, I think, is explainable by they missed their timing window and it's whatever they moved away from it you do not let's be clear you do not have to play 
twisted fate in this meta. That's not a requirement. It's a luxury, and it was a game two that didn't mean very much. So I think G2 looks by far the best team in the LEC and LCS based on the playoff matches that we've seen, especially as we start to talk about LCS now, which you wanted to transition into. Here's where I would start, because to start, before we get into all the deep analytical aspects, I have to actually sort of method act as though I was a really annoying, petty prick who just brings up things people have said in the past to be annoying, Monty. Because you know what I thought after this series? I actually tweeted it today. I thought, this is all I thought, Monty. As soon as Cloud9 won this series over Real Geniuses, I just thought to myself, but how much would Evil Geniuses score have been if they'd have had Jensen instead of George or Lord? Is that aged badly? Oh, I mean, it's almost like you should probably be in the league to make that joke, isn't it? You know, I mean, the, just the, to be fair, the other Not joke that he was is, the reason why, but obviously they did win. They did I beat mean, the, fucking EG. The real joke, Thorin, is that he was kicked off of Team Liquid for Bjergsen, and now it's the two teams that didn't want That's him, hilarious. EG and TL, who have to fight over the last remaining world spots for limit. North America. Yeah. That that storyline is just yes. fucking incredible. And by the way, <laughs> how many times is this? You do know this guy goes to world every single year you know every time he has games i actually (laughs) low-key think because unfortunately uh, this is what's wild dude how can people simultaneously tell me who gives a shit about all of all of double lifts lcs trophies because lcs is the kids table but then tell me the problem jensen has who has this amazing international record is not enough fucking kids table trophies well which is it like that's the (laughs) that's that's why you're so whack fans it's like you actually will be like where's all this who gives a shit he goes to world and actually performs what do you want because I agree, like, it's egg on the face for the rest of the region, mate. Imagine the fact, by the way, just like Niski over in Europe, this guy would have been just sat on the sidelines watching as everyone fielded, like, academy players and put squads down and shit when the split goes to shit. Like, we've got to fix this fucking ecosystem, guys. We can't have top players just sat out like this. Think about it, in the NFL, if you're, like, the eighth best wide receiver, you're never just going to be sat out unless you choose to. <laughs> the fuck? I, I mean, I think it is. Pretty wacky. I also think that Jensen didn't play super well throughout the, uh-huh. the split. So I didn't expect him to do as well in the games as he as he did. I actually get uh, the vibe. I don't know what your take here is. Like, look, for me, the one player who absolutely did his job all split is Berserker. Like, he just does look really yes. good. And spoiler, he looks like the absolute best on the Zeri in that region. He just looks unbeatable, basically. Well, when you have this guy, already he's playing well. Like, I don't even think that the rest of them played super well. It's like the opponent just kept going down in level every time they play them. Like, by the way, if this continues, like, who knows? Maybe they can even win. Fuck it. All home. right, let's, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about EG. Let's do it. This, this, this is obviously like, it's it's surprising in a way let's put it that way um but we've also never seen i think eg suffer individually this badly like all of their players look like they slump simultaneously but jojo pian looked terrible on his ear like i don't yeah. i don't even know how to describe it but not only was he terrible on his ear he was just kind of inting to ganks that he knew were coming like he knew some of these ganks were coming and i'm sure inspired was saying something to him and he would just die but his azure mechanics were like fucking awful like missing his ult going in when he shouldn't having positional errors he did a lot better on the lissandra and the ari which are meta picks but his azure was was kind of just really bad um when we look at the rest of the team 
Which, by the way, is a spoiler. Isn't it a great sign, is it, when it's one of the most pickable fucking champions in the whole world? And, spoiler, if you want to be a great mid laner, I'd start working on that fucking Azir, mate. Like, it's going to be here forever. Or Azir and Oriana, you have to at least have in your bag. At least in the bag, mate. Now, Danny's a relatively new player, right? He's played less than a... Fewer than 100 professional games. Um, That said, he doesn't seem to be very good in this meta. And he doesn't seem to be able to play many of the meta picks. So, for example, he's played three Sivir games ever. Two of them were in this series, and he lost both of them. His Zeri has an 85% win rate, but Cloud9 clearly came in with a game plan of we're just going to first pick Zeri and take it away from you. And Berserker is also better at Zeri than Danny is. Uh, Jinx is not really in the meta, which was the way that he was doing so well earlier this year. His Ezreal is okay. Uh, historically has a 56% win rate on it. He does not play Draven. He has played one Callista game ever. So where do you really go with this guy when it comes to the current champion pool? And what Seraphine. <laughs> apparently, I mean, apparently, Who Seraphine, knew? Just, just I didn't even NA. know that was an option. I wasn't even aware that was within the purview. You, you know, dude, you in NA, you can actually just hit one person with Seraphine ult. You win a fight. Apparently it's fucking wild to watch this shit. Um, he's never played a game of Lucian professionally. So basically he, out of, out of the three meta early game, 80 carries of, Lucian Draven Callista. He's played one game of Callista, and that's it ever. And then of the two late game carries that are super dominant, which are Zeri and Sivir, he is bad at Sivir, and his Zeri is good, but he can't play it because the other team won't let him. The key thing to understand if you're a fan, because this always gets lost if people don't think of the holistic draft strategy, Monty, is it doesn't matter if what you say is true and even EG knows we've got to get him Zeri. They can't just first pick it, can they, guys? If they first pick it, then the other team goes, thanks, we take whatever wasn't banned, like you being fucking on or something. Like, you know what I mean? In that scenario, I think that's the part that's always missed by fans. You know when they're like, just ban X, there's no just ban or pick. It's about the priority and how you trade. That's why even, you can tell the people, by the way, who don't understand draft strategy because you know they're the ones who always think LS is an idiot for using that like MTG. That literally is how you draft, you idiot. That game is about how you play, what order you play the cards and stuff. Like that, he actually has a whole point with that because I think that's so lost. It's like, it's not about whether you ban it, it's about where it has to be on the priority list because otherwise you might ban one thing, but it's like plugging a hole in a ship and there's four big ones behind you. Like you're still going to sink, aren't you? It's not going to work. <laughs> like I think about it, I can't be first picking for my ADC, by the way, on a team where it's not like we're going to smash them in 20 minutes like we're probably gonna have to get the get him to the point where he can carry he's not gonna carry yeah. from minute one on zeri is he also we saw some of the old problems that existed pre-msi where you know danny and vulcan would just die in lane like they weren't yep. looking that good in the laning phase so that came back in this series i thought it was over we hadn't seen it in a bit but they were pretty bad in lane this series uh we also saw inspired not be very useful part of that was because Jojo on Azir was so bad uh, that he was throwing in mid lane. And so that made his job very difficult. Um, And then Impact was also just getting dumpstered by Fudge for unknown reasons. And Impact is the guy who always has the consistent conservative playoff performances. So I will chalk this up partially to like, probably it was a bad day for EG. Like, I don't, I don't think it's likely that we're going to see all of these players perform this badly simultaneous simultaneously again but <laughs> i also am concerned that jojo Pion can't play azir i'm concerned that danny 
as a bad champion pool for this meta, or at least we don't know what his champion pool is because he's literally never played some of these champs. Um, and that Zeri appears to be his only option. And what we see is that Cloud9 will just first pick Zeri on blue side and you could just whatever, ban it on red side and it won't be that big of a deal. Uh, it's, it, it looked re- really mad. What worries me is they already, there was some foreshadowing to this in those last few weeks. You saw them drop a bunch of the big high profile games, lose to their big rivals, etc. And now here's the reason why the playoff bracket is perfect because now they have TSM in the lower bracket. We'll tell you what, if EG's actually the team EG thinks they are, that's the pick me up. If that ends up being some like five game war where they barely get out of there, mate, they're, they're probably not going to Worlds. Like Liquid mm-hmm. will beat them. Yeah, I don't think Liquid's I mean, that good either, mate. I mean, and as we transition to to the Team Liquid conversation, I mean, 100 Thieves versus Team Liquid was... Hello, 100 Thieves org in general, by the way, because you know what? I, I got to give it to you. Like you said last split, everyone does always look when the form goes down. They go, right, it's the end of that team. They're never coming back. They always somehow get it back together. They're doing a good job, the coaching staff, clearly. Yeah, and and they they definitely have picked up their form. Uh, the first two games were very one-sided for 100 Thieves, and then the apparently perma-winning Seraphine and Bjergsen just pulls out the zillion. Yes. Of course, the fact course, that still works in 2022 just helps me so much. Because if you so don't know, guys, the other zillion players don't even play it in the world. Like, even they know it's not a mid lane champion, but <laughs> it's still the joke is it's like Bjergsen just always has that as an option, doesn't it? Right? Well, bring out the zillion, and then everyone's like, no, no, please. That everyone's like that gooby meme, like, please, Bjergsen, not the zillion, please. Like, <laughs> so stupid, isn't it? Why, why I does mean, it work? Jensen also <laughs> didn't die with it in the last game. I mean, is the same shit as the seraphine like if you're just not going to get punished early you just ascend into godhood where you you revive your late game ad carry with full hp you know at 35 minutes into the game or whatever 30 minutes into the game and then you win but yeah you just a mega overpowered support at that point in time there's no punishment there's no punishment so if team liquid's like but what if we just picked comfort picks? We'll put Whipple on the Urgot. Yeah. Okay. Santorin on Vi. And then we'll just play, uh, we'll just play Sivir with, with, with uh, the Zillion. And they're not going to punish us early. So we'll just get late games. That's Sivir the part with, I don't like, get. Three revives. Dude, even if they draft the Zillion, surely instantly, right? Closer and Abedagi, like, right. We're obviously just going to gank mid lane 24 seven, right? Like, no, no. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> Whatever you want, bro. And then, and then the next game is like the fucking like Nocturne Seraphine game from Team Liquid. I'm like, come on. And then, of course, 100 Thieves and pick Seraphine themselves and just finally put Steam Liquid in the dumpster. So I will say, like, 100 Thieves, when the games were normal, uh, they did very well. well when they, they had the this Seraphine, they did very well. Yes. I think you, I think if you're 100 Thieves, the problem with Team Liquid is, like, I would be very scared about Team Liquid's next opponent because what the fuck do they do if they don't have the Seraphine or the Zillion? I, they kind of just waited for their opponents to n- do nothing and then scale and then have these incredibly strong crowd control or revive abilities. And that was their win condition is like hope our opponent does nothing or hope like, you know, Whipple on set gets enormously fed in the top side. Right. So I think I think Team Liquid struggles. Uh, Bjergsen's Azir is kind of bad outside of the laning phase. The rest of the Whippo's champion pool is incredibly strange and not terribly effective right now for the most part against most other meta champions. I think 100 Thieves kind of let their foot off the gas a little, figured they could beat these champions, didn't play proactively, and ended up just having to pick them themselves or or take them out of the pool. So 
I'm not super hyped on Team Liquid. That's not the way you want to see them winning games. Sitting back and waiting for their opponents to lose. Not not great. Um, I would have rather seen a Team Liquid that was like taking games with Draven, but the Draven just spent time being banned for, for a large majority of this series. Hansama wasn't able to pull it out. Um, but yeah. He, he would have had to pick it on like whatever red side away, but just never did if you notice. Yeah. Oh, it was the other way around. I think it was like blue, maybe. I mean, I, look, and we're well, it, to... it was it was if he was on blue, he would have. He never picked it on blue, and, and then it was banned every yeah. time when they were on red. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. But that implies, by the way, that's also not a massive priority for them. They they could have forced that. I mean, realistically, like you should be able to blind the Draven. I think you would think so. If you're yeah. Team Liquid, just given Hansama's pre, you know historic performance, looks on to me it, it like he doesn't. He isn't it. comfortable on it, dude. I think he yeah. just doesn't want to play it. That's the vibe I got. So I I, I think this sets us up for a very interesting winner's bracket finals because cloud nine they went kind of back to comfort with fudge playing on camille and fiora and trying to carry out of the top lane berserker looked very good throughout the series blabber was questionable uh questionable but jensen performed much better than we've seen him in the past so if this is cloud nine kind of ramping up and hundred thieves is struggling making proactive early plays against scaling compositions there is a win angle i think for cloud nine there is a way that berserker just pops off in this series uh and and takes it home for cloud nine so i think i think overall like cloud nine did a lot better than i would have expected and hundred thieves did a little bit worse No, I agree. Like, put it this way, at the moment, on raw form, Under Thieves has to be the best team in the LCS. Like, EG does not at all warrant that. ETL, ETL looks worse than ever. Cloud9's getting a little bit better, but as I say, it's something like they're awesome themselves. Like, there was a world where they lost to C CLG. That probably even should have happened. But instead, they're in the upper bracket final, because the well, fuck knows why. I don't know why I, I pretended I, I, there was an end to that sentence. I mean, I, I do. I do <laughs> honestly, like, I do love what's going on. Like, I do love that... that Jensen made it back to Worlds. It's like he has plot armor, doesn't it? Getting, I know, he's got plot armor. You know, getting, getting cut by yes. Team Liquid for Bjergsen and then having EG and Team Liquid fight for the last spot, of which is not guaranteed. Like, there's a, there's a world where CLG comes in and actually wins. Yeah, yeah. Versus no, no that's not impossible. In their, in their current conditions. So uh, I don't think it's likely. I think it, it probably will be either EG or Team Liquid. But um, the, the narratives are really good. And I think all the members of Cloud9 played better than they had previously, but also to a certain degree, it was EG shooting themselves in a the foot and having just a very individually bad day. I mean, Inspired played pretty bad Definitely in that didn't play the MVP he put it that way, yeah. But, Here's the one thing I would again, say. He also, he also had his lanes just fucking running it down and randomly dying, so it's very oh, difficult. Even Impact had some bad games as well. Yeah, he was like uncharacteristically <laughs> bad. Here's the thing I would say, though. This just shows you, though, Monty, what you want one of your main... If you look in LEC and LCS, it tells you how strong fucking ADC is on those power picks right now. Because if you have Upset, if you have Comp, if you have fucking um, Berserker, you can win these series. Like, if you can get those guys to the right position these champions can carry yeah if you have ruler like you know the, it is it is a meta where with the right picks you can win absolutely any game i mean we've seen in the lpl some of these playoff games come from 10k deficits and be able to pull off these victories because of uh, you know 80 carry play so all right, I, I can't talk about lec or lcs anymore it was just it was so bad it was I, all the games were just just really terrible. Like the West is going to get absolutely dunked on at Worlds if this is the level of competition that we're going to see. And I'm not 
super confident that that is going to change between now and worlds. Uh, not a lot of opportunities in order for that to happen. And also it just seems like there are some pretty fundamental differences in individual player ability as well as team cohesion that will be difficult to remedy in just a month. I hope I'm wrong. It's weird. Um, People want the context of like, can it be really that bad? Because, for example, if they ever listen to the LCK podcast, obviously we're always saying that everyone except Gen G and then sort of T1, they're like the good team. No, no, here's the thing. You don't even need the rest of the career. Like, spoiler, first of all, Live Sandbox would dust some of these teams off with a fucking tape. <laughs> yes. But even if I pretend that's not the case, all you need to know is this detail. And when you know this detail, you'll know why the West is in serious trouble. Is... <laughs> RNG and EDG have to play each other in the regional for one of them to even make worlds. You are aware that that's the world champion and the MSI champion are going to play each other. And neither's bad, by the way. There's the other thing. So you can imagine China's pretty stacked at the moment. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. That's all I'm going to tell you. This actually could be basically the worlds where, look, I'll give G2 from the West a chance, but minus G2, there's a real chance we finally get like the fucking all Asian playoffs. It's not impossible. It all depends on the group draw. It's not impossible this time, boys. Yeah, yeah, especially because like, you know, the the Vietnamese teams have been on the rise for several years or sure. at least challenging the PCS teams or not have bad a lot of the time. So, yeah, could be could be disastrous. Will be will be a very entertaining world for sure. I mean, it will be absolutely hilarious if all the NA teams get dumpstered in NA at Worlds. That that would be uh, that would be quite it's the thing. I can't lie. Even though it's fucked up, because I actually, in some sense, it's because of the coaching angle and the team structure. I actually like Evil Geniuses as a team. I actually find them an enjoyable team to watch. Sure. Even that's also no. the reason, low key. I'm gonna go. I'm more on the Bukes and Hater side because I really wanted to make Worlds to so just bomb it again. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's fucked up. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it would be funny. I would laugh at least. I would laugh. All right. Uh, we should we should get Jensen on now yes. to talk about LPL LCK finals. Lots to discuss there, especially with the uh, the upcoming LPL finals this next week. We have which teams are going to make it out of Korea and the regional gauntlet. So a really good time to talk about Asia. That's why we wanted to focus on it more this week, especially because the finals in, in LCS and LEC are a little bit later on. Also so, a really good time to like, comment, and subscribe <laughs> on this channel. That's right. Why, why haven't you done that already? Thank you for it if you've already done it. Uh, we offer you tons of great content, lots of good shit coming up for Worlds as well. Thanks to esportsbet.io. As usual, use our referral link if you're going to be predicting through uh, the end of the year in esports. Lots of stuff with the World Championship, the major in CSGO, all major esports available for betting on their website. And they have so many bonuses, as we've discussed. You can even play for free just by signing up with DJT and still win actual money. So good time to do that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and be back with Jensen. Right, we're back with our guest, which is Jensen Gore. Not obviously Jensen from Cloud9. He's busy at the moment. It's a great week Schmidt. for Jensen's, though. It is. It is. It's a great <laughs> week. Also for exposing frauds, as you'll find out. But here's the thing. I'll tell you actually a funny, quick anecdote, which is like slightly embarrassing. But as you know, I don't really have any shame in that regard. Right. I've even told Jensen this story myself, which is one time on Twitter, no, on Discord, because he is just also called Jensen on Discord. And you can imagine, Monty, I have the other Jensen on Discord. There was a night where I'm not joking at like three in the morning or something. I was high as shit. And I did message the wrong one. And I asked this Jensen, like, I want to do like a reflections interview. And the way I knew I was wrong immediately was I'm pretty sure his response was like, oh, it'd be like a, a privilege to do that. And I was like, oh, wait, fart. And then I was like, yeah, I might get, I'll get back to you like on the off season with that maybe. And then like, obviously I just like quietly like, oh shit. Like, it's a way to, I like Googling, it's a way to delete your own memories. Like, you know, like, that happened. That happened is all I'm going to say. That happened. Okay. But the reason he's here now though, because I, I gave this build up on the 
best on League Show, but it's a good angle. If people don't know, I like people generally who have their own take, their own perspective. But one thing I really like, it's why I've always liked the LSs of the world, the veterans, Monty, Froscorin. I like people who essentially try to make their own, like, actual system of modelling, basically. Like, they don't just have, like, the same thing of, like, oh, the top ledge. They have, like, their whole perspective, like, built on fundamental principles. And then the idea is, if you have that lens, you can apply it to any region, any team. And so one of the things that, the reason I brought him as a guest on Best Damn League Show was, I knew he would have a different take on how he would break down the series. Like, for example, he had a really interesting one on the Rogue Mad Lions one. He had Rogue as, like, the farm team and the Mad Lions as, like, the map control team. It's like, how will the styles match? Whereas all everyone else does, obviously, is, like, just say early game, like, loose terms out of there. Just say, like, ah, oh, the ADC versus the ADC. Like, we just do all the fucking, the boomer TV narratives, basically. So <laughs> what I want to see, and this is what has been hyped here, so you better fucking deliver as well, is he has hyped the notion that we're going to do this with the LPL teams. By the way, the best the best region ever to do it with because they're all stylistically different and yep. crucially that's why if you don't know guys LPL playoffs is a nightmare to predict because it's not about number one versus number three it's like does number three have a better style right they beat number one then that's how the fucking league goes <laughs> I can tell you as a top esports fan no game is safe <laughs> but it also helps explain a lot of LPL team performance at Worlds because yeah, they all yeah. have such unique identities which leads to when the world's when they arrive at worlds and the world's meta hits, yes. sometimes you know the Korean teams very consistently like at least make it out of groups compared to Chinese teams historically. Um, and then sometimes you just get like FPX just fucking face planting like they did at worlds last year, and then you get teams that probably you know shouldn't be as good as they are actually kind of making it to the finals winning worlds sometimes that are not the favorites coming in oh, assuming made the finals was mental man. That, that was yeah, ridiculous the fact that yeah. they like beat top anyway yeah sure. <laughs> like the fact that suiting made the finals was definitely like yes. felt like a meta team but also fbx winning worlds was kind of like well yeah yeah it, you know this is them stumbling into the right meta at the right time so because of their styles they tend to have very high highs but they can also just completely shit the bed as a result Oh, what was it? Spoiler. Sure. You spoiled on Twitter. You said that you were going to expose a an Eastern team as a fraud. So let's go. Which is the which fraud? If, which if, the you fraud heard the, if you heard the convo before the break, we desperately need the fucking corpium that there is a team to expose. So come on. Who is the <laughs> okay. Asian team okay. you can expose? I, I, I think I think that's that's that, that's a few ways to to start this conversation off. Um, I'm just gonna put uh JDG on blast, right? Because I think oh. that this team I is thought it the was top, team. but I'm I'm curious why you think. Just thinking JDG's the truth now, so come on, hit me with it. Come on. <laughs> so um, if you're watching, so uh, I mean, it's a terrible week for 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 me in terms of my model of League of Legends, right? Because if yes. my model of League of Legends says that the map control teams, uh, the map control style of play is superior way to, superior way to play, all the map control teams across the world are losing. Right, yes. EDG lost, XL lost, uh, Mad Lions lost, yep. EG lost, and the Mystic Reduction uh, farm-centric type of teams are the ones that are winning instead in the series. So we could talk a little bit about uh, the meta, or we, actually let's let's go into the meta now, and then I'll circle back as to why I think uh, JDG got a fraud, right? Because I think that the way that Riot balances the game, right, and this is something that's very unique to esports itself, and uh, I think what they've done throughout the entire summer split is that they have uh, made very very drastic changes right it's like imagine you're you're a tennis player and you're playing at um in, in the us open right which is a hard court format and then you reach the semi-finals 
and all of a sudden say, oh, uh, we're going to be playing on a clay court now, right? Where the, ball, where, where the ball is slower. Sure, you can still apply the same basics and stuff like that, but now you've got to put more spin on the ball. Uh, the approach to the game is going to be slightly different. And then when you, you go into the next round, sorry, let's, let's, let's go with quarterfinals first, right? Because this, is, this was a little bit more of a slow burn. And then when you go into, the, sorry, so semifinals, we put on a clay court. Um, sorry, quarterfinals, we put on a clay court. Semifinals, now what we're going to do is we're going to replace the tennis ball with a wiffle ball. So it flights even slower now yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and everything. And all of a sudden, when you reach the finals, instead of playing a best of five, you're playing a best of nine now, right? So they, they double the amount of game time overall. And this is what's happening in League of Legends as well, right? Where they came in in summer, they started things off with the durability patch. And I had this like long thread about how I think that this is going to uh, favor, favor the farm-centric style of teams a little bit more. Turns out the LPL teams and all these map control styles, they, they still have very uh, good ways to attack the game. It didn't fundamentally change the game. Right, then things like Zeri became more prevalent. They introduced Silver back into the game. These champions are very good at being uh, farm efficient and then winning fights when they're done in numbers. And I think the final big thing that saw the shift in the meta was the changes to Drake, where now simply starting a Drake off at 5.30 or 6 minutes is going to be very difficult simply because of how tanky, tanky the Drake is. Yep. So in the past, you would see uh, teams forcing soul point fights at like 21, 22 minutes. Now that's easily been delayed by 4 to 5 minutes, which means that 80 carries... Even if they're set behind, they they get to very comfortably complete a second item, and if they're on par, they even can complete three items uh, even before the soul point comes up as a game-winning objective. So this is this is how League of Legends has become like this entire idea of like you you might be a uh, served into a volley type of player. That's the tennis analogy once again, and all of a sudden the speed of the game is not so slow, where it rewards a completely different style of play, where if you're playing to just defend and you're just hitting jank shots, you're just dropping the ball, you're going for lobs and stuff like that, and you're playing to tire out your opponent rather than trying to actively win the game itself, um, this current meta, it rewards that a lot more. So um, I, I thought there was a little bit of hope at first when I was watching LNG play, and I, I actually thought that when the Final Four was LNG, EDG, and uh, top and JDG, I actually thought that LNG might be a secret dark horse to win that. We can talk a little bit about that series later on as well, because once again, I have a huge bias towards the Dota B map control style of play, where he's playing from Reactor, and it's like, well, this is amazing. Um, and I, I always tell my players, you know, laning phase doesn't matter, itemization doesn't matter, it's all about the mid game, right? But this card matter, the mid game doesn't matter. The two things that matters the most is the laning phase, because that dictates yep. if you're on the driver's seat and if you and what's the timer and windows in which you are forcing your opponents to come into you and your ability to execute on those uh, mid to late game team fights around 30 to 35 minutes these are the two most important things to be able to do in this current meta and, and i think you, i was gonna say i think you're spot on with that jensen because we've actually seen kind of a bifurcation of the meta into laning champs so here's lucian nami here's Callista, here's draven and then siver and zeri who are more we're going to play passively and wait for some of this as far as the dragon stuff goes i generally agree although i think if you have a dominant enough bot lane matchup or you're doing very well in in your matchup you actually i mean we still see six minute dragons seven minute dragons taken but yeah it is it's certainly much harder to take them before but the rewards are also potentially greater right so there is a reason to do that and in a way it also helps keep some of these early game comp teams in the game uh for longer or at least 
competitive when it comes to the late game. So yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I think that's what's so interesting about the current meta is we can see highly accelerated early games based on uh, lane dominance, basically. But we also can see those leads evaporate once a Zeri or a Sivir hits four items into the game, even if you have a massive gold deficit. I mean, we can just look at, you know, start by talking about the JDG top esports series where that happened a lot. Uh, uh, also happened uh, in the EDG top series as well, where there were like 10K gold leads. And yes, mistakes had to be made in order to get there, but overcoming those kind of deficits traditionally has been quite hard, even when your opponent does make mistakes because the value of some of these champions in late game team fighting is so high. Um, we, we can talk a little bit about the, the Zeri in the meta, right? So if you look at the champions who have the most uh, pentakills in the history of League of Legends in competitive play, uh, I'm not talking about Solo Q, that's going to be that Masti or Katarina or some, yeah, something yeah, yeah. where Silver's just pop off one, right? It's Kaisa. Kaisa's the, the top one with, I think, uh, over 100, right? She's got 139. And then the second is Jinx with 89 kills, right? Zeri, in one year of gameplay, she already has 35. And the reason why this champion is so strong <laughs> is that usually... Clean up, like, dude. Kaisa... <laughs> Okay, go. Can't go in. <laughs> and she's like this assassin type AD character that can instantly fight and back the team up a fight, right? Or you can play as Jinx, where you play this kite back style and then you re-engage once the opponent commits into you. Why why is Zeri so broken right now? Is that you get to be both. You get to be That's both true. Kaisa and Jinx. You can play this. I'm gonna play it back, you come into me, I pop the ulti and then I I go forward after that. Or you can play this assassin style of Zeri as well. And of course, Yumi, everybody's um favorite champion in the game, is Obviously, not of this champion, right? Most, most enchanters they have the problem of like, I can't keep up with an AD carry that's running at 7 million miles oh. an hour, but you mean just sits on top of this area and they just run everybody down in, in, in the team fights. Jensen, the way I've described her also on this show previously is she's just a win more champion because professional teams are pretty good at disengaging once they have a disadvantage, like once they blow too many summoners or they use a, you know, an ultimate or a, a member of the team dies. The problem is, is that once Zeri starts winning a fight, you cannot leave. Like, you can't back and then try and contest 3v5 or 4v5 at a Baron by teleporting, right? She will literally just hunt every single member of your team down using her speed, her ability to go over walls, her ability to cancel recalls over walls, um, her, you know, her ability to slow over walls. Like, it's it's actually crazy. So basically what she does is she can clean up an entire team fight super easily, get that pentakill, and then turn onto objectives completely uncontested. And so her win more is really like, I think the biggest problem with her kit right now, because you cannot stop her from just devouring your entire team once she starts, once she starts. And there's very little counterplay. And that's the Jinx part of it, right? The win more kind of situation. Yep. Same thing. Jinx gets a kill. She gets to reset bonus AS and MS. And she can run people down. But the thing about Zeri is that Jinx needs <laughs> Jinx help over walls. in the first place, right? <laughs> this is Jinx that can go over a wall. She can go in there. Support's exposed. I'm jumping. I one shot the support. And then now I'm running an entire team down as well. That's that's why I say that this champion gets to be both Jinx and yep. Kai'Sa at the same time. And that's why and, I think it's uh, so crazy. And can poke as well. I mean, yep. that's that's the other problem is like... And Varus too, apparently. When you're spamming the lasers, uh, uh, you know, every, every few seconds, because if you have any amount of cooldown reduction, you're dealing with an ability that's coming out like every five six seconds basically critting doing insane damage and just softening up people before the fight even begins so i mean it's very clear that at the professional level this champion is like insanely broken um and is is kind of what is shaping the the overall entire meta right now because the existence of this champion is creating scenarios where you either have to match her with a sivir in front to back team fighting 
or and Sivers also broken, but or you have to just shut her down so hard in the laning phase and in the early game that they don't they have less. I won't say have no chance. They have less of a chance of dominating you in the late game because you can still dominate somebody in the late game. Actually, talking about a silver matchup, this is something that I found with, that was quite interesting when I was just doing my my prep um, for the show. Is that I I believe the silver uh, in this Zeri versus silver matchup, uh, Zeri has won nine out of the last ten games against silver, and hmm. I think that teams keep opting into it though because um, in theory, silver gets pushed in the lane. You can kind of match her in the rest of the game, uh, but the problem is that the type of champions that silver does well with actually do very poorly into Zeri. So when you have silver, you usually want to have like the it's the silver comp meme, right? You want to press R and run with a bunch of meatballs and bruises and stuff like that. You know what's great at killing those champions? Zeri, right? Which is why uh, Lucian, which seems to be the other champion, where I think a lot of people think that that Lucian is this uh, only early game champion. Where yes, he gets a lot of agency in the laning phase, but his ability to take fights uh, against Zeri and the Zeri comp without committing fully committing to a fight actually makes him the the better answer against the Zeri Yumi Zeri Lulu style compositions. Right, but that's that's just an aside, right? Let's kind of go back to the topic of why I think JDG are frauds, right? So, yep, sorry. I think that, that JDG is, um, this is a situation where, I mean, it's like when, when in, in StarCraft, you like you will have like these times where certain Zerg players or, or Terran players are put off space and all of a sudden they're like winning tournaments and stuff like that because of a batch and a certain type of unit or a certain map in the pool becomes particularly strong for one particular type of strategy. Basically, in, uh, the best example ever is in StarCraft 2 when Zerg was overpowered. It wasn't that, like, the best Zerg champion gets dissed, but if you're a guy who never came close to a championship and you suddenly won it, they called you a patch Zerg because the premise yep. was it's only because the patch basically made you hyper-powerful for that one time. That's what you're sort of implying here, right? That's why, because if people don't know, JDG, look, they were still a good team all split, but they weren't, like, the best team like they're looking now. So I'm assuming the premise is going to be that this meta has, like, boosted them a little bit. Because if, if you look at where JDG is strong at, right, I think that where they've really excelled in is in, in the laning phase and in terms of the, these late game team fights and stuff like that. I think uh, they're doing fine. They're doing better than some of the other teams who are obviously just making very serious team fighting mistakes. So I'm, I'm not too sure as in this is a team that plays more towards like uh, Mystic Reduction and stuff like that. And given the nature of the LPL, it's very difficult to watch every single game. And JDG wasn't one of the teams that I watch very religiously in terms of like, this is a team that I, I really like, right? Because I, I prefer not to watch the win, lane, um, win game type of teams. And this is going to be, this team is going to be a fraud. And I'm calling them a fraud because I think that this is a team that if, if they win the LPL, which is uh, they're facing off against TES, they're going to play a best of five. Uh, there is a world where they win the LPL. They're going to oh. go into worlds. Everybody's going to be hyping them. They're going to be looking at all these players saying that, wow, these guys are so great. Uh, we don't know how the metagame is going to be changing when it goes to worlds. And this is a team that there's a very good chance they just completely bought more of groups. Because I think that this team has got no idea how to play the mid game. And even then, uh, with all these leads they're getting, even in the LNG set, they, they tree zero them and stuff like that. You give that to any other team, and that game was over in 20 minutes. And when... JDG plays it, their mid game is so atrocious where it comes to a point where these teams with 8,000 gold deficits can find ways back into the game, can find ways to get to the team fighting phase, and then it just goes back and forth. And um, the TES JDG series, a lot of people would uh, say that that's the, the best series that um, of League of Legends in 2022, and possibly 
sure. in the history of sure. League of Legends. But to not, me, as somebody that who... one. The first one, maybe. The second one, no. <laughs> yeah, the and, second and, one's and... more like the Lolly Esports <laughs> Fion take, which gets all the attention on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. The first one was good. Let's stick with the first one. <laughs> as somebody who models the, the, the game in this like chess manner, right? This is like this is an absolute nightmare. I hate watching this series because this is a team that gets elite. They don't know how to press elite. They don't understand what it means to be first on the map. They don't know how to approach mid lane. And the styles for the objectives are uh, very wonky. I would almost say that this is where you would say that, that um, and people always say, oh, but in, in China and Korea, they always do these ARMs too, right? So why is it that people always stop at NA? It almost felt like that. There's some differences here, right? Because they're like playing chess, they're putting the knight in these places, but the knight grows wings and all of a sudden he's like taking three pieces. So that's the difference between what they're doing the LPL and um, in, in the LCS or some of the lower tier. The only problem with that analogy oh, is maybe games. don't use the fucking knight when there is a player called knight in the game, Jensen. That's the only reason you confused because I got lost there. Like, so wait a minute, what was he playing? Like, fucking, what? he was playing Swain or something, I guess. He got wings or something. He was flying or something. All right, fuck I mean, it, it, also, he meant the piece in chess, all obviously. Right. The all right, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll play, I'll play devil's advocate here Come for on. you a little bit, and I'll talk about what was good about this series. Um, so there were, first off, the team fighting was really good, I think, in this series overall. And so when we're just talking about team fight micro, what was so impressive is that both teams were doing an excellent job of keeping track of summoner cooldowns. They had very clear objectives in both fights, which led to really skillful and very even team fighting because each team would like kill half the other team and then have to withdraw licking their wounds because they knew exactly like which target they needed to go on in this fight based on the positioning, based on cooldowns, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, to sing JDG's praises a little bit, one thing that they do very well is that they are not cowards, and even when they're down, they are going to try and fight, and they are really good at finding the right engage from a deficit. Like, they will identify who is weak, when they can strike, and they just all in instantly with one mind and are able to pull off some rather unlikely engages on certain targets if they're left alone, um, as we saw against top esports. Uh, so I do think that, and Hope also played really well in this series in terms of team fighting ADC. Uh, I do think I think Yagao's rise was really impressive. I, he was you know pretty good on some of these other champions. I think the the downside to this is that top, as good as Jackie Love was, Wayward has had a kind of a bad couple of series. Uh, which is unfortunate considering he was still essentially a rookie. To be fair, yeah, like, I, give him, and, I give him leeway on that one. Yeah, yeah, and and Knight also was not great in the mid and late games like he didn't have a lot of the carry performances that you would want out of him so i think like the top performers on top were were more or less like mark stepped up i would say mark was was pretty good in this series but jackie love was was particularly impressive but i do think the solo lanes left something to be desired on top esports i guess i want to ask a question from jensen on that one which is one of the things like i'm a massive night fanboy by the way i actually do think this guy was like the best player in the world every day every day except world slash the lpl finals for about the last three years like he does look basically people don't know the eye test checks out like a motherfucker on this player he is so good but then the problem is when you're that good anytime you ever do basically just play a normal game you wonder what's going on so one thing i wondered about this one here is like some of the drafting like it does look like they drafted for the player i watched dude like why is he playing lissandra you know what i mean like why is he on these champions like what like knight's the guy you want on the silas you want him like smashing the game dude like what do you think jensen do you think they were like too conservative with the draft on him or they were trying to play to the meta or something what do you think i think it's more towards what the meta forts them at this point of time um and it's also a lot about uh trying to identify like what the scrim blocks were right i think that this 
it's only after this weekend where where the cookie kind of crumbled and then we see all the map control teams losing and then this idea of like the proactive mode with the proactive style of play not necessarily uh being better i think it did the sandra against um that was against ari right yeah so you, you're you just looking for like that the lockdown against him it's not like they're putting it actively like how um v5 would blind pick Lissandra for 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 rookie right so it's more of like a champion specific thing it's, it's match specific thing uh and of course i think knight's most well known the champion that people most closely associate with him is Syndra, which is a champion that's been out of meta for some time now so i would tell bjergsen but yeah keep going <laughs> did he play Syndra this weekend? He, he played it. No, no, he, no, he did play it in LCS. He did play it in LCS. Yeah. He lost, unsurprisingly. Um, but I also think, at least in the Lissandra pick, Thorin, that like when you're playing the Draven and you're playing into like it, Vi can't ult Lissandra as long as Lissandra's ult is up. That's what he's playing into. You can lock down Ari. You can lock down the Lucian, who's going to have to be on the front line at some point in time in a team fight, right? So I think it makes a lot of sense with that composition. Also, uh, it, it went on it a little sense, long. But here's right, the difference, yeah. though. It can make sense in the comp. I'm just saying, if I have Knight, I don't want him playing fucking Lissandra Gallio. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to be had it. Whatever. I mean, he on. wasn't really good on the Talia either. Like he had some. He got caught a lot in this series, I would say, um, which which was disappointing. There is, like I said, some credit to be given to JDG because they they do they are very good at engaging on you. Um, and one thing that always tilted me about this JDG team this year has been watching them. Sometimes they just like they'll see you in the enemy jungle and like their whole team will just run in where there's no vision and just like try and kill you. Like if they see you, they will try and kill you, uh, which can work very well if you're out of position. But if you're in position and they don't have vision, they can just completely int uh, at times. So that kind of ties into why I'm saying that JDG are frauds, right? Because I think that is the right idea, right? When you're ahead of the map, when you have the lead, that's actually how you want to play the game. But the way that JDG is doing it, the way that 369 is just walking through the jungle, just getting chunked for free, it should be the other way around this. You're walking into the opponent's jungle and you're chunking the opponents for free because they're, they're done on numbers and you have done the correct setup so that you know that you have the numbers advantage when you're walking in there. And that's why I say that even then, when I'm, I'm just watching JDG in the mid game, they're... They're kind of like this is their, they have this very strange idea of what it means to push the agenda in the game where they're trying to look for these fights, but they're not doing the, the right prerequisite steps in order to, to achieve that. And um, that's kind of why I think that if the, the, the meta changes a little bit at Worlds, or even in this meta where if they go against, so th this is where the, the Copian comes in for the Western teams, right? Where right now, if this meta is going to reward all its mystic reduction teams, where all they're going to be doing is stirling and stuff like that. This is how JDG is going to lose games against them. They're going to go in there, they're going to get big leads against the likes of 100 Thieves and Rogue and stuff like that. But once they reach, reach the mid game, you're going to see 369. Oh, it's a 9 all to the laning phase. And in the mid game, he's going back to being a tree and he's just giving away free kills. It's putting his team into bad fights. I do and stuff love like that, that meme about 369. Because, <laughs> by the way, it's just like so applicable to his style. Although I will say, to be fair, he was way better at his playoffs. He looked like he's better. the joke is once he left top eSports, he's got way better, it seems like. I mean, 369. 9 is that guy is that teammate in solo queue right where they're they're like four five and oh from the laning phase and stuff like that and they start to take all these stuff stupid fights in the mid game and they start to say oh where's my team and stuff like that. and they start flaming you and say oh but you're i'm five and zero uh, no no five and one after they died right and i'm five and one and you're uh oh and one or, or one and one so don't talk to me and stuff like that that every kind of fuse... player ever basically every connected top laner there you go in solo queue exactly <laughs> that kind of feels like what, what what i'm watching when i see, yes. these, see these guys play right so um, I, I think that this is a team that has a very good chance of 
and you won't get to see them play. So there's going to be, until the group stage, so there's going to be all these hermitos around them. They're going to like lose the game or two in the group stage. So people people are going to be like, oh, um, maybe they just turn it on and stuff like that. I don't think this team can like turn it on and stuff because this is a team that um, they have to, This if this is what they're showing in the LPL playoffs, um, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm just very concerned for them in general. And back to the topic of Knight, if you really want to see, if you're a Knight fanboy, if you want to see how good Knight is, and if Knight is going to be, if you're someone writing an article for LOL Esports before you, you put anybody else over there, <laughs> go and watch EG versus the first game of EG versus TS. That is what you want yep. to see from Knight when he played yeah, at Akali. Yeah. And this is why I, I, I was thinking of FSK. Maybe that two frauds coming from the LPL, right? It's 2020 again. TS and JG representing the LPL, right? Oh, these is this combo and maybe the LCK wins worlds once again when these two teams are at the top. But, Listen, uh, time trigger activated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but, uh, it, it's it's interesting yeah. to to talk about too because uh, uh, top has top has thrown some pretty some pretty big leads, um, and like uh, it's it's concerning to see that in some of the JDG series, but also like, I guess you see them coming back against EDG, but realistically that EDG series probably should have been game two and especially game three wins for EDG. EDG had like a 10,000 gold lead. And yes, Jackie Love played out of his mind, but it, it also was like Flandre getting caught in a dark jungle alone in multiple games. Like, I, I don't know what Flandre was thinking in some of these games. He would literally like, be in his side of the jungle. It would be completely dark. He would walk in there, see one member of top esports, start trying to kill them while Viper, who is mega fed, is literally on the opposite side of the map. He has no idea where the rest of the members of top are and he just dies. He just, all of a sudden, four members of top are there and he's just dead. And Viper and Scout are just like running around the map being like, wait for me, Flandre. Like the macro was was absolutely horrible from EDG. Um, and it cost them that then they would give up Baron, give up a bunch of objective bounties. It was it was pretty sloppy. I I actually at EDG has quite highly rated in terms of the chess game uh, macro macro team onto that top esports series. That it's kind of the opposite, right? Because I thought that top esports was once again it's like everybody criticizes Knight and like top esports is I think. Uh, yeah, in 2020, right, where Peter Dunn characterized them as the one-lane team from the LPL, and that's the way that they played the game, and that's how the JDG set played out, and this is kind of why like people hyped it up because these two teams just kept ramming hates into each other and keep taking kept taking this five on fives um in or, around the mid lane in the set. But when they played against EDG, they understood how to play around the side lanes. They set things up really well in their first game. And of course, when it came to the team fighting portion and, and the subsequent games, they were able to turn it around as well. So that's where I actually gave more marketing to TS. I said, well, they know how to do these style setups where they're connecting the, the solo laners and setting up these traps for, for the dirty inters and the side lane and, and stuff like that. And <laughs> that's where I my stock on TS probably went up a little bit higher and I took them out of the fraud category. And it's like, I think that this is a team that um, they have the tools to play against the LCK. But the thing is, um, it kind of feels like they play to the strengths of their opponent, right? They, if if they played this way against JDG, yes. I actually think they would have won that set if they chose to play the macro game against them instead of trying to fight them strength for strength. And then they chose to play the macro game against EDG. Of course, just strengths in terms of like the team fighting and stuff like that and just abusing the fact that Flandre, uh, I don't know, maybe he wants to go on an early holiday or something. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's what's wild though dude right again as someone who's followed knight's whole career think about this jensen right i was loving it when that news came in that off season like you won't believe this they've traded fucking 369 for zoom it's like oh it's over boys you guys don't even know 
369 motherfuckers in so many of those games for top in the past. He's gone now, finally. He's gone. He's a bomb. Get him out. Get Zoom in here, the best spoiler. There's a reason we haven't said Zoom's name yet. He got benched immediately, and the fucking wayward guy came in and has just been played instead. Zoom is gone. It's just over. So then, right, the reason I always hated 369 was exactly the meme. He's just too, there's too much high variance to his playing style. So of all the players they get, here's the difference. I was cool with Casa. Yeah, Casa can throw the odd game. He's a really solid player. Of course, they had to bring the same variants, but into the fucking jungle because they brought me Tian, another fucking Tian giveth, Tian taketh away player. And what's brilliant is that people don't know he's had a really good split. He was yes. the fucking MVP. He was awesome. But if you saw game five, oh, that's what it all leads to. That's what it leads to. That you're the MVP, you winning all these games. It's awesome. No, it, it, Gets that game five, the ultimate betrayal, the ultimate betrayal. I mean, oh, the, that was so the, rough. Tian, the oh, Tian story is very oh. interesting, right? Because he's the MVP of, of the world champion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, true. Uh, last year, he was fucking terrible at Worlds on FPX. Uh, then he is now the summer split MVP coming off an amazing split. I know Dom now thinks he's like the best jungler of all time because Dom just like deleted Worlds from his brain last okay. year, I guess. <laughs> and, now, and now like in, in these playoffs, he definitely had some whoopsie moments. Also played very well general. in general. Go on, Jensen. What do you think? <laughs> on, on Tien or on top? Yeah, on Tien. Uh, I think this is, I mean, last year's uh, performance on FPX is injured. I think this is, it's not a fair job. He had like RSI right? in, uh, injury at the time, basically. That's why if people don't know, he was actually out most of the year, a mix of like in, in, in injury, and he only came in late in the summer, right? I think, right? Yeah, and, and that that performance at Worlds is probably something that you you have to look back at and remember that this is a team that have fallen apart, right? And I think when it comes yes. to a lot of these like top performing, super performing teams, we can talk a little bit about V five later because I think that they have kind of moved into this camp as well, where where the team starts to come apart at the seams, and m maybe that's where EDG is at, at the moment. Like this is all pure speculation, right? So don't I I don't have any inside information as to what's happening with these teams, uh, and that's what happened in FPX last year, right? That where you hear all these accounts where people are saying that I mean. Nuguri took a break after after the Wolves for for a reason. So um, I I wouldn't judge him based off the the Wolves performance. And I think that this is this is a team where at first I I, I really hate the watching uh, tests in spring because this is a team that they would just take those flips and they'll fight you mid two v two regardless of the situation, right? And they would just outhands you. So once again, for the people who are like, oh, it's all about mechanics. It's like this is the best team in the world. And for me, it's like, no, this you're not supposed to win that fight, but they just win it anyway, right? Um kind of scenario so that that was that was kind of my thoughts on the end but i think uh in the, in the summer split especially in playoffs so far i think that they've been solid so far uh inconsistency i think that this that just comes with that just comes with the jungle room man. like sometimes you, you you gotta take your shots especially with the rest of your team especially your solo sololiness be, being um night and wayward it's kind of been the identity of every single night team where you're willing to take these fights and yes. sometimes you enter sometimes you just enter it's right. the reason why all top esports lineups which as you say now the joke is it's only night and fucking jackie love left like they're all this massive high variance they can <laughs> either like beat anyone but they can lose the exact same team the next game they really are like that insane and also by the way one thing i'll actually give mad props to tian for is that he done this all without doing because i'll tell you what if you don't know the dirty secret in the chinese scene was Everyone just gave credit for his world's performance to Doinby. Everyone just said, oh, Crispin Tian, yeah, they look good on the screen, but it's secretly Doinby just fucking pop it in them. So listen, that might even have been true early on, but listen, he doesn't have Doinby anymore. He was the fucking MVP, deservedly so. So yeah, I think it's clearly had some development as a player. Yeah, I mean, I, um, 
talk about Doin B, I should we move on to LNG? Yeah, I do think sure. that this is a team that oh I don't know. This is this is just my bias speaking, but I really want to see these go to worlds, you know. They look so yes. bad in summer and then when it came to the playoffs, they're doing the Nocturne, they're doing the Renekton. I, I just oh want to God. see the in the face of this meta. Right, and how B is betting all these teams in, uh, into picking Renekton and stuff like that, and they look so bad on it. They're building wrong, they're playing it wrong, and it's a very idiosyncratic B team, and I think that if the LPL wants to like, kind of maximize its chances in terms of going to Worlds Day, I really hope they send, they send LNG, because if it shifts back into this map control style, LNG is the best team in the world doing that. I think that they have... Ollie, he looks like he's inting in some of these games in the mid game, yes. but it's actually very tactical, right? It's like he's <laughs> he's using the Megan Art to draw lots of pressure, and yeah. he's he's got the most important thing is that how to tell if a player is inting on the silent or not is if he if he dies, right? If he gets the wave, uh, then there's an argument that's like did he sufficiently draw pressure, right? But if if you're just he dying can die if you draw enough pressure, team. right? It's okay to yeah. die sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, as, and long how your, as long as your team is trading cross map and you're not just like falling behind crazily in terms of farm and levels, then it, it can be okay. And, uh, and how you determine that is the, the question is, did, did he get the wave, right? And, and when, when I'm watching Ollie, he's getting the wave and he's getting out in all these situations. And because of the way that he and Doan be playing with this very uh, playing through sight lane kind of style, which is which flies in the face of what this meta kind of currently oh. rewards, um, is that they are getting all these pushing sight lanes and they're able to create numbers of advantages. Uh, but unfortunately, Zarian Silver just show up and they just win the team fight, I guess. Um, so By the way, I, I love that angle though, because what's gangster as fuck about that Doinby angle is he's actually like mind gaming the shit out of the opponent because he's getting them to pick the champions he's picking, thinking they're really good. And then when they're terrible, that's just going to ultra mind game because then you just lost completely. Like, well, fuck. Do I stop him taking them? But wait, if, if but if it's not good though, then why why would I stop? So fuck, wait, shit. Do I want to? Do I want? Do I even want that champion? Or do I want him to have it? Or do I not? Like it's like if you do the betting, Monty. You know when you bet one way and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm sick of losing to that team. Right, what? I bet on that team this time. If they then lose, you just lost that. You're like, well, I'm just of shit. Then it's just me in it. Like fuck. Like in that scenario, like I don't know what you do in that case, man. Like because that's the thing about Doinby always is like it's clear. By the way, I used to think he only did these picks because he just couldn't play in the better champions, but if you you saw like the last year he could learn anything he wants mate like he's doing this out of choice like he must be your favorite player in that sense then jensen if you if you want someone where it's like it's not about even laning like it's about like what can this champion do in the comp in the mid game like what power does it have right yeah precisely and i think that a, a lot of what i base the game on is like just from watching uh doing beat Doing beast teams play right, and um, I mean, it's. I think there's been things on the record that say that he's effectively a player coach. He kind of like yes. swaps the team around to play his style of League of Legends, which is which has basically what the analogy him. Monty is. He basically is Peyton Manning. He's like the offensive yeah. coordinator, but while <laughs> yeah, playing yeah, the yeah. game as well, he's trying yeah, to run yeah, the yeah. game like that, isn't he? That's the analogy. So, so I, I'm really hoping that LNG G makes it to Worlds. And I think that this is there. There is a world out there where, where I think it's very possible that LNG was just absolutely destroying scrims with with this Renekton mid and stuff like that. Which is why we see like teams in in, in the LCK start to pick it up as well with Faker playing the Renekton mid. Although I think they yep. didn't capture the essence of why um, this champion was strong. And this is something that I think that there's only two teams in the world who should, should ever do it. Right? One is uh one is LNG, and the second is G2. Because I think that these are the only two teams, and uh, I would say possibly test after I after what I saw against EDG, right? I think that these are the only three teams that understand what's the purpose of this champion, why you build the drinking and not go drinker, 
And the idea is that you're not playing this as the, the traditional reactant where you want to spike and you want to team fight. You're playing him so that you get some form priority, and then you have a champion that wins on side lane when you hit your blood ring king spike, and then you build tank here after that, and you use that to create these advantages in the side lanes, right? But if you are a Mystic Reduction kind of skilling team fighting double team, stay away, stay away, very, very far away from the Renekton and stick <laughs> to the Orn, play the Sejuani instead, or just stay at Jax in the top lane or something, you know, if you really want something that can re really fight in, in those places, because you, you weren't, um, you don't have the build up to really understand that this is the timings that he's looking for and this is what he's trying to achieve with it. And we, we saw, it's, it's a very interesting parallel, right? Because in that game, in the third game of um, LNG versus, was it JDG, right? JDG. Uh, they, they, they lost mid 2v2 twice, right? And a lot of people are like, wow, if you do react in Italy and you die mid 2v2, it's the, the game is kind of over, right? But they pulled that game back. They actually knew how to pull that game back. And they actually made the game look competitive. And Doin B was just doing so much in the run acting. He wasn't like beasting and team fights and stuff like that. At first, when I saw them die, I was like, oh, well, this game looks like it's over. Uh, the run acting is going to be a cannon minion. And then he's just doing all these things on the side lane. He's getting so much map pressure for them, where they're actually able to put themselves in the, in the winning position. Um, unfortunately, like uh, just kind of like ran it and into the game away on the mid lane when they had, when they had the Baron buff. But um, you compare it to the, the T1 game where the same thing happened, right? They played the Renekton into the silence, they died 2v2 mid, and then the game just looks so terrible from that point of from, from that point onwards, right? Where it, it feels like they can't get a single footing in the game, and um, it just looks completely doomed from T1 from that point. Here's the thing. Obviously, you hinted at it earlier. We've got to talk about V5. Because if people don't know, Top and V5 were supposed to be the best fucking LPL teams if you went with most of the split. And... Mate, I'm so sick of the same... It's funny that the, it's mad how many people's storyline, even if they change team and teammate, it's just the same in the LPL. So in the same way as every top lineup, even if you change a bunch of the players, always is this like... Upper, they're always like the team that should win the whole playoffs, but then they lose a match early and then it's game five. So it's like, it's always weird. It's quite, the Doin, if people don't know, the Doin B one's the same. Every, yes, it's, even though it's all different teammates, same style of play, always is super, way more successful than it should be, doesn't always win. The rookie one is doing my nutting at the moment, mate, because individually, rookie, I actually think has surpassed Faker in terms of body of work. He has way more years as the best mid laner in the world than Faker does. Go count him up. If you don't know, you just didn't watch the LPL, I'm just telling you. He's fucking unbelievable. And he's playing more competition. He's playing best of threes. The playoff format, sturdy as fuck. You sometimes play the best team twice in two by all fives like you can't fuck with the body of works nuts but this is what sucks have a jungler <laughs> a lot of times he's had some really whack teammates this is what sucks dude how many fucking years does his team have to be the best in spring and then fall apart right when the fucking summer playoffs comes about right at the point where you have the gauntlet or you have to win dude if he doesn't go to worlds i'm gonna be so tilted this time because the joke is rookie has been good enough to go to worlds like something like the last four years in a row and he made it one time it's so fucking sick it's so it looks like it's gonna happen again doesn't it it's gonna v5's gonna fucking throw it aren't they oh i mean it's uh I, I don't want to say, you know, this is this is a team where, as early as Fabry, I thought that this is the best team in the world, right? And they, they kind of choked it, I think, that this is where they, they got hit by the TES mojo, right? In the spring playoffs. And when it went to summer, this team, they continued to look like it. Like, Rookie was at a break, Dream was playing. It's like, well, even with a substitute playing, this identity of the team. And uh, to the add-on to the point yeah. about Rookie, I, I used to be like, yeah, he's really good at playing that Rookie style. And when he was still playing on IG, where he plays the Oriana, and it's like really good at major stuff, like what people think of like uh, Chovy and stuff like that. And I wasn't really a big fan of that, but I would say that that I always preferred the Doin B. But I think that this year he really stepped up his game. He really uh, picked up the Lissandra, played the Galio, and played this map control style as well. He really expanded his pool. It's kind of like when Faker did that very impressive um, Season 7 run with the Galio, where he transcended what it yes. meant to be a mid laner. So I yes. thought that Rookie achieved that. I thought that this was a very intelligent 
uh, GMing decision, putting this team together. Rich, not the best top laner in the world, but very serviceable and very suitable to this mid-jungle pairing of Ruki and Karsa. Right, and then the bot lane is like a floating and PP God. Okay, PP God uh, engaged support player suits this style of what they want to try to do. I thought that this was a very well put together uh, team. And so when they started putting these results, they they evolved rookie style to be able to play this map control style as well. I thought that this team would definitely be the best team at Worlds. And all of a sudden, okay, Xiaolong uh, Bao was playing in the jungle. XLB is playing in the jungle, right? And yeah. uh, you, you started wondering like, what's going on in the camp? And they, they beat JDG, right? They beat JDG with Karsa. And after that, Karsa is no longer playing until they are down one to two something like that yep. and then Karsa has to come back on right i and mean there's after, still rumors after, that he didn't scrim with the team at all after they beat jdg after, after a bell death game too i mean <laughs> it's uh, just had the vibe of that whole nagori swapping damn one it's like what's going on here what the fuck is going on when i'm not in the room what <laughs> so yeah it, it just looks like internally uh there's a lot of disagreements probably over what the team identity is over what the meta is like and uh i wouldn't say that this is entirely on their fault right it's, it's like we talked about the entire tenant synergy right this game has changed you're not playing a hardcore you're playing on a clay court with a wiffle ball and then the tension of your rackets now is no longer standard tension the riders change all of these things Right, so probably there's a lot of disagreements in the back room, and uh, probably that's the reason why we are seeing these things happening. Karsa has always been, once again, a very idiosyncratic player, right? 2020, when he went to Worlds, it's one of my favorite quotes in League of Legends all time, right? Where he said, when you when you play well, you are the meta, right? And when everybody's asking, oh, why aren't you playing like this Graves, Nidalee, and stuff like that, he's just playing least in every single game. And everybody's like just running around circle, circles around him, and is like, nope, screw that, I'm ganking this lane. And he makes it work. That is a fire oh. quote, I can't lie. That's on yeah. some like, but, but you can't play that. That's not better. Like, I am the meta. <laughs> I am the meta. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> That's the same. Uh, so I, I'm guessing there's probably some um, uh, internal team disagreements about where to proceed and how they want to play in this meta, right? Which is also, once again, the, the disadvantages of maybe Ruki transcending this style, right? That now that, oh, wait, I can do this and I can do that, but which one do I choose? Because... Yes. You can't be Galio and Azir at the same time, right? So you have to you have to make a choice in draft, you have to make a decision, and probably that's where um, my guess is where the, the team started to fray apart in terms of like where's the identity, how they want to play. And I think that that's where they're struggling with right now. Hopefully they can pull it back together. I really hope we get to see that rookie Karsa kind of iteration when they go in uh, to the final playoff set. They play against LNG in the first round. Uh, if either of those teams make it, I hope it's uh, I hope if V5 makes it. I hope it's because they, they got th their stuff together and they know how to get back to playing this map control style. Because I, I would really like to see at least one strong map control team from the LPL go uh, go to Worlds, right? Be it V5 or, or LNG. If you yeah, don't, don't be leading that. And for those of you who are unaware, both LPL and LCK are using the same regional qualifier system, which is that the top two remaining seeds play each other and they basically have double elimination. And then the, the next two seeds play each other and they have single elimination. So basically, it, you know, it'll be RNG versus EDG. Winner gets the third seed. Loser will go into another best of five. V5 and LNG play each other. Uh, loser is eliminated, and the winner of that goes to play the loser of RNG versus EDG. Same shit uh, over in Korea, where you see uh, it will be Damwon versus Live Sandbox in the double limb part of the bracket, and then it will be KT versus DRX in the single limb part of the bracket. So, if you're oh, by if the way, oh, go on. If you're familiar with LCS and LEC playoffs, how some of the teams get automatically seeded in the lower bracket, it's like that, but with four teams instead of six or eight. 
All I want to say is, can we just spare a thought for the real victim of V4's downfall, who is, of course, Fion, the former writer from Upcoming. <laughs> because if you don't think Fion, when this team was the best in spring and then looking amazing in summer, had like 90% of an article scripted about Rich and about how he was the hot faker and now he's going to win the LP. If you don't think that that was just waiting to be dropped. Oh, when the they, it was. It was. The storylines the story are insane, right? Because you have Heroes of the Storm faker versus League of Legends faker. You have Rookie versus faker, potentially. Like all these matchups are are very juicy when it yep. comes to the storylines, which is why we want to see V5 at Worlds because we, you know, in spite of their careers, it has been few and far between that we've actually seen Rookie and Faker play against each other because Rookie left at the end of 2014. It was before his big ascension. Uh, by the time Rookie Rookie's team was good. <laughs> <laughs> I will say good in quotes because I don't think KT arrows were ever actually good, even though they won summer. I mean, SKT was shitty uh, by the end of by the end of that year. Uh, yeah, they had the undefeated split at the start, but by the time spring and summer rolled around, they were kind of bad. So it wasn't and it wasn't because of Faker; it was because everybody else on SKT was playing really badly. Um, so replace everyone, even Bengi was subbed. Like, yeah. so, <laughs> everyone except Faker was out the team. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was bad by the end of 2014 for SKT. So this is all to say that we've never actually seen a, very many games with both Rookie and Faker in good form with good teammates. Indeed. It's definitely a shame. I think that, I mean, this is, it, we always go back to, to complaining about the world's format, right? About how it creates a situation where because of the seeding and you, you can't get your own uh, region in your group. So you, you just end up with all these mirror matches until the very end. And then the finals is basically one LCK team versus the LPL team. And it's just LPL versus LPL on one side, LCK versus LCK on the other side. Yeah. Uh, which is just, it might happen again this year. Uh, has Riot announced the format yet? in terms of how they're seeding things with the force. The problem is, I don't know about like the first part, but as Monty pointed out at the time, if you just look at like the dates of like the, the playoffs, they've released. It, it must be the same normal it team yeah. single in bracket once it gets the playoffs, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just the dates they've announced. There's no other possibility that it could be anything different. So I wouldn't hold out hope this year that it will change, even though hilariously, obviously, Valorant is running GSL groups into eight team double a limb, which is kind of what we want for worlds, but apparently we can't have that. Also, I mean, the seeding is, is always going to be an issue. Um, so I don't know if that'll be fixed. I, I, I hate the seeding less than I hate the format. I will say that. So if I had to prioritize one, I prioritize the format change. Cause I think the seeding problem, if you have double a limb in groups and double a limb in bracket, mostly will re resolve itself. With but the, some the, fringe the thing cases. is that there's only hope that they change the seeding now, right? The way that <laughs> yes. groups are seeded, that's the only thing that's hope for, right? Because everything else happen. is scheduled locked in stone already, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's that's definitely not going to happen. I, I don't think that really is a possibility of changing. Um, I think they already would have announced that if that was the case. Uh, I think they're just going to run it back. What they're doing is what Riot always does is because they know that people are going to be pissed. So they're going to try and like hide the announcement. Right. If they were, if they thought it was something people would like, Jensen, they would have already said something, right? They would. That, yeah, that they would. Yeah, exactly. Out. They wouldn't like just reveal last they have, second. They would have fucking had exactly. a parade for themselves yeah, publicly already. Well, the joke right? that we always make on this show is the day that Riot actually puts worlds to be double a limb, they will present it as though they've just invented double a limb. 
That's the joke, yeah. like <laughs> exactly. Yes, well, very much. I, it's I like mean, we that, invented that it in Valorant, and we're now we've realized yeah, that this is really good in Valorant because we couldn't have possibly realized it was good unless we did it in a, in, a, in our own different game first. So we're deciding to bring it to you as a gift to you, League of Legends fans. Please kiss the ring, kneel before God, thank Him for His benevolence, enjoy your world championship. I think that there was one thing that was uh, not really talked about. It's about the play-in format, about how there's going to be five teams for the major regions in the play-ins, and there's only four four slots to qualify for. I, I might be wrong on this, but that was my initial impression when I first... No, 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 no. there's that, only right? four seeds. Wait, wait, I'm sorry, for the... Are two teams not from EU not playing and starting in the play-ins? Two teams from EU are playing in the play-ins, yes. Right, so two teams from EU, one team from LCK, one team from LPL, one team from LCS, right? Yes. So five teams in the play-ins, and there's only four slots to qualify for. Yes. Yeah. Five major so region of, teams. That now I understand yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, so one, one major, major region, region team cannot not make it all in theory. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Make though. That's a pretty big change. I mean, I will say, it's not like LCS hasn't deserved the possibility of that for many fucking years. <laughs> you were just getting boosted, getting those free slots. Where you? What the fuck? <laughs> so I can't complain that much, mate. Because here's the problem: I'm not going to complain about any change, which just gives a chance for even more really good LPL and LCK teams to make the main event great. That's what I wanted the whole time. In fact, if you don't know, this is how strong LPL is. This is why Riot can never win. In the era when the LPL really did only have like three strong teams, that was when they only had those seeds. Like now they have four seeds, but now there's like six teams you'd want there. Like you can't win. You can never win with the LPL, sadly. In fact, the four teams I've liked to see from the LPL, the four that are playing the, the qualifier, right? They we haven't ever talked about exactly. RNG yet, right? We haven't yes. ever talked about RNG Oh, yeah, yet. if people don't know, exactly. RNG is just sat out on the side. That team that literally, like chess masters, just controlled the whole MSI. Yeah, they're just sat going, wish we could get in the world. So they're going to have to go through like fucking EDG just to win the first game, yeah. And Brutal, it's... Uh... It? <laughs> And RNG is a little bit hard to look at because they've only played. Uh, it's just the way the the LPL. I mean, it's, it's just a stack, and they had they played in the single elimination stage, and they lost to EDG in that one. And that series was uh was a bot gap, right? So once again, where what the matter of rewards? I think Viper is the best AD carry in the LPL, right? I, I mean, I think that's not a terribly controversial opinion because he is when he pops off like he is a he's like the biggest carry threat on his team and also like you say the biggest carry threat overall he also just seems to have the best overall champion pool like he can play basically every meta adc champion at a world class level and by the way that's something that there isn't another ad carry in the world who can do that because you might point at ruler ruler's literally in his entire career never played a professional game on draven so you know not really his style is it i know <laughs> it's not really his style but viper is extremely good at every single meta ADC right now. Mm -hmm. I actually thought that EDG would be winning the LPL, but obviously now they're not winning the LPL, right? But uh, about RNG, this is where the big question marks coming in, and the question is, are they going to qualify for Worlds? Because it's it's very difficult to tell, to, to get a good read on how what's RNG's strength uh, coming into coming into this regional gauntlet of sorts because that series against EDG, uh, I don't think they're going to. I don't think they match up well against EDG, especially in, in on this current batch, because uh, Viper 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 is just a little bit too good for the way that RNG wants to play the game. So if they are going to qualify, they will have to qualify through either V5 or LNG, and I think that that would be the much more interesting match to watch. By the way, obviously, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you at least watched like the LCK fight. Do you watch LCK much? Do you watch the LCK final? 
Uh, I watched the Dumb One versus T1 series and the T1 versus um, Genji set. Like, obviously, I don't. Again, you're not saying you've got the greatest, but how would you shadow box? Like, is Genji the best team in the world for you? Uh, on this patch right now, Genji is the best best team in the world. Like, they they take on the right boxes and they don't have the same problems that uh, TS that sorry that JDG has. And I think that um, they understand the one two two setup, which seems to be very good on this patch where. It's very good at uh, playing this farm-centric stuff, right? Where at first I was like, everybody's hyping up Genji. It's like, what well, did Genji finally learn how to to play the controller map and stuff like that? Uh, I from the limited games that I've seen, I don't really think they've done that. It's always been classic Genji, where they play to dominate the early game and they use that to then carry them through with the likes of an Azir or some form of uh, uh, getting carried, right? Of course, they did attack the game with with the Singed in that game as well. So, um, but that that game was over from from the laning phase. Once certain things happen, sorry. Let me let me let me parse parse my thoughts back back to, back together again, right? But I think that currently on, on the current patch, uh, Genji definitely looks like the best team. And about more about this one to two setup is that instead of like playing to overload side lanes and to play to control the map, what Genji does very well is that they they form what I call the alarm line, right? Where I think it showed in the third game when Tion was trying to find a pick on the zero in the bot lane, and the Sinza was there to kind of like spot the moves coming. Tr- for, uh, coming from the opponents, and then they will cut out the opponents slowly, reconsolidate their forces, and it's like you know in, in those movies where where it depicts like the 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 was it the Huns trying to was it the Mongols trying to scale the Great Wall of China, and then somebody likes the torch, and everybody like likes the torches. Yes, across right. the wall. That's kind of how I I visualize it when I see Genji play. Right, they're very good at doing that. They're very good at spotting out the opponents' movement, and then uh, reconsolidating their forces to make sure that their side lanes are safe. In, in those scenarios. Not, not so sure that South Koreans will appreciate the comparison to the Han Chinese or Mongols, but whatever. It was just an analogy. It was just a harmless <laughs> metaphor. It was, it was, exactly. It was, it was exactly. the major right? invaded exactly. by the Mongols, not the yeah, exactly. No, it's exactly. Um, but uh, I, I, it's, a, it's a cool analogy. I think what's what's so interesting about Gen G right now, and I, I brought I brought this up on um, on the Monty and Wolf show when I talk about LCK, is that Gen G is like, by far the most efficient team in the world when it comes to taking farm on the map it's actually fucking nuts like they're for for the for the regular split right the regular season which has the largest sample size they were taking 51.6 percent of lane minions and 57.9 percent of jungle camps right you compare that to the top team in the lpl which was top esports it was 50.8 percent for top esports of lane percentage and the next closest team in jungle was JDG with 54.2% of jungle. Now, they were Gen G was the top team in the world at both lane and jungle percentage. So it's really what's so incredible about Gen G right now is that their lane assignments are incredibly good. They don't overextend because they have good vision. So they Chovy can just fuck off to a side lane on Azir, push it all the way to the tier two relatively safely, recall. And so the longer the game goes on, like the bigger the gold gap gets with Gen G, just because of their efficiency at taking lane minions, denying you waves. It's a real problem to play against Gen G because you will miss waves. They're just better at controlling the waves on the map. And they take your entire jungle, so you just get yourself into a giant gold deficit. They can do this even when playing from behind, by the way. If you watch some of their games that they played against Dom Juan Kia and T1 in the regular season, they can fall to an early game deficit. You combine this with the fact that 
they are really good at playing the early game too. Like they will just beat you in lane. And then the gold gap just like grows and grows and grows and grows and grows against you. And they are very efficient at team fighting and very good in terms of picks in the current meta. I think you saw this if you watched the LCK finals, you saw this on display where this was the this was this is why I thought Genji was such a heavy favorite going into those finals, because there isn't a way for T1 to draft against them with this with the T1 roster. Um, what do you take away from this team? Every time you try and corner them in the draft, they have some way to fuck with you. It's like they're not gonna ban the Yumi. Because they don't care if you take it because Lehens will just play Singed and you'll get fucked. And he's won every single professional game of Singed he's ever played. So they have a pocket counter. But you also can't give them the Yumi because then Ruler just completely dominates the entire game. And Lehens is also very good on the Yumi. Well, what happens if you what happens if you ban the Poppy? Well, fortunately, they can flex the Sejuani, which became a, a ban later in the series, right? Peanut's very cerebral, good on these farming junglers. He's an extremely good decision maker into the game. If you give him early game junglers, he'll kill you in the lane and accelerate ruler faster into an end game state. If you try and ban out some early game junglers, he can counterpick you like, okay, you pick Vi. Well, guess what? He's on Morgana, so get fucked there, right? How do you beat this guy? Um, he was the MVP for a very good reason. He dominated that series from top to bottom. Owner was terrible, but Owner didn't have a choice because Owner couldn't play the mechanical playmaking champions that he had played previously. That wasn't their game plan because Peanut was such a problem with this champion pool. So I don't know where you go against this Gen G roster. Like it, the meta has to change because if you're going to try and play Gen G with Chovy, who can play. Azir, Ari, and Silas, and he gets them for free because you have to ban all this dumb bullshit against Genji. Otherwise, they just dominate you in different ways. It's very hard to imagine a draft where they don't win and get exactly what they want. Well, I actually thought that Damwon would have matched uh, a lot better in the Genji in the finals, like, given I mean, that Damwon yes. has always been the most LPL of the LCK teams, right? There's, there's, there's yes. one LCK team that plays for map control more than the farm efficiency style of play. And when it comes to farm efficiency style of play, I think it's like what you've put it, right? Genji are the masters of that. They're, they're the best team at playing three lanes, they're the best team of understanding, like, this is how we max, min max our movement around uh, the map to soak as much farm as possible across the board. And the, the funny thing is that this actually tells me that this is a Gen G. This is the same Gen G that we are going to see in all the previous years, right? They, they can upgrade and they can like min-max in, in these areas. They can be even better at laning. They can be even better at team fighting. But the same fatal flaws are still going to exist that this is a team that doesn't uh, fundamentally understand the map control part of the game. And if I, I'm actually very curious to see if G2, how they match up against G2 at Worlds, right? If, if the meta changes, if things shift. But right now... Um, is is the right meta? Is the perfect meta for Genji to to do well? And it's it really depends on what happens, how things change up when when they go to Worlds itself. I I have to say though, like against JDG, Genji is going to eat JDG alive. So if people are going to do like same thing, JDG, why are your frauds? If they're going to be the number one LPL team, number one LCK team, it's like wow, JDG against Genji in every category, Genji is going to blow JDG out of the water, right? Because the teams that are good against Genji style are not. JDG. It's going to be, uh, if Toby Sports choose to play the map control style, it could be, it's probably going to be V5, it's probably going to be LNG that I think would match up best against them, and if and possibly EDG as well, if Landry decides to play the game. <laughs> that, that has been an issue. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. And as to your point, um, you know, when it came to the playoffs, like, we knew that Genji was going to pick Live Sandbox in advance because they match up very badly against Dom1 Kia. 
we talked about this in previous versions of the show and other shows on this channel, but it's like, the issue is, is that Gen G is just a better version of Live Sandbox, so they should just pick Live Sandbox, even though Live Sandbox might be the second best team when compared to the rest of the field in Korea. But Damwon Kia presents a lot of problems to Gen G. Gen G is very good at playing their own game, but when shit gets weird, they're worse at identifying enemy team win conditions. T1, on the other hand, they themselves are not exactly on meta, but they are really good at looking at an enemy, a weird enemy team comp and saying, we need to create this vision trap and we need to get this pick right now. This is our win condition to win this game. And they're very good at executing that. So they are a bad matchup for Dom Wan Kia, whereas Gen G sometimes gets a little flustered when strange things happen in games. And you've seen that they've they've struggled a bit with Dom Wan Kia. In fact, probably should have lost to them in the last best of three that they played in the regular season, um, which is why we weren't going to see that. But, um, you know, I think Dom Wan's an incredibly fascinating team at the current time. You said you watched that series. We talked about how, in theory, Dom Wan's draft in game five last week uh, versus T1 should have been successful. But again, it was one of those games where T1 realized their win conditions and Dom won for all their strengths and versatility and the number of champions they can play and the way they can flex their champions. They themselves are bad at analyzing their win conditions. So they kind of have to just like be better at, you know, they have to hope their, their enemy team is also bad at analyzing their win conditions in order to win sometimes, which T1 definitely was not. I, I think, uh, going back to the game five, right, because I, I did like a whole VAR review work, you know, and I give, I give it to my, my, my guys here at Maryville to do. And um, it's, uh, the way I saw it is that I actually like the draw from Dom on a lot. But when I was watching the game, I felt that this is something where I think they got too creative. Uh, Heimerdinger is something where it's, you need to put in a certain amount of practice on this champion and you need to conceptualize like what is it exactly you want to be doing, right? And when you're looking at the way that Dumbo was taking the fights. I think Showmaker, Showmaker is like dra is, is dragging four bodies across the finish line at this point of time, right? Cannon's not having a great year. Showmaker is uh, basically trying to drag Dumbo as far as possible. I mean, Cannon uh, played a lot better in playoffs, but in the regular yeah. season, he was pretty bad. Oh, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> the, the Heimerdinger, he's not setting up the targets in the right place for for, for division trap, right? Which is something that T1 did a lot better than Dumbo in the set. And the way that uh, Birdwall was playing the Azir, it felt like he doesn't really know what he's supposed to be be doing on the champion. Doesn't really know where they he's supposed to be positioned. I mean, what they didn't do is like you have to use the Azir and the Heimerdinger in that comp in order to be first on objectives and control the chokes. And they they didn't do that. Neither of those players did that, and they didn't do it as a team. So they were just like. Like you couldn't stack dragons because they were just getting dislodged out of out of the river, which they should never allow to. Uh, you know they, that should never happen with that composition, especially with the low range comp that T1 had. And and even when they were first on the objective, like the way that they were positioning was not in the right places to enforce the position that they had. So yeah. that's where I felt that this is a team that. Um, this is a is one of those like in theory this is a great draft, but if you don't know how to execute, to execute it, then this is where the problem comes in, right? But that's like, that's Dom one in a nutshell, right? They have, it's like a Swiss army knife, but you don't know actually how to use it. Or the, the, I think the coaches know how to use it for all the shit that, that Danny gets from the, the fucking fans. Like now we can criticize Danny because he may be doing things that are too complicated for his players to actually shot call and execute. And maybe that's the flaw, but 
he does understand what the champion pools are and like how to set up very favorable and unusual draft situations for his team. I, I thought the draft was very good from Don one of that game five. I was very sad to see how they actually played it out. But I also think that draft may have worked against Gen G. Yeah, I think, I think that was a great draft to play against Gen G. You have the Heimerdinger that kind of like neutralizes all of this, like running into you kind of things. And the, the Yasuo on the side lane, it definitely has the recipes for success to play to really hit on the saw points that has been Genji's weakness over the past three years. Yeah. I, and the sad thing is, is like Dom one would be absolutely fucking amazing if they could execute. <laughs> I, I, I am once again, with like all this subbing in and out, it sounds like Dom one's in the same camp, like V5 yeah. is in, right? You don't even know if they're going to, are, are they guaranteed to qualify for worlds already? Dom one? Oh, then the goal. No, no. no. Kind of goal yeah, then, right? But they have two chances. Basically like, they, I think they probably will beat Live Sandbox. They probably will, just from experience. Um, come on, yeah. Live Sandbox is also like really one-dimensional. Like they're good at what they do, but they're not they're not very complicated. Whereas like Dom One has a lot more tricks. So even if they're worse at all of their tricks than Live is at their one, I think that over a best of five, they can probably neutralize. They can probably neutralize Live Sandbox. And even if they lose, they play the winner of DRX versus KT, which is definitely going to be KT because DRX is terrible right now. Um, and so I can't imagine Dom One losing two best of fives to Live Sandbox and KT. Like they'll win one of those. They they only have to win the one. I mean, when your camp's in chaos, you never know what can happen, right? At the point of time, they're not losing to their opponents, they're losing to themselves. Yes. And especially in this meta, where people are just cynically picking the Zeri and Yumi, if you're going to lose to yourself, this is this is a terrible meta to be doing that. This is a terrible meta to yeah. be in that position. Especially with that game conceptualization, with your mid laner being Showmaker. It's a... I, I, I wouldn't say it's a shoe in for, for Dom one, right? But this is, also, once again, pure speculation. What does tilt me, because we've already addressed on a past episode that whole, like, ridiculous thing where there's now, like, a meta of fans sending the trucks to the fucking Korean team. The reason that also doesn't make sense is there's now three teams which have historically dominant... There's the Gen G one, which is the best by far. There's T1, which is supposed to win, and now down one spot. Two of you can't win anyway. There's only one winner each time, so is someone just getting a truck no matter what? Is there always a truck <laughs> well, going to someone's also, house? Like, also, what are we doing? What's, what's hilarious about the, the truck situation... It, it, well, uh, as an aside, first off, I do think we we haven't talked about this narrative, but score winning in his first year as a coach after it took him like six or seven years to win his first title as a player and arguably the greatest jungler. Don't forget he's even on the team in it. Yeah, and all is <laughs> like I, I'm happy for score because like finally it came easy to him for once. For once, uh, so think how genius that down. is. Yeah, <laughs> if I had peanut, maybe I want, might want score as his coach. <laughs> oh, now he's suddenly like mastered actually the complete outplayer to play jungle. Perfect. Yep. That's a slam dunk. Uh, so I'm happy for score, number one. Uh, number two about the truck incidents. What's so funny about the fucking trucks is that, so the T1 fans are angry about the coaching situation, but also Faker is the actual coach of that team. So I guess you're just mad at Faker because the whole thing was that Faker, you know, they didn't like the 10-man 10, the 10 rotation, and that was bad. Uh, it was a bad idea and it was badly executed. But what happened was it's not like, guys, Polt isn't the problem. If you think that Polt is the one deciding game strategy, he's fucking not. He's a StarCraft pro and 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 a TFT pro. He's a very intelligent guy, but he's not going to be able to 
talk to the best player of all time and certainly the most famous player of all time and tell him what to do. Like this, this team is being controlled by Faker. Like that, he is the coach. So if you're sending trucks, you're sending trucks at Faker. Like, let's be clear about what the actual power structure within this team is. Now, if you're sending trucks at Don Juan Kia, you're using results bias to look at the coaching staff because as we've talked about here and other times, I actually really like the drafting in that best of five. The fact yeah. that they set up the Yasuo Senna and then they for and then at the start of the series and then on red side, they were able to like hide the Yasuo again and pull out this like crazy composition. The drafting was very creative and very good, I think, from Damon Kia. Now, do the did the players suck it? using it yes and that could also be a coaching problem right like do we know that they're picking the compositions that they've practiced or that they understand is the coach relaying the right information to the players but the drafts were not really the issue in that series in fact they gave them pretty substantial advantages in my opinion and uh were surprising so why are you mad at, at the Don Juan Kia coaching when we cannot know if the problem is the coaching but we do know that the drafts appear to be strong they're weird but they're strong. Stop sending I mean, trucks. It's stupid. It's, <laughs> I, I think about the traditional sports, right? And this is something that I talk about uh, quite a fair bit in terms of like what, what the role of a coach is of the team. And like when grabs, like the whole like grabs draft meme used to be a thing for G2. Is that I, I would say it's like part of the job still, job scope to thank the flame from the plebs, right? To thank the yeah, flame true. from, from, from sure. the fans, right? And it's like in traditional sports as well, when, when you watch, uh, I mean, I watch soccer or, or football, right? And, um, when a player is playing badly when the team is losing, very once in a while, yes, fans. If like it's like one player who's like terrible, but the the fans are gonna like jeer him and stuff like that. But the, usually the person they're calling for, they're booing, is usually the the general manager instead, right? So it's always they're seeing stacked in the morning and stuff like that. If when their team is losing and they want the manager out and stuff like that, I mean, of course now these days it's a lot more complicated with the ownership structures and stuff like that. But that used to be the case, right? Where where when fans are angry with the team. Because they can't really discern, right? As fans, they can't really discern, like, is this player playing well or not? Yes, sometimes they make an egregious mistake and stuff like that. But in general, when the team is losing, who do they blame? They, they go for the, yes. the top dog. They go for the, the leadership. And I'll say that that's kind of like part of the job. So if it, if it means getting the trucks and stuff like that, it's just an unfortunate conditioning of <laughs> no, what no, no, no. you have been used I, to. I, I, just, I just find it funny, Jensen, that they're, especially in T1's case, because it's so abundantly clear who the like actual coach of this team is, that they're like, you need to get former professional players as a coach. Like, your coach is the greatest player of all time. Like, you, you already <laughs> have that, guys. You know, maybe that's the problem. I, I'm just going to put that out there. Maybe it's an issue you ready for the that ultimate? you don't actually have coaches, and it's a player. Do you, want to, do you want to know what the biggest punchline of all? And this is truly ironic. Do you know what the first truck was sent for? It was the LS situation. And yep. do you know what the demand of the T1 fans was? That they no, hire a coach called Diney. Who is the coach who's now getting the trucks from the damn one fans? That is so... Also, one, if you're a T1 fan, we did what you wanted. It didn't work. Why are you speaking again? Maybe you shouldn't pick the coach. All you can do is call the truck firm or whatever. And then secondly, if T1 doesn't win Worlds, I'm just going to buy Joe Marsh one of those key rings that says keep on trucking. <laughs> there you go. There also, you go. Also, I am I I I am slightly salty. I said this on the the watch party that we had, but I was going to rent my own truck for the oh, T1 right, semifinal and write write a message to the Korean yes. fans to stop being so spoiled when they have yes. like the best you know, what the the greatest legacy of all time and the greatest player of all time uh, on their team. 
Um, but unfortunately, what happened was Joe Marsh decided to make a bunch of really weird comments on Discord and get into that whole scandal. And I didn't want Korean fans to think that I was defending Joe Marsh in any way. Hey, goal. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, great. Now I just lost my opportunity for jokes with trucks because they're they're actually surprisingly inexpensive. <laughs> yeah. So in the future, I will send trucks, guys, but I couldn't do it this time. God damn it. Uh, next year. Next year. Okay. <laughs> they, that's the other reason. That Here's the other thing as well. I at least actually in a weird way get the damn one one though because the problem they have is since they kept – Canyon and Shawmaker, and they got Naguri back. Like, narratively, if you're the fans, you are supposed to be the dominant team and win everything. It's all so the pro on that one, I at least get the idea of the fan, like Jen says, they can't see in the server what's going on. So there's like, the management must have fucked it up. What are you doing? Right. The T1 one is egregious as fuck, though. You even still have a chance to win all these championships and worlds. Like, that is just like you're saying, you are just incredibly spoiled. You really think every season, your team doesn't have to be a, have a chance to, they have to win. Every single LCK in every world, your team has to win. What? Because you support them, you twat. How about <laughs> if the players are good enough, if the coach does a good enough job? What? Just because you're a fan, they're supposed to win. Like, man alive, why is this your birthday? You're a 12-year-old girl. Ah, oh, it's a pink pony. I asked for a purple one. Get it out. Kill it. Like, what the fuck? This is mental, mate. You're, you're the most spoiled fans of all time. And by the way, I really hate that type of a fan. Because here's the thing. As an analyst, by the way, I can judge the scene, like, you know, the business side. I'd be, well, maybe I wouldn't, like, keep thinking. Maybe I'll play. The difference is, though, if you're just a fan, how are you ever going to talk shit on Faker? How are you ever going to talk shit on T1? Like, they've given you everything. It's like, basically, everything. I'll give you the, <laughs> the analogy I would give you, Jensen, is, is a classic soccer one, which is at the end of this time at Arsenal, Arsenal fans used to say Arsene Wenger should get the fuck out. That is mental, mate, because that's basically, by the way, Monty, the equivalent there is like telling Bill Belichick, get the fuck out of the Patriots. Like, what did you ever do for us? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> everything. Literally everything. Like, that's that's how, that's how what fans are like, though. That's the problem, unfortunately, the dark side of when you have a lot of success, you get what we call plastic fans who are only there, by the way, to cheer the person who wins. And then when you lose, they can't ever appreciate like an epic, valiant effort in a loss or any of this shit. Like, they can't. They can only understand winning unfortunately that is what well, that's by definition the worst type of fan unfortunately i mean it uh, admittedly it was depressing to see t1 collapse in game five at, at msi but they did yeah, also sure. make it to game five at msi right yep. it's not like they were shitters and the meta did change a little bit before that tournament and by the way t1 fans, it was online there was all that shit added in there was so many like fucking circumstantial things you could I sort mean, of give them a break for you know yeah, T1 also uh, still has hands, like very good hands. And it, it, we don't know what the world's patch is going to be. I do think it's unlikely that it shifts significantly from this point in time. But even small changes like Zeri kind of falling in priority is probably going to have pretty big effects on the entire meta. Because as we discussed earlier, the existence of Zeri is kind of like she's like a gravitational field that's just like warping everything around her right now. So it could make some some changes uh, overall. But if it does change, there is a world where T1 is really good because if if they can play carry through carry tops with Zayas, if Owner can play some of these very mechanical champions and make plays, and Faker has a chance to really support his teammates and like play a more roaming mid lane style, this team's super good again. They're still, yep, I mean, absolutely, they're, they're still they're still a good team right now. They're just yeah, not. Yeah. They're not. They're probably not top three, but are they top five? They've also Maybe. got so much time before Worlds. Like, this team could just turn up at Worlds and be like the second or third best. Why not? It's not impossible. Yeah.
uh, I actually thought that um, T1 was probably the closest to what I think is the next innovation in terms of like how this meta shifts. Right? Like I was saying that this current meta rewards like this scaling team fighting style and then uh, Gen G with this idea, which I think is what most teams are adopting. There's like one, two, two and try and catch farm in, in all three lanes. Um, I actually think that if we were to revive the season eight RNG, right? Or how G2 was playing with perks in AD carry position in 2019, right? Season nine G2, where they played as well as uh, where they play the style and they funnel all the farm into the AD carry and you see a 300 CS uh, Zary or Silver at 20 minutes I think that that might be the next evolution of the meta where now you're playing into the side lane to, to secure all this farm which is actually funnily enough what, what I thought uh, Fnatic was doing throughout most of the, the regular season so I think that there's still space to innovate in this meta and I wouldn't say that things are cast in stone and set in stone to say that this is the this is the correct way to play League of Legends and sure. that I, I don't know, know, I don't know if, if Gubayushi is the dude to do that with because he just randomly dies, right? I mean, he means you could obviously also put it through like fucking top lane as well. I assume yeah, you can yeah, play yeah. off that side. The problem is, though, here's the thing though I don't want anyone giving credit to Fnatic for that. I don't think Fnatic intentionally chose to not put all the resources into mid and instead to maybe put them in the bot lane. I think that I think that's called Yamato kind of just wants to have a job in 2023. <laughs> you know? I think he's smart enough to know, like, I need to win a few of these fucking games now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, I agree so, it's in general, though. That's definitely so. It, it's not necessarily the other links. It's just very specifically AD carry in this meta because right, of okay. how how multiplicative uh, goal on the AD carry position yeah. with Silver and Zeri is right. So I uh, remember like the third I, game Silver was like three just yes at twenty four minutes. So I thought they were the closest to that so far. The the greatest what if of this year is what if Teddy was still on this T one roster. And like what like if I said they, on Twitter, yeah, it would be the shit, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked about this. Because like, think about it, what hole would they have in the team? At, at the whole MSI, team would be solid as fuck. At MSI, when Gumiyushi was running it down in the group stage, if they had had Teddy, we said this at MSI, if they had had Teddy just to sub in, I think that's a very different team. And if they had Teddy this split, and especially in these playoffs, I think it's a really, really different version of T1. Sure. And they they didn't decide to keep him around uh, for for another year as as kind of an alternate eighty carry and as impressive as Gumiyushi has was on his debut right he was a very promising rookie yeah, yeah. He, he made some incredibly flashy games on very flashy champions like Samira his growth has not been amazing honestly and it's people always like oh you're hating on Gumiyushi Gumiyushi's still a good player it's just that he's not ruler or viper right and he needs to become ruler or viper at some point in time if he's going to stay on this roster i mean this is also because of how riot has changed the matter right like i think as ad carry this year uh usually you just play like one style and just like kaisen Zai throughout the year right but this year you've had to play three different styles you had to play like the jinx of those at the start of uh at the start of the year yep. and midway through you had to swap over to playing this very high pressure uh Callista, Callista, draven and what was lucian. One? lucian right and Lucian, and now you have to play Zarian Silver. So there's three distinct identities of uh, AD yes. carries that you have to play right now. And it's not just you as an AD carry, because uh, this is something that I think a lot of people don't under don't really see, is that, uh, yes, the team fighting portion is entirely on you, but how the team sets up around you is something that is less intuitive, and you can't just pick up just straight away and say that this is what I'm going to be needing. And I think usually the trend is that AD carries tend to be the worst in terms of like conceptualizing the game and really communicating with the team because that has been the most static role. Well, you just played the same champion and you played Kai Sanzaya for the last five years. 
it also helps that Gumiyushi's best performances have come off of Korea either babysitting him with Thresh or playing hard engaged champions, which, you know, the Nautilus was just straight up banned by Genji in the finals because they realized that it's not a meta ban, but that was going to be the way that T1 was most annoying um, because it, it enables Korea to engage. And Korea has been very strong on engaged champions and less strong on a lot of enchanters. So it allows him, you know, they really relied on Korea to start many of these fights and to be their primary form of engage, especially because owner wasn't playing those type of junglers a lot of the time. Um, and Zayas was playing carry tops. So it does seem like it's kind of moved out of their wheelhouse more or less. The other reason why I would have liked to see Teddy as well is because he is the proto-typical AD carry. Like, he will just play safe in the lane. By the way, who'd have an amazing lane with Gary? Then he gets to the team fight and he's going to just consistently DPS while not getting in trouble, let the team peel for him. Gumayushi has come from the fucking Jackie Love tactical fucking... I am going into this fight. He's in that shit. He's in like the Matrix where he's trying to be in bullet time, dodging shit like, I hate when this motherfucker goes in. I just know he's going to get blown up immediately. Give me an old school ADC. <laughs> I mean, in this meta. Might actually be Gala struggles as well in RNG, because Gala's a lot closer to Gumayushi, and sure. I'm not sure if he can do the Zarian uh, server as well. No, I think the, the, the issue with Gala is like Gala is just fabulous uh on <laughs> on Kaisa. <laughs> and it just it feels like you know the Gala just gets a Kaisa meta around important international events. He's probably the best Kaisa player of all time. Uh but not to say that he doesn't has a he has the world's smallest champion pool, but I think he's he's suffering from not being this not being a great meta for him uh, overall. In the same way that we can say that EG might be suffering because this isn't a good meta for Danny overall either. Um, Gala has pronounced strengths, and uh, that that's not that's not what's happening right now. It's actually crazy to think that the MSI champions might not make worlds. Well, that was actually something I, I often talk about on my Discord as well. I've often said the big problem League of Legends has is just that they made MSI. MSI was a great concept. If you have two major championships, what it allows is your success in spring can turn into something. But the real problem is this. No matter what they've done, it just does not have the same status. Like, people don't care, ultimately. Here's the thing. If you can't have Worlds, yeah, then people care about MSI. Like, for example, for G2, it's super prestigious because you're from Europe, etc. The problem is, though, no amount of MSIs for other people seem to count at all towards the world. It's not the bigger deal. So the person who's suffered the most is absolutely Zhao Hu because the problem is there's a reason he's the new king of spring. He's always a fucking god in the spring. He's won all these MSIs. But the problem is he's had a couple of chances at Worlds, but he hasn't won it yet. So, like, someone like that... I actually think will be underrated at the end of their career because if they don't get the worlds to the fan, it's like, how could you be a top one? It's like, mate, look at the guy's rest of his resume. The rest of his resume is like probably like a top five resume of all time. What the fuck are you talking about? It's unbelievable. Yeah. And also I, the other reason I hate it is because, listen, you could maybe do this in my game, CSGO. In theory, in CSGO, you might be able to be the best in spring and still be the best because the game's going to stay fairly similar in the meta. The idea you can be the best in like May in League of Legends and then do a load of patches and then be the best in like October and November. No chance. No chance. You have to be the greatest team of all time probably to do that. Well, it was only it was only the one time that we saw MSI and Worlds won by the same team and that was, what, 2016 SKT. That's it. I mean, it's, it's really difficult for the same team to stay on top. And I think teams are getting better at it because they've realized, I think one of the, the, the key realizations for LOL teams and GMs in the last couple years has been well you can't you can't create a team 
that you know is going to be good because you don't know what the meta is going to be when you're when you're creating your roster in November because you haven't seen the preseason changes yet, right? So you have no idea what the game's going to look like for the next year. So you kind of just have to roll the dice and get lucky. The real changes you need to make are between spring and summer after MSI or during MSI because that's when you the meta has more or less settled. It was a little different this year because Riot dropped the durability patch, which was much bigger than the normal patches that they would put in between splits. But at least you have a better idea generally of what the meta is going to look like, generally of what's important, because there probably aren't going to be that many massive meta shifts that happen. You can never know, right? But it's it's a better, it's a more informed time to do it than in November. And I'm sure, you know, you've, you've coached a lot of professional teams, Jensen. You can say it's very difficult to assemble rosters when you don't know what the next year of the meta is even remotely going to look like, right? I mean, I think what you, you can do is you do your best to assemble a coherent roster, right? Like uh, what uh, Wave War, which is the seventh team in the LPL, did, right? With the Shy Nesso FM, I think that that's very uh, coherent, where th these players line up with one another, but you can never really predict to say that this is a style that will do well. You might just end up like, like we're talking about right now, right? You you want to play a map control style, but it turns out this a uh, scaling team fight matter at the end of the day. I mean, you if you have a coherent style, it's like what Carlos says, right? You are the meta, right? And you can probably still make deep runs, but it's hard to really get across the finish line yeah, yeah. and beat the team. It's like like JDG has a very good shot at winning the LPL. <laughs> you know what I love about that as well is like the, that line also hits even better when you know this is a man who played with Uzi Eye. So madly, his philosophy is if you have a style, you are the meta. <laughs> that sounds like <laughs> something Uzi Eye just told him. Like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was like how he tricked them all and it's raised the puppy every fucking game in it. <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, this is why I think that. It, it really behooves teams to be more aggressive in terms of roster movements between spring and summer. And we did see, I, I don't think, I'm, I'm trying to remember, it wasn't entirely their choice for RNG to like sw swap out the top laner because I think they, it, it, the, the trade got recalled or something. I'm not sure how the trade situation works in, in LPL. Um, but it was interesting to see a, a top lane change right after becoming MSI champions, right? But we didn't see any roster additions from um, T1, which I thought was in... I thought that was intriguing, especially given Gumayushi's form at MSI. I, I, I would have tried to at least try put somebody on the bench. I think there's a, there's a big what-if question about Berserker being on T1. I mean, this is going to sound weird, but... Maybe Berserker would be would be better than Gumiyoshi on T1 right now. He's playing in a worse region, so it can sometimes be hard to tell, but he's absolutely carrying Cloud9 in these games, and he looks like he has the meta champion pool that's that's very applicable. Um, so maybe the harder competition, he would have looked worse, but that's a that's a choice that T1 made to give him up uh, to Cloud9 in the offseason. By the way, just to, to, to finish up that conversation, one thing I'll also say that is wild to me about the LPL, it's why I know that that region is totally about like what identity does your team think it has, keyword think, because the other thing that is impossible to do in the LPL, you know when I had that discussion earlier about the Zoom comment, you almost cannot just trade pieces like this is like the NFL or like soccer or something. If you take a player, like Zoom might look like the best player in the world, put him on another team, maybe he's shit. Maybe the bin guy just feeds on RNG. You put him on the other team, he's fucking back again. Like this is the craziest region ever, I'm telling you, for player trades completely 180ing the form of the player. And then also, this is why, spoiler, I think LPL 
You ready for the most controversial statement ever? I'll say it anyway. Say there's 10 more years of League of Legends. At the end of the 10 years, over the entire history, so it'll be like a 20-year game almost there, LPL will have won the most worlds, more than Korea. Here's why. Because not only do, they, do you get these drop-offs and meta patches, like all the things we've just complained about, but here's what they now have that Korea used to have. Now the problem in Korea is people are actually scouting too much of the other good players. People like Berserker don't sit on the T1 bench, they go to another region. The problem there is this. in Just like the Zoom example, you can actually take out the best top player in the world when he plays shit in the LPL. You can put in your rookie, and your rookie might actually be really good. That wayward guy was carrying games. So as a result, I think it's the only region where not only are you going to have so many styles tried, one person's going to get lucky and surely like lock into the world's meta, but you also can sort of overcome the, the issues you're talking about as a GM, Monty. You could actually get lucky, kick a guy, and this is what obviously people like Cloud9 couldn't do in the West. You can't kick out Summit. He was the MVP, but you could do that in China, and it might even work so to me I think they just have because they have obviously insanely more players and talent like they just have an advantage no one else has it's the competition for the roster slots yes and people will forget this or frankly probably a lot of people who are younger would never even know this fact but in the days in like 2014 and 2015 the problem with China was not depth of talent the problem with China was that this there was a basically a streaming war that was going on where there were all these new streaming companies that were throwing around a fuck ton of investment money at various players on these professional teams right so they were paid the streaming companies were paying the players oftentimes more than the team was so their main loyalty was to like being famous and streaming and they became so famous as a result of these streaming services that they couldn't actually be removed from these rosters without like crippling the team's ability to get sponsorships so there was there fake money basically being thrown around because they were paying inflated salaries because there was bidding wars for these players on the streaming services. Eventually, those streaming services started to consolidate or die. Some of them just straight up died. The streaming money ended up going down. And that's when you actually saw LPL start to improve as a region because all of a sudden the teams were paying more than the streaming services again. So they actually had control over the situation. It's similar to what happened in the, like the era of the CSGO betting scandal where betting companies like the skin betting companies were paying CSGO players more than their team salaries. So they were focused on streaming and advertising for the CSGO betting rather than actually performance. Right. It's, it was a huge problem in CSGO. It was a huge problem in Chinese league of legends. Um, And now that, performance is God again, you have this insane level of competition where people are hungry. And that's, that's, that's one of the problems that you see in the West is like, this guy is going to be guaranteed a spot because of his name, no matter what. And there is nobody there who can actually overtake him. There is nobody hungrier to replace him with who's going to offer a similar level of performance. But the, the churn of seeing new good players in the LPL is obviously much higher. Wayward is a, a very good example. I mean, the, the redundancy that's built into the LPL is one of the reasons, right? Like, um, I mean, people always talk about LPL practice schedule and stuff like that, right? L- let's be real here, right? Not all of those players are doing it, but it's because they have this um, sure set of numbers is that when somebody says that, okay, I'm tired, I'm tilted or whatsoever, they can get somebody from the academy team to go and play in with the rest of the team, and then they just continue the scrim set with that. So when people talk about like these 16-hour LPL schedules, it's not that all 16 players, uh, it's not that all five players are playing practicing 16 hours a week is that sorry 16 hours a day no not a week 16 hours a week is ridiculously low sorry but <laughs> point, point i'm trying to make is that because of the um, sheer amount of talent that they have in the lpl they have built the system for redundancy 
so that they enable the team to train at the pace of the of your outliers, right? Godot and bees and stuff like that who want to be playing six and hours, want to be screaming triple blocks a day and stuff like that. And whereas in the West, uh, you can't really seem to do that because all these teams have is like, let's be real here, right? Like in the LCS, the academy teams are basically a bench for, for the LCS team, but they don't have the depth go all the way down. And then it's, it's like what we're saying, you know, when, when they bench Alfari and then they, they put on Jenkins, Let's be real here, right? That's not that's not someone who's like, yeah, it's like going from um I mean the, I, actually to be fair in the LPS like something similar as well, right? When when like LNG went from like um Ali to Panda C, right? But the thing is the Panda C at some point of time he's actually screaming with the team already and they have this sort of like building redundancy to help them deal with this. Yeah. I, I actually think that like having moving more towards uh, unless Riot changed like the two patch system and the way that they construct the game, moving more towards a, a ten man roster or even say an expansion in terms of the, the way draft design for League of Legends is probably healthier for the scene and for pros and actually helps uh GMs and teams hatch against the the ever volatile sh- shift of the game, right? Where you can be playing one meta in spring and a different meta in summer. So maybe T1 had the right idea with running a Tenman roster as well. It's just that the Tenman the has to be communicated and handled in a much different way and with much different player expectations as well. Like every other sports team in the world, they have 30 players for they have 30 players ready to play, although it's only five on the pitch at the same time, right? Five five on the court at a certain point of time. Only League of Legends is the only thing. Um, if we are to, to talk about it as a sport, where there's that close to zero redundancy as compared to what we have in terms of traditional sports. Yeah, that redundancy is very important because it keeps people motivated. That, that, that's the, if somebody's constantly gunning for your spot and you know that, it's an entirely different level of motivation. And like, I don't care who the fuck you are. You could be the most motivated person in the world. You're still going to be more motivated when somebody's on the bench right behind you. That's just oh, true. Of course. You know, I don't know if people know that story. Sadly, I'm not an American baseball fan, so you might have to correct me if I'm wrong, Monty. But I'm almost sure... <laughs> I'm a baseball fan, but go ahead. <laughs> this is the most famous player of all time. It's, you might know the story. Do you know that player, Lou Gehrig? Yes. As far as I know, I think I'm thinking the right player. He's someone who like just came in to replace a different player in a game and then just took that guy's spot forever and had like the Iron Man record. Well, maybe it was like the guy who's the other one who had the Iron Man record, the clear, whatever his name. There was some guy where the, the story was, it was exactly like this. He mm. just replaced a guy in one game and took that guy's spot forever and was just a Hall of Famer. Like the difference is that doesn't happen in the West. Like the story he gave there, nobody really thought Jenkins was going to be like, maybe he's just a new starter overall. It was just like when do, the question is always, when does Alfari come back? When does Sven come back instead of King? You know, that's the difference is you don't know that the wayward guy is going to be better than Zoom, but it's possible. That's at least in the scope. And as he says, you've also used him in scrims as if he could one day be. The difference is the Jenkins guy, whether they gave him a scrim or not, he really was just dropped in the deep end, wasn't he? It was just like, right, get, sink or swim, mate. It's like, and the worst thing is there, you're only replacing because that guy sucked. They also sometimes, I mean, this happens to be fair in Korea if they have a good sub, they'll also put you in if you're just out playing the guy that you're in front of. Because as you say, Monty, the reason I gave the baseball example is because that just shows that you can never take for granted your spot. You can't just be like, this guy's just replacing me for this game. No, not if they actually properly coach them. Like, if he's better than you, he's got your spot. That In the West, we don't have that. Like, we still have yeah. this whole thing of superstars are superstars, and they are at a protected status. And also, I actually think, no joke, Monty, one thing they cannot do in the West, even though waste money in every other regard they can't stomach benching a really highly paid player that's like the mega import in LCS they can't just never play him even if he sucks 
and was really egregiously bad in their brain. I think they're like, oh, but I've got to play him because I paid the money. So you've already paid the money, mate. Now you just need to win the games. Like Ben I mean, just can't. It, it also just makes it impossible to sign sponsors because there is no loyalty for the most part to the teams. The loyalty is all to the big names of the players. So even if you want to do the best thing for your team and bring in new players on your roster that you think are going to perform better, uh, your org may not let you do that because if you lose this big name player or they're not playing, then all of your sponsors are not going to renew their contracts because then your new team has like a thousand total combined Twitter followers and there isn't a loyalty to your brand, right? There's just a loyalty to the big name player. It's, it's hard. Oh, by the way, I looked it up. I was actually right. It was actually that Lou Gehrig guy. What happened was there was a guy called Wally Pip playing for the Yankees. And then basically okay. he just got replaced in a famous game. And then the Gehrig guy got like three hits. And then basically after that, like, Oh, no one gave a shit and it's just this guy all the way and this other fucking guy's like oh well and I goodbye I'm like back to his planet or something mate I know there is a legal legends equivalent of that right Come it was on. like Whippo and Soas oh true yep. Wild yeah. Turtle also did that to Chaos. I'll tell you the worst one do you want to know the worst one of all time because this hurts me deep inside it's actually what happened to Nami. A lot of people don't know this. They all think if they don't watch the LPL, because I would know none of them watch the LPL, mate. They all think Nami never played again after, after Season 4 Worlds. No, it's worse than that. He was on the RNG with Mata. They were literally in a playoff series. They just lost a game. They subbed the Woosh guy in, and then they never played him ever again, and they went to the MSI final. Oh, it's semi-final, like, after that. Like, that's the craziest one. That was like a, that was a guy who was an all-time great player, and he was just gone after that. That was like, and out. And then, the, and of all the people... Whoosh! The fucking guy that Monty made fun of on that stream for one of the worst fucking players of all time at MSI. That motherfucker replaced him. That's what I mean, exactly. It's not like if, if I just said, like, and then it came, you're going to know this name, Jackie Love. It's like, that's a fine story. The Whoosh guy, that is that is absolutely a disgrace. I want to go back in a DeLorean and just tell Nami, listen, mate, one, stop fucking all those fangirls. Oh, sorry, I mean, two, don't ask how I know that. And then two, please just play properly in this next game. He's only playing like Siver as well. I know, how'd you get fucking benched for that? All right. Uh, do you have any, uh, before we, before we go, Jensen, do you have any thoughts uh, on any of the LCS? What you or, should do. Or you have to use, use your model to give us some predictions for LCS or LEC, either if you watch it either. So give us, just give us some predictions using right. your, your I, I, approach. I think um, these games in both LCS and LEC have been fucking terrible. Like the last, by the way, of- spoiler, you are, it, here's the bad thing. It's good. It's, in, it's good. You're going to get on talk shows because people like me find it interesting. Spoiler though, you are setting yourself up for a world of hurt because what you're doing, I actually think it's a good style of analysis, but it's exactly what's gotten the LSs of the world in trouble because what's going to happen is you're going to one day see a stylistic matchup where stylistically this team A can beat team B, but just like the LS example, the rogue TSM one back in the day, if those two teams are too far apart, every fan is going to think you're hitting sadly. So that's just, you've got to just accept that if you're going to do this approach. Well, come on, give us some predictions. Who do, you, who do you have winning? I mean, usually that's the reason why I only do this approach when it comes to Worlds, right? When True. teams are more or less like, these are teams yes. that are not going to fall apart of the teams. Yes. So when it comes to regional playoffs, uh, I don't watch too much LCS, but uh, in terms of like everything we've talked about, right? I think the 100 Thieves are set up to do well. I haven't seen the C9 game, so I know I've seen the clips, the interviews where they say that, yep, when teams approach the playoffs in NA, we pick Orn. Orn is the seal of the LCS. We pick Seraphine, right? Because they, they know the Mystic Reduction has always been the way to win the LCS. I mean, EG winning Spring was an anomaly. Right? That was that was an, an anomaly. So yes, playing playing to, for late game scenarios where you, both of you just 
sit around and like have the biggest CC possible is the way to win LCS. Tragically, like, <laughs> it's it's not a proactive region. It's not it's not a punishing region. It's a handshake until we Seraphino you region. So my, my model doesn't apply to the LCS at all because no one really <laughs> okay. tries to learn that stuff. I think EG was probably the, the closest to that. And, and like yeah, I said, all, all the teams that were played uh, similar to my model of League of Legends over this past weekend, they, they all lost, right? Team that could somewhat close, but they also went into like the scaling, big Seraph and big, big Zillion, so dead to me, right? Um, and, and the LEC side, uh, if what I'm saying is true, that teams that follow this model are not going to do well, it means that Rogue is going to win, but I there actually you. think the G2 oh, is fucking just... Dead. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I actually is much better. <laughs> it's just much better, and I still think that there's still ways for map control teams to win the game. Like I said, this Renekton pick is going to be a big factor uh, in terms of how G2 really takes these teams apart, right? Because I I don't think that Rogue is on the level of Genji, and and like I said, I honestly still think that G2 will still stylistically match up really well into Genji. So even if in in this meta, if we were to play on this patch, as much as I say that Genji is the, the favorite to win, uh, which is in other words, Rogue, uh, or rather, G Rogue is Genji light. I still think that G two, the way that they play, the way they don't understand the game, and how clutch Caps and Yankos have always been when it comes to the playoffs and stuff like that, they still are doing the right things. It's not to say that the mid game and map control doesn't matter at all. It's just that you can outweigh these style of things, and the burden of execution has gone up that much higher. But I just think that G2 is that good where they're able to play the pressure through the bot lane, they're able to execute yeah. in the mid lane, uh in, in the mid game, and they should still be able to to take the series overall. They might probably just drop a game or two like they did against um uh, Misfits, right? Misfits. Once again, they can all skill by the, the Kali and, and stuff like that. So they will drop a game or two, but I still think that G2 would win overall. And uh, I initially had um G2, XL and Mad as my one, two, three. But now that I've seen more of the meta, more of the playoffs, I would think that it's going to be G2 Rogue, uh, G2 Rogue 1 and 2, and maybe even Fnatic actually sneaks in there. So you have them beating Misfits? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I haven't really looked into that matchup, so I can't really tell. I think both teams are going to play the skill, and when it comes down to team fights, uh, depends on how the draft goes. I still think that Humanoid and Upset have the clutch factor of Vitale, but Vitale might be able to carry as well. And depends on where the Yumi goes, you know. I think I think the well, the Yumi's going to be banned. Yeah, I think Fnatic learned that mistake in the in the tiebreaker game they played against Misfits. Um, but the I, I guess like I I see that Misfits is a more one dimensional team. So I think probably Fnatic takes it. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a pretty game, but I do think you know also Misfits. Doesn't have a lot to play for right now with the uh, the situation that's coming down with their change in ownership, so the stakes are are higher, I think, for Fnatic, and they should be able to pull it out. But can be a little bit tough to predict. Predicting LEC recently has not been fun. Just like predicting LPL has been super not fun. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't dare to predict that uh, that LPL uh, regional qualifier. That seems really fucking hard. I mean, the hardest part is that nobody knows what RNG looks like at the moment, right? Yeah. Oh, because it's yeah. been weeks. Yeah, sure. Uh, so if you have to pick a winner, you'd say G2 for LEC. Do you think that there's any possibility that EG gets their shit together to win LCS? Or is it 100 Thieves for you? What are your thoughts? Um, this is the weakness of, like, same thing with Gumayushi, right? Like, going with JoJo, uh, 
I like the direction the EGU is going with, but it's, it's like what Torin was saying, right? It's kind of an unfair comparison because it's not like a one-for-one one saying that which player is better. It's just that JoJo, given the model that Peter wants to play the game, was better for what they wanted to do. It's just that what they want to do isn't it's harder to do right now. So Orn, Seraphine, and then mid lane, you probably want to play Azure or Rihanna. It's, it's the Exodia of any, right? Orn or Rihanna and Jinx, or in this case, Zeri. And then you just play as like, nope, let's scale the clock, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. M- maybe they find some pick that can attack the meta. Maybe they open up the Doe B secret book of dark arts and they stop playing the Renekton mid and they try to play this map control style. But even then, uh, I I will root because in principle, I still like that way to play League of Legends. Because if you play the other way of League of Legends, it's like what I think you guys talked about. But if the LS view of the game was the, the correct way to play the game, you would have the game would be so unwatchable. Because nothing would matter until 40 minutes, and the Soraka's just healing people until somebody runs out of mana or something, and it's like, one team fight just ends the game, right? I think, that, wasn't that what happened between EG and C9 in the fourth game? I, I, that's what people told me, you know? It's like, just one team fight and the game's over, right? Yeah. It's 0-0, zero, zero, 35 minutes, yep, and skill clock, and the 80 carry got caught up. The, the, the game's over, but nothing matter. Nothing mattered in this game, you know? So, in, in principle, I, I, I'm rooting for EG. I want them to win. But the cynical side of me says that I think 100 Thieves wins it. Like, Reaper yeah, has yeah. been the one. I think Sven came on the show and said that he's the one who said that pick Orn, man who wants to pick, uh, man who wants to win picks Orn in LCS, right? <laughs> and I think if, if C9 is doing that as well, then it's like, yeah, we, we'll see you guys caught, you know? And if, if what we are saying is true, that Berserker is like this hyper carry, AD carry, uh, maybe C9's the favorite to win, but I, I haven't done uh, the leg work. You really call a winner on that? That's fair. That's fair. Um, well, we're going to take some viewer questions, Jensen. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Appreciate talking about LPL and, and LCK because we, we haven't done that a lot, but this was definitely the best week to do that, obviously, with uh, with the LPL finals coming up, regional gauntlets, etc. And uh, we will also continue to chat about that, but I think we'll head back and talk more about some of the later stages of the LEC and LCS playoffs this next week. We are going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with viewer questions. Right, we're back for viewer questions. So as usual, if you don't know what those are, they are generated by the Grogcoin, not literally people viewing Twitch now, because obviously it's actually primarily a VOD format, even though we do it live. So if you want to ask a question here, you have to do it via our Discord, which is the Insight on Esports Discord. And you just go to the Grogcoin, coin lounge there's a pinned tweet it'll tell you a post it'll tell you everything you need to know about buying the coins you get 25 of them you can ask a question yep that's how it goes so we'll get it right into it uh what films would you consider to be objectively amazing but you did not personally enjoy such as thorin mentioned a tree of life i don't know what that movie is it's the Terrence Malick movie with Brad Pitt and Jessica Chaston or whatever, where it's sort uh, of like, it's like he's on the one hand using like a metaphor of like the entire universe being created and stuff, but then also it's like a family in like sort of 1950s America, sort of their personal melodrama playing out. Again, the problem, the problem with that movie is like, essentially, as you can tell, the ambition of it's like incredible, but it's like... Yeah, some parts are good. It's more like an experience, that movie, than like a, than a traditional narrative, if you know what I mean. Here's a hot take for you. Some people consider it the best movie of all time, Citizen Kane. Not really my favorite movie. I understand why it's good, and I can appreciate why it's good, but do I personally enjoy it very much? No. I think it's a banger, that movie. I think it's one of the few <laughs> really old ones that really holds up. It's mega. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Um... A new world's tournament is drawing near. This means no, we haven't world... even answered the question. You're, oh, I, I did. Oh, like, let me think of mine then. 
What would mine be for that? I've already said it in the past ones. I won't go into the reasons why, but I'll say that fucking... I don't, who actually is the person who made it? It's the one the Mad Max Fury road or whatever the fuck like i can oh, see yeah. is the way it's shot and all the graphics are all great the color palette's great and everything i just wasn't a fan of the story she wasn't that interested in the premise so that, that seems like a pretty George high production Miller. movie though there you go oh this guy did the original one then i guess okay yeah, yeah um a new world's tournament is drawing near this means another rumble stage that no one cares about rather than talk about something no one cares about what do you think about the idea of having an episode on the history of the dada award i feel very good about that um, similar to the MSI episode with Dom talking about goats. I don't know if we do it instead of play-ins, because uh, some people, play-ins, look, play-ins are kind of fun because we get to see teams just like beat up on people and they they have they have their funny moments and are entertaining. And as, as Jensen pointed out, and I hadn't thought about, one of the major region teams is not going to make it out of play-ins this world, which is also funny. Um, guaranteed to not make it out because there are just not enough slots. Uh, but and I, I would think... also say to me the angle that no one bothers mentioning during Worlds because it just depresses you. It's because you're all obsessed with the gap closing between NA and EU and Korea and China. You all ignore that the reason the Rumble stage actually got interesting is the other way around. The gap closed between like Japan and America and fucking Turkey and America and it's like Vietnam. Like that's what really closed. Like, so as a result, those playing stages also. It's also the years have gone, Monty, where it's a slam dunk that you just win the, if you're the best team, etc. There's been there's always like one or two B or one upsets or someone gets in danger in the BO5 like I feel like there's way more tension in those than people sort of give them credit for because when they first introduced it it just seemed easy who'd win mm. um, yeah I mean I think I, I, I would like to do more off-season content in general uh, and I think we will this year because we have higher we have we have higher motivation to do it because we're we're starting to build up this big content engine and you guys are going to see a new brand soon because uh, Inside and Esports is a terrible brand that Thor and I came up with off the cuff basically to create this channel with uh, for content without actually thinking about it. So I think we will do more off season content this year, right? And this is a good 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 idea for that. I would even say in the long run, like this year it might be off season. I would have it so in the long run. I would just do this parallel to the season. Like I've never understood the logic of like sure. I'm only allowed to talk about week four of LEC. Why the fuck would I? So something that's not even interesting. Sometimes you have that week where it's just all upsets games. I mean, I, shit. But I think know? this particular piece of content with the Dada Award will want to talk about the latest worlds, which will require worlds to be over uh, before sure. we can actually say if there is one. Because remember, we're the only people who can give the Dada Award out because we invented it and it's not every year. That's what I don't get. You know when they go, all you invented is just... Call well, then don't call your Star Day Award. Why is that so hard? If it's not that big a deal, why not just make up your own cool name? And also, spoiler, if we're so irrelevant, why the fuck are you using our name from like 28, 14 or something, you wankers? We made that eight years ago. 2013. I know. Come up with, come up with some shit of your own, for fuck's sake. Which you think is hardest? Winning the old school LCK slash OGN championship, winning the modern LPL championship, or Thorin after watching upset hard carry in the LEC Super Week this summer, <laughs> which is the hardest. Um, I think for B. You think B? I don't the know. LPL, the modern LPL. I think that the 2014 LCK was such an insane concentration of talent that that is very difficult. But yeah, but the problem is you can like get out of your group by winning two B or ones. That's There's true. one factor. The, the, the format makes it a lot harder to win LPL. The playoff but, format of the yeah. LPL is fucking nuts. It's really, yeah, it's really like, good. It's legit, isn't it? I, I like that I a lot. I agree with you. 
Yeah, I think it's it's not necessarily because of the concentration of talent, uh, which is also very high, obviously, in the LPL, but the format is so much better that it's probably harder to win that. You you could KT rolster arrows your way exactly. into a title. <laughs> I don't think you could in the LPL, exactly, yes. I don't, you'd, you'd have to win too many BO5s, wouldn't you? There's no way yeah. you'd be able to do it. Yeah. The, the, problem, the problem with that argument is that if I'm arguing that that was the most competitive year and KT arrows won... It's not a great look. It's not a great look for the format. <laughs> what are your thoughts on hidden mechanics for the viewers? I.e., at some point, bot turret was more durable, but there was no way to visualize it. Increase. I mean, I think they're garbage. But the reason why hidden mechanics exist is because pros were doing lane swaps, so we had to do dumb shit to top tower that isn't relevant to uh, normal games, but is only relevant to the professional scene. Uh, I don't agree with any of this. I don't agree with any of those changes that they made. I don't think the professional game needs to be similar to the solo queue game. I don't watch esports because I want to play that, you know, go and play that same game in solo queue. I watch esports because I find it intellectually stimulating to watch the professional players be creative. However, I recognize I am not in the majority in that mindset, so they will make invisible mechanics, but I don't like them. I mean, with that said, they're not exactly killing the viewership record now, are they? So, who knows? <laughs> That's also fair. That's also fair. What are your favorite types of antagonists in fiction? Hmm. I don't know if I have a favorite. The obvious answer to me is basically, I mean, the problem with this is just all the characters in Game of Thrones are like this, so it becomes a bit one-dimensional in Game of Thrones. It's the idea that, like, the person isn't a good person. They will do something horrible, like betray you, kill someone, rape someone. But the idea is either there's still like a possibility in a different context they could be redeemed a la like the hound in game of thrones for example or or <laughs> you just find out earlier that there was some like actually very good reason they sort of became so fucked up and actually made i mean listen again this is why in game of thrones is a bit one-dimensional because they do it too much like that and every villain becomes that by the end but like if you do it well because essentially i've always said this is a controversial comic book opinion by the way most people believe it or not love the dc comic book villains like lex luther and did joker and they think they're the best ones right i think the marvel ones destroy them for villains because their villains are all like tragic anti-hero villain type characters like dr doom is only fucked up because he's the like em- dictator really of his one. own he's the dictator or, I mean, uh, of his Magneto. own he is the dictator of his own state. So obviously, as someone from a different country, you would have a different perspective on that and he would have a different so- mm. sense of what rulership means. Stuff. Obviously, Magneto, has a, he was literally in a concentration camp because of humans hating his guy. He has yep. a very valid reason as to why yep. he might not be trustful. And spoiler, if you ever watch the X-Men universe, here's the part I don't get. The Charles Xavier guy's wrong every single movie. The Magneto guy's right every single movie. What, oh, am I missing something? The Xavier guy's like, no, we can talk to them and they'll protect us. And then literally, like the next movie, they're like putting him in camps, <laughs> coming for children. Like, so the Magneto Magneto guy was right. No, here's the problem. Yeah, maybe the Magneto guy's idea of don't just kill everyone. That's the problem is there. So then the same as well. Mate, most of them are like that. Most of them are fucking fire well, in the that's, Marvel that's, universe. That's also my my hot take about superhero movies is I actually think X-Men Days of Future Past is the best superhero movie of all Shit. time. It's mega. It, it, because it actually shows, first off, it's Xavier and Magneto teaming up in the future, has great, really cool action sequences with all of their mutants using their powers together, and I think shows three really different but all super valid viewpoints about how that situation it's can be handled. It's an actual philosophical sort of yeah, play out. Yeah, yeah exactly. You, and you have three yes. viewpoints, not just two, because you have the Mystique viewpoint, you have the Xavier viewpoint, and you have the Magneto viewpoint. That movie is fucking good. 
It's really I good. Miss it. Tell you what, I don't miss it because what you might not know is I actually sent Monty a WhatsApp message after I saw that movie in the cinema and it, my WhatsApp message, you can go back and check, just said that was actually legitimately like one of the best movies I've seen, not just comic book movies. I actually yeah. did say that. Yeah, yeah people, people, well. That's a people, really people are all one. hung up on fucking Christopher Nolan Batman, but the real banger was X-Men Days of Future so. Past, yeah, which yeah. also hilariously, because the next movie, the whatever, X-Men Apocalypse was fucking horrible. So yes. that was disappointing. It did <laughs> was, for sure, yeah. <laughs> that was really bad. Um, what are the principles of good storytelling and how many are there? Interesting question. Uh, I mean, there's, yeah. a, there's basically an infinite number because the thing, I don't know, I think... If you want to talk about principles of good storytelling, I tend to be very essentialist and I would go back to like Joseph Campbell and like the the hero's journey. There are specific structures that really are quite pleasing to the human brain and that people really identify with and speak to Jungian, you know, essential principles, basically, and uh, essential human archetypes. So I would go back to that and look at that as the building blocks. And there's a lot of ways to riff on that. There's basically an infinite number of ways to riff on it. But there are certain principles that I think are very strong that, that Joseph Campbell was very smart to identify and outline. I thought we have an answer for this one. Next. Are <laughs> uh, our- you are organizing the greatest lull show match WWE style of all time. Okay, so we can script it. Uh, who do you pick and who wins? And if the teams chosen for this hypothetical match are different than your all-time two best teams, what storylines are missing in comparison? Oh, no, you wouldn't pick the two best teams. You'd pick some wacky-ass shit, I think. That's actually, by the way, where everyone ruins esports show matches. The show matches either... These were teams that were really good seven years ago. Well, then who would want to watch them play now? They don't even play professionally, or some of them don't play at all. Like, I've never, if you don't know, by the way, fans, you're all thinking, what are you talking about? Those happen all the time in Asia to this day. They fly out the legendary players. They have stupid show matches that are just, they're not even good quality matches because it is just like watching a modern day, like, diamond player play against someone else. It's just his name's Expecke now. Like, but it's not Expecke that you think of. So I always, I always wonder, what purpose does that show match play? And then in Counter Strike, we have the worst of all time, dude, because they try exactly what you're saying they try to get the biggest name player they can for both teams and then they just play a normal match so it's just a bad matchmaking game basically there's no <laughs> theme there's no special setups of rivalries and trash it just yeah, becomes yeah. a bad game if you don't know this is why famously even the nba all-star game changed up the format because it's supposed to be a fun game not a serious game but if you want to be serious you got to do the teams differently so essentially as monty says i would make it all around the narratives if i can decide yeah. the players yeah. like for example they've got to have something like probably like double if versus Bjergsen or something, you know, like some angle yeah. like that. Like you try to be all no, the no, fun no. ones like that. No, no, no. I got, I got the ultimate one. Here's the one that everybody would fucking watch no matter what you have Faker versus Apto in a, in an actual stage match. So Faker versus the dark Faker that he never actually got to play on stage and who is banned. Like the, the narratives you could build around that would be fucking insane. So I would, I would definitely do that. I think you have to have double lift in there for the, trash the womanship and all that yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah the showmanship uh i think you could you could really do some fun stuff with him um like other big but forgiven would obviously be a fun one if you want to just make it ridiculous <laughs> by the way just the idea of like forgiven after the game be like my, the fucking mid just fed it's like that's fake you know, what, you know what i mean already you can see how that could just be amazing couldn't it i don't know <laughs> that, that would be really fun uh what i mean having other big personalities like imp is another one that would be super fun to see in that kind of context. Um, 
I'd love to see the the diamond procs come back for some crazy jungling. Uh, fl- I think you have to have flame in the top lane just because he's got the looks right, and that that that's like a legacy a callback. If, if we're Mad doing life. a show match, though, insect has to play jungle. <laughs> jungle, sure. yeah, yeah, of course. And that's okay. How old he is? Also, he can actually in- come back tomorrow. <laughs> also, insect versus diamond procs is actually a fucking banging story from Classic. some of those old uh, IEM events and stuff like that. Um, so that that would be like a really good callback matchup. Uh, These are yeah. all huge personalities. Maybe the other top players like Mac Noon or something. Oh, Mac Noon would be good. Yeah, yeah. Because these are people, if you haven't noticed the angle, even if they're shit at the game, they're going to just deliver with the personality, aren't they? And the, there's the pre-made rivalries and narratives. But I think you focus it around because you want to give somebody like the narrative nobody's ever seen is Faker versus Apto slash Dopa, whatever you want to call him. That's that's like the the big question mark of league history that I well, think I'm you gonna say really is attack. the only show match I actually enjoyed was obviously it wasn't quite a show match. It was more like an exhibition tournament. And it was obviously when Faker went 1v1 against Froggen in the Anivia matchup and Froggen won. Just by farming. Are you ready? Just by farming. <laughs> Chef's kiss. That was one of the greatest moments. In the, that was just amazing. I remember because the fact he just won by farming to hit the minion. Because you know the whole premise there is you always get the kill, don't you, in the 1v1? Because they were on Anivia and it's frog. And he was like, I'm just going to hit the minion count. And he just won from that. Brilliant. Love it. Um, Who is your favorite lol cow in esports, both current and all time? You know what this term means, Monty? No. <laughs> Lol cow is essentially like what I am to people who are walking esports. Like the idea is you follow my Twitter intentionally, like as a guilty pleasure, because I just say stupid shit all the time. That would be the premise. So in this particular case, like for us, it's essentially who is like the idiot. Like, so for example, even though this isn't actually who I would pick, fans are going to think we're going to pick like Freak or something, you know, it's like, oh, it's just it's silly stuff. That's more like Dom would think Freak was his Lolcow. But yeah. what, who would yours be basically? I mean, Loco Doco is like obvious. It's a pretty good one. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. Like I mean, the joke. Is you actually do want him in your life, even if you weren't friends with him, just to see all the fucked up shit he's going to do and how he's going to mess up and silly things he's going to say. He is just such a hilarious person that, and I say this as somebody who likes Loco Doco, right? But I mean, he's really entertaining in terms of everything. And like, I mean, just look at like that crushed hearts, broken dreams thing he did. I mean, it's just perfect. It's just perfect. He also has this really weird quality to him that a fan maybe won't understand. But if you, if you get what I say by this, it makes his entire personality make sense. He, he has certain things he is really good at, but then anything that he isn't really good at, the drop off is insane. Like he's either really good at something or he's absolutely has no clue whatsoever. So as a result, you can imagine the hilarity that ensues with all the different settings you can be in. I mean, the current one has to be double lift. Like this is just like the endless. Oh, that's endless. right. Yeah, he has become my guilty pleasure. I can't lie. Like <laughs> the joke is, normally I have a really hard time making myself watch other people's content just because of the amount of time it takes to do my content. But mate, I'll sit down sometimes and watch. Like for example, I've told the story, but I watched that whole fucking thing of him analyzing like the fucking Peter Zhang statement because it was like, mate, buckle in for this. This is going to be like the fucking alternate dimension stream of what's going on here. Like it's amazing, isn't it? I know. The joke is, I don't want him to stop doing those podcasts. Please keep doing them. <laughs> it is like double lift uh, has arrived from a parallel universe where the facts are entirely different. And yes. he is tell- he's it's like he's telling the truth of what happened in an alternate timeline. Uh, it's fucking weird to listen to him because like the fans don't know because the fans don't know what is what actually happened. But people I mean, I, I've had him tell stories about parts of my life where i was there and i was like this is oh, in it, yeah. this is your take on it like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> 
That also appears to be what that podcast is, dude. People just go on there and tell like alternate... Like, I'll give you an example. You might know this. When Jensen went on one of the episodes, it was the episode where he was actually on with... Oh, fuck, who was he on with? He was on with someone else from like LCS at the same time. Maybe he was like Caps or Perks or something. It was some like other really famous player, right? So it was it was Jensen and someone else. And basically, Jensen like implied Monty. He had no problems with Jat and that everything was fine. And like basically, like sort of low key threw me under the bus of like, oh, maybe Thorne made it all up. Like, here's all I'll tell you about that. Jensen, you'll never try that on any of my shows. I'll have your my shows for me. Don't worry about that. I'll do interviews with you. You'll never bring that topic up and you'll never express that opinion. Just going <laughs> to promise you that right now. Just a promise for you. It's between you and me, mate. So all I'll say is, my problem is, because Doublelift himself knows nothing about his story. He's just like, wow, really, Joe? So that is what happened in T1. Well, you learn a new thing every day, friends. Anyway, and that coming up next after the break is like, come on, man. This is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> He's definitely the number one lol cow. Yeah, he deserves that. Yeah. He deserves that <laughs> Uh, how good was... By the Loki- way, I'll just... I'll just Here's one thing I can't make the mistake of, though, because I had this joke on Twitter, so I've got to keep it here for history. This is a very careful... Here's what I've told... I've told you this before, Monty. The way I knew it became really unfair, the way people treat me in esports, is if you actually want to find a statement I've said that, like, the words could get you in trouble, you have to go back to, like, 2016, mate. All the shit recently is just, like, I've got... A, I'm like Dennis Rodman. I've got a rep that I'm an arsehole, so if I do anything, the ref throws me out the game. So the problem is, right, in the last few years, I've actually gotten a Amazing at going up to the line. I never go over the line. So watch the master at work. Watch this tightrope performance. I'm just waiting for the episode of Doublelift's Trash Talk podcast that'll feature Whippo and Nemesis. You know, a pair of fake tits and Doublelift. So business as usual around there. Straight fire. That's a 10 out of 10 execution. Straight fire. Next. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, uh, how good was Lokodoka as a player? I mean, he was pretty good. He was pretty good. If you don't know, this is this is actually a part. I mean, I made a whole article about him, so I, I've told this story before. But for modern fans, the problem he has is this: because his personality is so memeable, and crucially, because when he left the teams of ADC and swapped to support and played with Doublelift, from that moment on, as a player, he was just a meme. Whereas, if you don't know, the reason Loco was so famous is because at the beginning he was one of the best ADCs, and he was like a fucking shot caller and like trained some of his teammates, and he not only was really good he was one of the first people to be good on camera so every single time if you remember monty in those seasons before you were there if you yep. watched the vod they would yep. always flash to a local reaction shot after something so essentially like he actually was re- really set up to be a big star in the early days people don't yep. know so like sadly he'll never get his flowers now but he was a good player actually in like season two or whatever he was yeah at one point he was a good adc yep i, I agree uh, what books would you like to be able to read in their native language i think we've answered this one before but like russian literature uh, yes. Number one, I really wish I could read in its original language because Russian speakers speak very highly of the differences, um, positive differences of reading it in Russian compared to to an English. Um, so, you know, authors like Tolstoy, I would I would really like to be able to read in Russian. Also, um, Chinese poetry, just because it's so different when you translate it. And a lot of the nuance, I think, is lost. I would like to read both of those things if I could in their native language. I, mean, I already you. said the same thing, like Dostoevsky or whatever. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what players and in what year do you think has had the highest individual peak for each role? Ooh, each role, right? Okay. I think this is a video question. It's this is another good video, which is like, what is the peak eighty carry year? What is the peak yeah, uh, yeah. like mid lane year? I don't know if we're gonna do this now because this is like I would have to think about it a lot and like look at 
every world's performance. It's a good off-season yeah. topic, though. Someone that the pre- a, write that down, that's producer. A, that, yeah, that's, that's a really good video. video. That's go. a really good video. So that might even be a dumb one as well. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good video. Um, so congrats. You asked a question and might get your own video. <laughs> if a bunch of big esports orgs got together and decided to make their own version of an already popular esports game, do you think they could actually steal viewers slash players from the original? Yeah, I mean, I wish this would happen in fucking Counter-Strike, honestly. Like, I wish the orgs would buy the CSIP and make use the pro players' feedback that are on these teams in order to make the best possible competitive game. That would be fucking cool. This was actually going to happen in history. There would have mm-hmm. been no CSGO. A lot of people don't know this story. Alex Garfield, when he started with EG, EG wasn't the powerhouse it was that later, because that happened after the CGS period, when he then sort of overtook the complexities and 3Ds of the world and became the one in a team and then got the StarCraft players in and all the rest of it. Before that, Evil Geniuses was a largely Canadian slash North American team who actually were always like a level below the complexities and the 3Ds and the top teams, right? And at this time, while basically CGS began and those brands went over and Alex Garfield was still at 1.6, but he was also like working a little I think with like calling like CJ, he was like doing some sort of like mix of the two, right? And he was getting all the sponsors, like that famous story where he's in the dorm room and he's going with all the. And at the same time, people don't know this. He was the original guy, like Nicola Nyholm did with Gooseman in CSGO, who tried to get his own little fucking world. He wanted to be the demiurge of his own version of Counter Strike Monty. And so what he did was he got a, a bunch of people who were making what was called CS Pro Mod. And what it was was they'd made the engine of CS Source, which is the same engine, by the way, that actually goals based on they took the engine and they just tried to make everything look and feel like cs 1.6 which Mm. is the more loved version of the game and by the way they were doing it that i played one of the later versions it was really close it was which is super interesting because the cs go devs claimed to some famous pros that it wasn't even their fault that like the spray was all like fucked up compared to 1.6 they claimed that actually when he coded it straight over it just didn't work the same way which actually it turns out a lie so but the problem they had was this monty because this was like a side project it was a small group of programmers and I believe there was even some mad thing like right when they were about to get like the, the first proper version completed like the programmers like mutinied and wanted some equity or something and they like had to restart over again the problem basically was they just dicked around for too many years and they, they wasted like mm. three or four years and then CSGO just came out and if they could have done this though Monty like a year or two before there was a world where like in NA because the CGS Counter-Strike had died off to some degree you might have had a chance to maybe transition now yeah, if, yeah. here's the thing even back then I never missed homie I had the craziest radar for people back then because I was the only one Monty who had this take everyone else who was like the pros were like well if you play it it is way better than source it is like 1.6 we should all switch and I was like are you out of your mind you want like I just said the demiurge of your game. It's bad enough it's Valve, mate. They at least to stay out the game. You want Alex Garfield to be the god who owns the whole IP. I'm, I was looking around like, am I the only... Because this is before he got his bad rep, mate. But I, knew, I know I always know behind the scenes. Like I was just like, I would say, I would vote no to that. But I get the premise. Like It is a good concept because basically, spoiler, this is like the conversation we've had many times. One day, maybe it'll be decades, maybe it'll be less if it scales up. The obvious battle that will have to happen in court is who really owns all of the IP right? Because essentially, just like soccer, I I think it's ridiculous that the person who made the ball can watch Messi play and go at it credit for all that. I 
actually did. You didn't yep. do any of that. Messi did all that with the ball. So in the same way, the idea like Faker doesn't have any ownership over like his shit. What? It's his performance that well, like Faker. It's not your game. If I put your game and I throw in Golden Glove, no one watches, mate. If I throw in Faker, everyone watches. So it can't be your game. So one day it either has to be like you're saying. They either have to beat the the devs in court, so it'll have to be an enormous industry, or the other angle is it's the diabolical CS Pro mod angle. You'll make your own game and then you'll take the money meant to that. Now, the problem I will say is this. The latter part sounds good until you realise there's a reason the game gets big and it's nearly always the player base on the casual level is yep. enormous. That's what you're going to have a really hard time with if you're artificially built from the top yep. down. How are you going to get millions of people to play, basically? It also costs more than like marvel movies to make a triple a title like it I've costs out, hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars to make these games and so for teams to have the resources in order to do that and then hope that they can launch it get a strong enough player base turn it into esport now this is the ideal way because we want the teams to actually own the league because yes. otherwise it's just the developers in a perpetual conflict of interest doing their shitty marketing exercise while simultaneously telling the teams that they're going to pay them someday. Um, I mean, the system's broken, but like, like you say, Thorin, it, e it either is going to have to be some kind of insane fundamental change to IP law where, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to come from our industry. Like Congress could change IP law in a way that makes fair use different, which I, it is going to be a core problem, not just in esports, but across many industries, I think, moving forward in the digital era. So it's possible that we see some massive shift on that level um, that affects esports in a positive way. Uh, I, I don't think it's likely, but yeah, something's got to give at some point in time. And the only way to do it is for the law to change so that anybody can create their own esports league using that IP, in which case the teams could take it away from the developers. Uh, or we have to see the teams make a game. The storylines the casters were using during Cloud9 versus EG series were, were utter shit. The biggest narrative focus were on was on scuttle crabs. Did they even bring up Jensen versus Jojo, Vulcan versus C9, or Vulcan laning against Sven? I mean, that, that is a good one because... Vulcan and Sven, I think, had some beef when they were on Cloud9 together. Uh, there were so many great narratives that were missed so the casters could make shitty meme jokes about blabbering crabs. I didn't actually listen to the cast, so I don't know. Um, but I didn't listen to the cast because... That is a general problem you notice in esports broadcasts, Monty. They can't avoid the low-hanging fruit. You do, like, here's the thing. If you think up a joke, but it instantly spawns and it's a really obvious one, then everyone else is thinking of it already, mate. Go to the next one. If you notice, even though sometimes I totally miss, when I come in with a mad angle, it's going to be a fucking mad angle. It's not going to be some obvious shit that you know. It's going to be some totally different take. So, yeah, I will say, like, the different, like, that blabber scrap, that was two years ago. Yeah. Oh, that was actually last year, but even so, like, who gives a fuck? That was ages ago. You make it sound like you did it every game. You did it once, ever. Once. Well, it's, it's also like, I, I do agree with giving players like personalities and playing up on it, but I, I don't think that it hypes up your league for Blabber to be the crab throwing guy instead of it's any also of like the two time ways. MVP. I know exactly. Yeah. You don't want him to suck. You want him to be awesome, surely. Like, I'm up with a cool. <laughs> what you him? Him? This, is, this, is, this goes back to the same shit that I've talked about a million times. One thing that Doe and I did was we learned from Brood War where they would call like, you know, the best Protoss players, the dragons or the best players of all time, the Bonjois. And they had, you know, nicknames for players like Savior was the maestro. And, and everything like this. That's why we Which came everyone up with, has a nickname. Yeah. Yeah. We, we came up with like 
That's why we came up with the immortal score, because we wanted to really impress in people's minds what these players play style was and come up with these larger than life identities. Nobody ever fucking does that in LCS or, or LEC. But the joke is, they why still does... to this day say Flame Horizon in the LCS. <laughs> yeah. They do, yeah. they still do. <laughs> so That's a a, lot of not here from were... nine years ago. That was that was very effective when I invented <laughs> I that term. I also I don't get credit for that, but whatever. No, that's, my, that's my word, but, you know, that's yeah. my term. Uh, but a lot of this stuff, like, we made it, you know, we made it, larger than life and that we learned how to do that from brood war and brood war learned how to do that from professional wrestling <laughs> like it's not rocket science it's not that we invented it we just applied it to league of legends no like why doesn't like caps has like claps and craps which is kind of funny but like he doesn't have a nickname oh. it doesn't it, it's wild to me that these players who are like yankos surely he should have something by now he used right? to have like the first blood king but the problem is the kind of player style changed since then so it kind of just doesn't have one since yeah yeah, so too bad. M big missed opportunities. Big missed opportunities. But they're really terrible at, at telling the story of their own league, so I guess it's not surprising. Um, if I mean, I'll, LNG... like, I'll tell you the craziest angle as well, because in the modern day, they've got an even worse dude. Like, you know, in the modern day, they make the narrative of the team, the orcs identity. So, you know, like FlyQuest, they're always like, it's a kind of a cool org that's always promoting mental health awareness. What has that got to do with these five players? Same shit, by the way, 100 Thieves. It's kind of a hoodie org. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What, it's a game. What are you? What If you even bring up Nadeshot while telling me the story of these five players in League of Legends, you're failed instantly. <laughs> Nadeshot is irrelevant to it. He's not even yeah. like Reggie, where he has diet input for fuck's sake. He just pays their bills and goes... Well, the joke is he goes, oh, are they in the finals or something like that's like yeah, sort exactly. of nature shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. will <laughs> exactly. care about the team for one match a year, um, and otherwise just be paying attention to Call of Duty and streaming. Which is why it's so funny when they started coming out as soon as Hundred Thieves started getting good. When yes. Nadejot was like, "Oh, I love League of Legends," I'm like, "Where the fuck were you for the last two years?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. And then they got very mad at me, uh, which was funny also. Uh, if EDG and LNG both make it out of the LPL gauntlet, we perhaps have the sickest narrative e ever. Scattered Exodia pieces of Griffin will as assemble at Worlds. Guarantee you that Riot would sure. definitely miss the, the narrative on that one. Oh, they would. Each in contention to being uh, the best or one of the best in their roles. That said, is Sword the worst pro player of all time relative to their teammate strength? Yeah, what happened to that guy? I mean, we did make the the banger intro for Summoning Insight with the film noir with the suicide by sword joke. Well, he yeah. had that whole thing where he literally was in like, I think even like it wasn't he been involved in like a court case with CV Max or some shit where he was like arguing uh, with that coach guy and then the DRX with singer. Shoulder, yeah, so there's all that. And then what happened as far as I remember was he stayed in Griffin, but all the good players started to leave except like I think Viper or whatever was still there and then they were shit and got relegated and I think unsurprisingly no one picked him up. The problem that guy had was this. If you ever go back to when Griffin first came into the league, because at the time he had just played like Scion, he actually could do a decent job at that. He could be like a weak side side his problem was when you had to be like a fucking carry player and obviously at that world that some that that fucking season nine world some of the most egregious drafting ever where trophy was on like the fucking like tank or galio and then this fucking cop was on like an aatrox or something like that was that was driving me up the wall mate that was one of the maddest of all time that was where they like didn't have a coach worlds or whatever if you remember that story <laughs> like what the fuck wow um 
I, he's up I there. Think... He's up there, certainly. But I don't think, he's, I don't think he would win. Come on, there's got to be some weird no. people. Like, I'll give you an example. That guy who played on top that one year, the fucking Yubyanjia guy or whatever, he was fucking trash. That support player with Jackie Love, he was absurdly bad. I can't even believe they won the LPL with him. Like, So I think he's got to be up there on the fucking list, mate. I, I don't actually think you even need LNG because Tarzan is like the least interesting narrative uh, i think just having edg and genji would be fucking amazing because you you would you would reunite the bot lane on opposite sides right uh that that to me is the more i, I mean think... you get the added upside with lng you get doinby though you still got that yeah. not yeah. that's relevant to this narrative which is a good narrative in itself right sure. yeah i just think that it, you can run with the narrative just with one of the teams although it would be really fun to have both of the teams um Favorite esports commissioner ever and why? Well, it's myself, obviously, but it says present company excluded. Uh, I don't think I have commissioners that they even made. I mean, I guess the, the easy answer for me is Nate Nanzer from Overwatch League, who I actually thought was quite good, but was hamstrung by people above him who were terrible. In that case, uh, I can't answer. All I can answer is that John Spector is my worst esports commissioner of all time. So that's all I can say for certain. That's just my take. So that's all I can say. I, I don't th knowing John, uh, I think he suffered from the same problems that that Nate did in many ways. Okay. Except he was awkward in terms of his public communication in ways that he should not have been. But honestly, there haven't been that many because here's the thing: the the corporate overlords of the publishers don't want some sort of all-powerful person deciding things because they have business interests that supersede fairness or any kind of rules. And there's always it's not like the NFL where the you know the, te the there's a, or the the American sports like the NBA where the commissioners report to the teams but are given broad autonomy in order to make those decisions. That was the case in my case because there, there was just the teams who owned the league, right? And Flashpoint, so they could actually invest somebody, in this case, me, with that level of control. Um, but most of the time, there's always somebody higher up on the developer food chain uh, to dictate a lot of this bullshit. So the commissioner is not as powerful as the name would suggest. If you had to divide your lives into careers into BC and AD periods, what would be the point in time where the shift occurs and why? Comic Man's easy as fuck, surely. When you became an on-camera personality? <laughs> no, like, that's not a bad one, but I would say the obvious answer is it's called, like, Katowice. What was it, March 12th, fucking 2014, <laughs> whatever it was. Because if people don't know, that's not like a story. I know I told it like a comic book origin story for a villain, but I genuinely sat in that hotel room in Katowice because, unfortunately, at the time, this was before I had money, before I made a lot of money. And, by the way, yes, all didn't pay a lot back then. And, spoiler, they weren't going to pay me for this event. So when I was looking at flights to go home, you can imagine if you're booking a flight last minute, minute it's like not that many destinations going to like it was like fucking 700 pounds for a flight so i was like ah fuck it i'm as well just wait four days and go home on my normal flight so when i was just sat in a hotel room trying not to go outside and get beaten up by cs fans for four days i remember just thinking there's two ways you can go on this either all these people messaging you were right your career's over you're fucked or you've got to find a way to actually embrace the fact that you will be disliked and say fuck it and succeed anyway and i actually decided in that moment again you're gonna think this is a comic book story it's not i did it i decided in that moment I will become the number one person in the entire world at analysis. Spoiler, that was going to be my second event ever as an analyst, by the way. And not only did I, but are you ready? In just over two years later, ESL themselves hired me for a major in their home country. <laughs> Suck on that, haters. <laughs> so there's my BC. In, so it's BK before Kadavice and after Kadavice. So it's BK, you want it your way. And then afterwards, it was AK. 
That's right, <laughs> motherfucker. Yes. There you go. What was yours, Monty? Probably when I decided to stand up to riot about all their bullshit publicly, because at that point in time, you know, it was very comfortable, obviously, working in League of Legends. And I was at the the very top of like the heap of casters. And I had to decide whether I wanted to do that or stand up for my actual fucking principles and try and make a, a, ma a massive positive difference in the industry. And that was going to send me into the realm of chaos where they, you know, Monty Cristo can still cast our events. Obviously, I wasn't going to get hired. Like, that was just lies. I, I blacklisted. Like, clearly, they're not going to hire me. Who really said um, that at all? Uh, like, that's like almost as bad mate where cat this is real where because on on reddit during the period i was like obviously like if a button to be a, an esl employee right when if anyone would ever write on reddit thorin is banned from esl events carmack is such a twat he would come in the thread and reply this isn't true at all he is welcome to attend our events if he wants to like as if like the idea was like i couldn't like pay to go like that's yeah. like that's almost as bad as that like that's like fuck you that's so disingenuous an answer at all so i mean i <laughs> I, and also was going to make it so that I had to develop other skills, which I did. Uh, I mean, I, I had other skills already because I have a good education and I have worked other professional jobs, but it required me to use them and be more savvy when it came to managing my career, learning more about the business aspect of esports, founding my own businesses, everything like that. So in the end, it made me a lot more self-sufficient and able to get a variety of jobs within this industry that I really enjoy and kind of run things my own way and be my own person. So, you know, I just didn't want to be Riot's bitch until the end of time, which apparently a lot of people do for whatever reason, while they quietly uh, talk to me about how much it sucks behind the scenes, but they never want to take the actual leap and uh, and try to, you know, put themselves first, rely on their own skills and jump off the deep end. Oh, Monty, I'm sure you've every now and then in, a, in, the, in the wrong or the right moment thought about this. You know, people bill us as these literally not even just like they don't like us. They bill us as fundamentally flawed, bad human beings <laughs> who have. No, but here's the thing, Monty. All I have to say is this. If we were the people you guys claim we were, all we would have to do is open up those motherfucking silos of DMs. And you don't even know the shitstorm <laughs> we, me, Richard and, and Monty here could rain down on this industry. Like, put it this way, just my DMs with some of the people who claim to hate me, but were, like, former friends of mine, would blow everyone's fucking minds. <laughs> I have it all, motherfuckers. But the difference is, the joke is, even though you guys buy into it, like, yeah, they are bad guys, they're all all right and fucking it. And we're not. The joke is, we're some of the only people with the integrity not to reveal all that shit. Even when the twat that you have in your DMs, the one coming against you in public. Oh, it's so tempting. Except the problem is, like, I always say this, you don't want to win that way because you just become yep. them at that point. You just become, it's worthless. And it? it's like, if you I had mean, to become a murderer to win, is it worth it? No. Let, let me, let me put it this way. I possess documents from my time as a team owner in the LCS that if I were to release them would burn the LCS to the ground tomorrow. The problem is that if I do that, then a lot of innocent people will be caught in very bad situations and I'm not going to do that. So, um, so it's not going to happen, but it's not like I don't have the ammo. I'm just not going to use it. Uh, do you, do either of you believe in something, anything considered supernatural? Um, so 
my spiritual beliefs, I'm an atheist, number one. So I guess the quick answer is no. The complex answer is that I believe in the infinite power and unknowable nature of my own mind, in which case I can suspend my disbelief in the supernatural and dabble in believing in the supernatural in the moment and create those kind of experiences without technically believing that they're real. As long as they're real within my mind and my own personal experience, that is what matters. So I believe in the power of the unconscious, and I think that ritual is extremely important at a fundamental psychological level, and that it has been created in every human society independently and serves a vital function for mental health. Um, but I don't logically believe in the supernatural. Just on the basis of my own personal experiences with psychedelics, lucid dreams, certain other techniques, I would say I have subjective belief that these things exist. The thing is, though, I don't know if they would to other people or if the same thing would happen if they did it. So in a way I do, in a way I don't. And also part of me thinks, essentially part of me thinks that like in some way, I actually do sort of think the human mind might actually generate some element of reality. So the reason I bring that up is it's because of the ultimate get out, which is essentially if the human mind in some sense generates reality, not just your experience, but like actually some element of the fabric of reality, then logically, if the rest of the world was convinced to be atheist, then a lot of this shit wouldn't work. So logically, <laughs> that's why it doesn't work. But if they thought differently... There we go. That's a, that's a hell of yeah. a breadcrumb for I, you. Yeah, you I, I I think it's it's very it's very complicated because like I've talked about like doing this you know adulthood initiation and like I I am extremely good at suspending my disbelief and enacting you know being in ritual I environments. About all those KT roster predictions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm extremely I'm extremely <laughs> good go. at it. Just like um, me with Rogue, exactly. So I can put myself into a state where I can believe in the supernatural in the moment, but when I take a step back from it and I'm not engaged, then I do not, logically, if that makes sense to you. Um, I do think that people are fools, though, for being atheists and denying the fundamental power of ritual and religion and not engaging with it at all because you are basically just ignoring a vital part of what it means to be human. That's right. I also think in general, there's a massive uh, misunderstanding of the difference between can you prove how something works and is it having an effect? Yes. People <laughs> conflate the two and think yeah, unless yeah. you can prove how it does it. So I think there's pretty way, essentially what I'm implying is there's a lot more mystery as far as I can tell in the world than anyone's nailed right. down. Yeah, yeah. And and like sometimes you you are not a logical being as a human and you're a, it, look, there have been infinity studies that show that people make emotional decisions before logical ones. And you as much as you might think you're logical, you're the same way. So a lot of the time, the best way to change yourself is through illogical means or ancient like ritualistic techniques or, you know, frankly, psychedelics uh, than it is to 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 you can't just tell yourself that you should do something logically. You have to break a pattern of behavior and that is going to be an, a fundamentally illogical process what would be the worst set of double lift set of guests double lift could try to host on his show 
Oh, that'd be easy because I can tell you. Like, here's the problem. I mean, you we'll have to pick be one of them because no, because here's the that. thing. I would, in a sense, but also at the same time, depending on what the scenario. Like, if, he actually, if he understood it was a show and it was like we were sort of WWE, they'd be the best show ever. No, uh, the problem with this one is obviously I don't want to pick people that like for no reason would diss in them. So the the real issue with this question is if it wouldn't hurt the feelings of the people I would say the names of, I could tell you because it's all the people I've invited on my shows who were just death. You bring them on, they have no take, no answer. It's a two-word answer. It's some boring, like just like monotone voice. There's been people we've had as guests before. Spoiler, they're the ones where I just go ham basically to make up for it. But like, if you had those people on Double Lift Show, holy shit, he would not be able to, he wouldn't be able to handle it. Like he doesn't have the gear he could shift where he could just entertain. Like I think basically the show would just die on its ass. So essentially just think of the most boring player you've seen on a talk show. Put two of those with Double Lift. I, don't, I think it would be death. Because at the moment, Everyone praises this, but it is the obvious angle, right? The real reason the show is interesting is because actually Lena is getting the biggest names possible to come on with Doublelift. If he even just had one guest, by the way, if he had just Joe Marsh, it would have been bad. The point of that one, he had Joe Marsh and he had Steve and then he had Carlos. Like that mixed together was already going to be interesting. So I think the, actually that show in general, it wouldn't have to be as bad even as I'm thinking of. Like, if you just put on some average guests, I think it wouldn't be that great either too. I think you have to have the absolute biggest names to make it like an appeal. Yeah. And the problem with that show is that eventually he's going to get too bored to keep doing it and he's going to run out of guests at some point in time. And then he's going to have to be the one who's interesting. And that is actually impossible. So we'll just wait yes. for the slow death of that one. Just wait for the slow death. Uh, how do you like your coffee? Black. That's it. I just like it black. No sugar, no milk, nothing. I drink quite a bit of black coffee. I typically that's what I wake up, drink a couple cups of black coffee. Don't eat until I haven't you know, don't eat till one. Usually you don't, I don't drink ever coffee. drink, ever drink <laughs> coffee. I hate coffee. The only time I would ever even drink it as a kid is like if the only options were coffee and tea and I had access to unlimited sugar. So really <laughs> with enough milk and sugar, you're not as anyone, you're not even drinking coffee at that point in time. I am yeah, drinking a milkshake. So yeah. in the I modern mean, day, I only drink gamer subs, of course, code Thorin, T-H-O-R-A-N, 10% <laughs> off of gamer subs, GG. There you go. Um, I, I, this is not a sponsor, but, uh, I have, oh, I, it is my sponsor though. So. No, 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 no. I, what, I, what I'm about to say, it is your sponsor. <laughs> All right, okay. What I'm about True. to say, sorry. What, the thing I'm about to say is not a sponsor of me. Um, but I, I do use this site, drinktrade.com, which is a coffee subscription. So I get different roasts from all around the country shipped to me. I like that. I enjoy nice coffee. Oh, like Twitter. <laughs> yeah. except i pay for this <laughs> all right there you go exactly yes. uh this question is partly due to the torrential downpour of super team whiplash this year it is also somewhat slept on in league but thorne talks a lot about it in csgo can you touch on the topic of cores within western league any angle is fine below is a list of the more pro prolific ones over the last five years wonder yanko's perks obviously for g2 mad lions humanoid Karzi, and kaiser uh team liquid impact x smithian double lift yeah, uh, twenty, and then uh, closer FBI and Huhi. Um, the idea of cores. The thing is, most cores in league don't actually stay together for very long at a time. Um, and if they do, it's typically only two players, not three. 
think those are some good examples of of core rosters. One of the just one of the points when he alluded to I say in CSGO is because I also came up with like what I think is a progression on this topic. The problem we had in CSGO was this, Monty. Essentially, any three players from a great lineup that stay together or play together in a future team, people just started calling the core. So famously, for example, the Astralis core, I mean, that was actually, it was obviously divides Dupree and Zipniks, right? The problem I have with that approach is this. If you make it that like, the, um, so when they were in TSM, they were like this. Then when they were in the Strauss, they were like this. It's like, what you're missing there is this though. They're, those are core in the sense that those were the remaining players. But the core, in my opinion, should be the players that most informed the playing style of the team. Yeah. So as a result, I'll give you a weird example. In in uh, the one that people, the one that made me realize this was actually the Brazilians because Fur, Fallen and Cold Zero played together for way longer than when they had Taco, right? But I actually think if you made the core, it would include Taco. Because if you don't know, Taco and Cold Zero was like the combo that made Cold Zero the best. Then Taco was like the support player. So it helped put the structure. So the point is, actually when you remove Taco who was technically the worst player there wasn't a call like they weren't the same team fundamentally and they weren't anywhere as close to as good so on that level the difference is I do think sometimes people are just taking it like like I'll give you an example in Astralis they have the old splice core They've got Vizichachi, Surtsey, yep. and Kobe. Problem is, you've got a fucking humanoid, dear. That's a pretty big part. It was pretty good, wasn't he, that humanoid guy? Like, so you know what I mean? So uh, the problem with them is, like, I, I think sometimes people are just noticing a pattern that's not actually essentially meaningful. But when, they're, when they are meaningful, so, for example, the classic ones of, like, you could obviously go with, like, Faker, Bang, and Wolf's a pretty good one, right? You well, have a stable I, bot lane. You have the mid lane that can play out, carry I mean, or move around the map. Like, that's not a bad one. In League, I would say it's much more common to have the two-man core that informs playstyle. Like Faker Bengi was the definition of of T1's playstyle for many years. Here's another one: Showmaker and Canyon. Like we saw the you know Nuggery, then Khan, and now Nuggery again, and Birdall. But really, the core of that playstyle is based around Showmaker being a more mobile, supportive mid laner, and Canyon being a carry jungler, right? Like, and it was kind of the reverse of that, like Bengi enabling Faker's carry potential and pressure. So. I think that is mostly what I would probably consider like a true core roster. Like you said, though, the real problem is this. You really can in CS have those guys stay together three, four, five years if they want that happens. That never happens yeah. in League of Legends generally. Yeah, I mean, you could argue like the IG rookie, the shy combination of like the dominant, uh, the dominant uh, solo lanes. Um, what else? What else? What else? Becky Soaz is a classic. Yep. Okay, so if you have those two players, one. you have the most unique solo lane combo you can imagine in the West, obviously. Sure. Um, yeah, I, but most most league teams have not stayed together for extended periods of time, or at least seen success, like extended periods of success. Uh, we'll go to the next one. Considering only countries you have never been to, which one would you choose to live in for six months? I feel like the answer, here's the thing. The obvious one to me I'm would probably be somewhere in Southeast Asia, you know, yeah, one Vietnam of those ones where it's, would be one of yeah, them. one of it like could be Thailand, Philippines, just somewhere that's really right. cheap. You can live like a king, still probably get half decent internet, still do most of the things you want, I save mean, all the money, probably have fuck all income tax. There's a lot of good reasons. Look, I have tons. I love traveling um, and I travel Food very will well. be good. I, I've lived in, you know, I've I've been to many like first world countries, third world countries, etc. If I've never countries, I, I would also consider living in many countries I've never been to for six months, considering that I have spent my life 
moving to countries I have never been to. I moved to Korea without ever having been to Korea. I moved to Ireland without ever having been to Ireland. So I'm kind of, you know, this ain't my first fucking rodeo. You know what I mean? Uh, so I would, I haven't been to Vietnam. I would certainly live in Vietnam for six months. I, like you say, Thorne, I would live in the Philippines. I would live in New Zealand. I would, I, what other places would I want to go? Definitely go nowhere near New Zealand and Australia after what happened the last couple of years, personally. But that's just me. That's just me on that one, boys. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll wait for it to calm down a little bit. But By the way, I mean, I've actually been to Vietnam. It's one of the few ones I've been there. Here's the thing: I'll tell you. This is like the. This is like a how I'd sell it, right? When the sun rises at like whatever, like six in the morning or whatever the fuck, mate. I just when I saw the sunrise over a clear sky in Vietnam, Monty, I actually realized most of those Hollywood movies, I was overrating the cinematographer. <laughs> I thought he was doing that with lenses. It's actually just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's like a giant massive sun just coming up. Like, what the yeah. fuck? Like, you think you're in like a fucking LSD trip <laughs> yeah, yeah. or something? Yeah. So I again, mean, I, I, I was thinking like, mate, I thought all those eight Vietnam movies were just like God's tier filmmakers. Just that's what it looks yeah, yeah. like for I've real. Been to, <laughs> I've been to Thailand. I've been to Cambodia, but I haven't been to Vietnam. Um, I would live. I would live in Russia, probably. Um, not a big fan of the government, but definitely I could see myself for six months in St. Petersburg, going through the architecture and museums. I would, or Moscow. I would really enjoy that. You know something wild. When I was in St. Petersburg this year, I actually was there. Believe it or not, in February, right before the war, I got it like two weeks before. When I was there, I actually found some amazing Korean barbecues. They had like a bunch <laughs> of Korean expats that were really oh, good. Yeah. Put it this way: the Korean barbecue in St. Petersburg was way better than like Germany, all those countries. There are a bunch better. of uh, there are a bunch of Koreans in Vladivostok and like the eastern parts of Russia. So I'm sure some of them made it you know over into yeah, yeah. The, the big part too um i would live in many places in eastern europe like i've never been to romania i could see myself spending six months there i could live in slovenia for six months i've been to croatia but not slovenia um the good ones are stuff like estonia because you have to realize the reason that's actually a hack the downside is you're next to russia that could cause problems the upside <laughs> is this you're only the here for six months <laughs> the internet's really good, yeah. and that's one of those countries where they purposely make the gimmick that the income tax is absurdly low. So if, yeah. here's the difference, Monty. A, fa a fan doesn't realize this, and I'm not going to go into too much because it'll give away how much we make. But spoiler, if you make the income tax like 10% instead of 40 that's like yeah. I'm just paying myself fucking a <laughs> yeah. salary. You're like almost done. Like, that's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal, yeah. boys. Um, I would, yeah, so a lot of places in Europe that I haven't been to, especially Eastern Europe, would be would be pretty good. Um I think I've been to most of the places in Africa that I would want to live or like could see myself spending six months at maybe Rwanda. I, I could probably go there for six months. I haven't been there. There's some interesting stuff I'd like to do there. Um, where else? South America. Um, definitely like Peru, Argentina. I could see myself in Buenos Aires for a while. I could see myself in Lima's food scene is fucking banging right now. And I'd love to spend six months there. Look, first off, you know, Go go do some ayahuasca. Sounds great. Um, second off, go see all the the ruins there. Like, um, that would be that would be really fun. Costa Rica, Panama could easily see myself being there for a while. Uruguay could see myself being there for a while. I mean, I I would live almost anywhere. So I mean, there's just too many places that I haven't been to that I would definitely pack a suitcase and go to for six months. Uh, given the choice between immediate failure and delicious razor cake of almost not failing, which makes you feel worse. <laughs> I would rather just fail immediately. So my delusions were shattered. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause here's the thing. I actually think the most unfair part about the latter 
is everyone just retcons it the second the result comes out. So this, here's the joke, Monty. If Mad Lions really did actually just complete that fucking series and win, we'd have been morons for picking Rogue. But because they didn't, now magically it's okay that we picked Rogue. Like that's just stupid. Like that can't be how the world works. So yeah, the worst is when the get when the Razor Cake team loses, everyone pretends they never had a chance to win you moron. It's like the whole point is they had all the chances and it just was it just happened in a way you couldn't predict, isn't it, you idiots? Or like I'll definitely pick the former. Just fail immediately, then who cares? Uh hardest accent to understand. This might be a, a crazy one, but I actually think sometimes it's harder to understand people with really terrible who are native English speakers with really horrible accents because you expect to understand them, but then you can only understand like 50% of what they say. As an American, when I would go out to the, the, the deep, deep West of Ireland, I literally could understand like 50% of what those people were fucking saying to me, even though we ostensibly were talking the same language, which made it much more infuriating. Um, so it's like famous that even like Irish people from like Dublin would tell you the same thing though. No, yeah, like they you might can't not, yeah, exactly. You can't understand them. It's not it's so not like, money being an idiot, it's just people really that different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they, they also use different lingo. And like so I would literally encounter people like in farmland in Western Ireland and they would talk to me. I'd be like, I have no fucking but it's weird. It, a similar that. answer would definitely be like Northern Scotland, for example, yes, because basically exactly. it's the same problem. You already have like a harsh accent, but then as you say, the worst thing's gonna be when you go to a small localized area you're never even going to get the slang forget the accent yeah. like it's just every, like and if you don't know i've always thought the real reason english is hard has nothing to do with the language it's that if you go to england everyone speaks in idioms all the time yeah well, if you don't know the idiom like imagine being a guy from like, ethiopia like so like so one bird in the hand is better than like you know what the fuck does that even mean like there's no point translating it so you just have to know what it means don't you so that's half the problem with the, the native speakers yeah i agree uh, so yeah, that's actually, for me, that's the hardest to understand because I feel like I should. It, most people who have thick accents are going to speak in a way that's very simple. So I don't find it very difficult. I'll tell you a random one. I, I, I only watched like two episodes. I thought it was shit. That fucking Netflix drama everyone was raving about called it Inventing Anna. Whatever the fuck accent she was trying to do was like... <laughs> Give me an ear cancer or something. It's really bad, mate. If you look at it, it's some sort. It's almost like she's trying to do some sort of fucked up, like Atlantis accent or something. It just sounds so weird. It sounds like someone who's having like a stroke or something, mate. <laughs> uh, funniest esports player slash team quote you remember? Mine is Loco Doco's feelings towards J Dong. That was funny when he asked to do cocaine off of J Dong's erect penis, which is just hilarious <laughs> um i mean i love forgiven's quote on this show which is you could either be the best or suck a cock and, it, and speaking of hard access to understand greek is mega hard and oh, that is. was even funnier it's why it i always hard. big up troubling because you can hear she's definitely got i mean she said she lived in the uk or something like hers is way more understandable than forgiven's way more so if you listen to comp forgiven and her she's easily the best out of the three to listen to no let me think so here's the thing i actually think richard had a banger quote years ago i won't say who it was about but it was the perfect way and I know he's used it many many times his quote goes like this when someone in the industry is basically just an, an irredeemable twat what you say is this his crime is being himself and that is also <laughs> his punishment <laughs> so yeah. what a fucking great yeah. line it is isn't it straight fire I also enjoyed the the classic cyanide cyanide quote uh, as useless as nipples on a man. Uh, th that was that's a pretty great all time League of Legends quote. That's not culturally edged so well, but small <laughs> uh, politics. You know. <laughs> Pro players can sometimes be particularly hard headed with implementing new concepts into their play. What is one common mistake you see pro players constantly do that you think could have 
the best chance of coaching out of a player. Look, I don't really understand, especially in the West. Like my my biggest pet peeve is that the one thing that pro players have no excuse over is just being good at macro because it just requires decision making within the game that has nothing to do with your necessarily your practice environment. So what I don't understand is why they can't identify win conditions of team compositions and then execute on them. If anything, like I would get if you get dominated in lane because you have stiffer competition in solo queue in Asia, but there's no excuse for like being bad at vision like that just is so confusing to me dude i'll give you an example of the sort of it wasn't about vision but a sort of team you're talking about misfits dude they drafted all these scaling comps and then they just put them before all game long even when they were ahead yeah what what <laughs> like that, that's like what exactly what you're talking about that's like the coaching stuff's like here you go now if you just do it right well so if i had to say in general because if you notice on the watch parties i have loads of these i've noticed my number one though because i'll never get over it is teams that are in the lead, they have control of the objectives in the map, they maybe even have the scaling comp, and they only are hitting the Baron to bait a team fight. But then once the Baron hits 2k health, they must <laughs> continue and complete it. That <laughs> is... I can't believe I've been watching 10 years of yeah, this. Like it, crazy, I can't yeah. believe that the team's never disengaged. Like it's, like it's like the joke is there's a certain point at which like time must just change how fast the dilation of it, like their brain... It's crazy. They can't... It's like a moth to a flame. They cannot stop hitting that Baron. It's crazy, mate. It, 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 really just has to be that the they're not like sitting down and doing very, very specific sessions around concepts and like they're really just going by the seat of their pants every fucking game like i think you just have to have like macro seminars or something so i would hope that that would be possible to coach out of people eventually i feel like what it is, should be yeah fundamentally it feels like it should be what is your favorite and least favorite trophy in any sport i think my favorite is probably the stanley cup just because of the history at this point in time where you have a hundred years of people's names and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and also what they let the they let all the players like have their day with the stanley cup and beat the shit out of it and every like every off season they have to like hammer it back into the proper shape like it's great it's a great tradition i don't know if i have a least favorite there are a bunch of bad ones like let me have a look. Uh, yeah, favorite's hard. Because here's the thing. If you're having a cup, I just prefer it to be like a simple one. Like, for example, I think like the Wimbledon trophy is a pretty good banger. Mm. It's just a golden cup. But just like, it's not too ornate, but it's like it is ornate. It's quite well done. It's just, it's like what you dream of winning if you dream of winning a big competition or something. I don't know about least favorite. Least favorite would actually be in esports. Let me double check because there's a Counter-Strike one that I think is utterly fucking atrocious. Let me see if I can find what this looks like. Because there's this one that they did, the ESL did. I'm going to find it for you, mate. It's so insanely bad. Like, let me see. I've got a couple for you here. Let's see if this is right. Right, one is if you just look up, put like ESL Pro League Season 8 CSGO. Look at this trophy, Monty. It looks like something someone in Metalworks made that's just shit. <laughs> it's so whack, you're not even going to believe it, mate. You are not going to believe how bad it is. Okay, I'm, I'm Googling it. <laughs> what Doesn't the- that blow your fucking mind? And that was their flagship <laughs> product, homie, Pro League. It's, it's like a it's mental in it. Square. <laughs> I wasn't over. I, I wasn't overrated. Exactly, it's mental how bad it. Is. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a bad work, like metalwork project that your kid brings home. It's this, mental this, in this, it. This looks like this looks like something that uh, would be a trophy for like a, a like a racing competition in Mad Max because <laughs> they can't make anything else. <laughs> 
Yikes. Yikes. Mad, isn't it? It's mad. <laughs> I think that wins. Holy shit. It's crazy, isn't it? I know. <laughs> By the way, my favorite esports one was an ESL one, though. Sadly, it doesn't exist because they got rid of the ESL one brand. It was the ESL one trophy. Like, you look at the Cologne yeah. one, it's that giant cylinder. It's a really good one, man. That, yeah. that looks fire. That looks really sick, I think. ESL one Cologne trophy or whatever. Look it up, guys. Mega. If you could go back in time and perform Inception on any player who has now washed out of the scene in order to save their pro careers, who would you choose? Uh, like Apto, Forgiven, Dardock. I'd pick Savior. He was my favorite Brood War player. Didn't have to, you know, go to jail <laughs> for match fixing. That would have been a cool one, I think. If I had to pick a league player, I guess it'd probably be Apto because I feel like we got robbed of years of potential rivalry and storytelling. Well, with him, obviously, it was. It was almost like the joke is he would have gotten banned somewhere or another anyway. He just had like a really like rebel philosophy, didn't he? Like, yeah, he yeah. obviously didn't fuck with the process. In many ways, that's why it was kind of cool. He went to China briefly. He was kind of like a very unusual Korean, if people don't know. They tend to heavily want consensus and to yeah. be liked and do the things. So that was why he was a really unusual guy. I'm trying to think who I would pick for this. Like, who would I want to like change the whole career of? If I had to say it, I, the real answer would probably be. I want to pick, like, like, I'll give you an example. Like, in StarCraft 2, there was that guy, Sue, who was in, like, five GSL finals and won yes. zero. But the joke was, me and Sue, you even used to say this, the line we had for that guy was, he is the best player in the world every day except the GSL final. Well, as a result, I'd like to go back in time and just make him win one of them or help get him the, you know, the mental coaching early on or something. Right. Whatever it would be, because I always feel like those are the players. It's why I'm a big fan of Carrigan, who only just finally won the major this year, etc. I've always thought the most compelling story in esports is is the person who could be the greatest, but something just stops them when they're in like the big moment because it's clearly not about skill, is it? So any of those players, I've always found like super compelling. So I'd love to help any of those guys turn it around. Esports Delenda asked, is this a personal attack on Thorin since he, of course, is esports? <laughs> Actually, it's funny. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, esports Delenda asked is how we end the, the four horsemen, which comes from the famous quote uh, about you know Carthage Delenda S. So basically Carthage must be destroyed. Um and so we also say at the end uh esports must be destroyed. Uh and uh that that is uh that is uh that's a, just funny. That's just funny. That's it. it's not intended to be that way. But for those of you who don't know the or origination of that Cato, um, in the Punic Wars, which were the wars between Carthage and Rome, um, he used to, regardless of the topic that was in the Senate, end all of his speeches with <laughs> Carthago delenda est, uh, which means, and there, like, and therefore Carthage must be destroyed because they were Rome's enemy. So it just became a meme in ancient Rome where he would go up, give his speech, and just as a complete non sequitur and every speech with that like his actually... version of like thanks Obama or whatever, you know, <laughs> yeah, like that exactly. one back. Exactly. Yeah. But then they did destroy Carthage. Yeah. So eventually it came true. true. <laughs> um, but hopefully you will not be destroyed. Um, for how long do you wage your team liquid can keep up spending so much across rosters and CSGO and lol? I, so here's the thing about team liquid team liquid has a very good sales team and team liquid also did some very smart things, which is many esports teams will try and lock in like two or three year long deals and try and renegotiate at the end of that period. Team Liquid has locked in very large deals for like a decade. So they are actually more immune to the recession that 
is likely to be coming. Well, is coming just how big it is, right? Or how long it is. Um, so th I think they can actually keep up this spending relatively well. But the difference is, I don't think they'll have to because a bunch of other teams are going to be spending a lot less, which means they can also spend less because they'll have less competition. So I don't think they will, but I think that's a choice that they can make because they have a lot of really good established partners. Yeah, the first thing I would say with that is, one, as Monty said on past episodes, if you just look what's going to happen to the league, generally it looks like the salaries will just go down as a tide, yeah. like there will just be less. And so as a result, they themselves at the top end won't have to pay as much either if there's not that many people offering the millions of dollars. Then the other thing I would say is, I, I would have agreed with the premise of the question if this was like four or five years ago when they first started spending big. Because at that time, the actual thinking in the industry was they're gambling because what they're doing is they've sold all their VC early, they've sold all the equity as it were meanwhile you know the tsms and cloud nines were sort of like in and out like waiting for the right moment so the perception was they're going to get their spend up front but the others ones will get it on the back end well that's the thing as monty says they've done a banging job fucking maintaining these teams selling sponsorships getting partnerships because tl as far as i can tell that if that's the case then they've been able to sell fucking money for old rope whenever they want it like these are the guys who can re-up re anytime they want it seems so I, I wouldn't put it past them to be able to keep going as long as they want mate they seem like they're killing it yeah. And also they're really well diversified across a variety of games. Um, they've won, you know, a bunch of obviously LCS titles. They've won uh, TI rights. Yep. They, they, they've been a champion in many, many different Grand games. Grand Slam in CSGO. Grand Slam in CSGO. Yeah. I mean, they've been really good for a long time. And because they touch um, on so many aspects of the market, both in North America and Europe, I mean, their, their Alienware deal with, um, which is Dell, and they've had that deal for forever. Um, you know, they have big partnerships with companies like Verizon, Honda, uh, Coinbase now. Monster's a sponsor they've had forever, right? Um, they've just been a good partner. And like they're they're very well respected. Their sales team is very well respected in the industry. And they're kind of seen as the model for uh, partner relations. So when you're good at that and you have the really big breadth of titles to back you up, they also, I mean, you may not know this, but they also have presence in many different countries. Like, obviously, they have the, the North American and European presence within their titles. But, you know, they're, they have presence in Brazil, for example. That's where their Rainbow Six team is located. So they really do have, like, global reach, which allows them to sell to big global brands. Um, so, yeah, they've done a very good job. Very good team. Very good team. Uh, so yeah, that's it. That was the last question. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Once again, same time, same channel. You know how to get here. Subscribe, please. Goodbye.